Friday, October the 6th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. It is such a fun time in the world of sports right now. We have so much going on, and this is one of those shows where we get a chance to talk about everything. Baseball playoffs start on Friday, so I had to bring in a couple buddies, James Kurtz and Ben Keenly, join me to talk really all about the Dodgers, and then we uh, spend a couple minutes previewing some of the other series which start on Friday then we move along to horse racing best bets for Keeneland for Friday and for Saturday and then Santa Anita for Friday and for Saturday great cards for both of them don't forget about those pick'em prop contest pick'em.sananita.com if you're listening to this show you will love them they're free they're involving horse racing and NFL college football all sports and they're $1,000 to the winner every Saturday and Sunday, totally free to enter. Check those out. We go to NFL, week five games with Eric, game previews for all of them. We finish up wrestling with Chad Cooper, WWE Extreme Rules preview. We talk NXT and we talk AEW on this episode of That's What G Said. That is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas at BTV Bets on Twitter. Go give them a follow right now. We have a free live stream schedule. I say we because I'm part of BTV. I'm hosting shows for them all the time over there. If you're looking for college football stuff, we weren't even able to fit it on this episode. So I'm going to be part of the Better Than Vegas Friday college football show. Head on over there Friday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. We'll talk about some of the biggest college football games for Saturday. We'll preview those on Friday with myself, with Eric, who you're going to hear on this show, and with Jim, XFL Jim. So go give uh, BTV Bets a follow on Twitter and then check out that college football show that I'll be a part of on Friday. We will jump right into baseball as the games start on Friday. The playoffs begin. Dodgers are able to kick back for the weekend. They will play the winner of the Mets and the Padres. So a couple of my buddies, James, my old roommate, Ben, huge Dodger fan. Both of these guys are big, big Dodger fans. They know baseball very well, and we're always talking Dodgers, so I figured got to bring on a couple of my buddies, talk about Dodgers. We'll preview them. We talk about the roster, the pitching staff, how the rotation might set up, what the bullpen could look like, and then what the lineup may look like as far as uh, you know some of the key spots and positions to fill. Ben and James join for about a half an hour to talk Dodgers. And then the last few minutes, we just give a a couple quick thoughts on the other playoff series. Baseball fans, let's get ready for the playoffs. Dodger playoffs starting. Baseball playoffs starting on Friday. So we have to talk all about the Dodgers. We didn't get to talk talk a whole lot of Dodgers this year with the the schedule. Baseball is a little harder on the day-to-day to to, just to recap because it moves so quickly. But... When it comes to playoffs, there's really nothing like baseball playoffs. The pitch to pitch, how important every single hit, every single pitch, every single decision is. And we felt it as Dodger fans. We've been in some big games recently. Since 2016, the Dodgers have either won the World Series or lost to the team that won the World Series. And joining me right now, two gentlemen who have joined me before a couple of my best friends and a couple huge Dodger fans, my old roommate, James Kurtz and Benjamin Keenly joining us again, Benny boy. Uh, I know you're a big Dodger fan and you uh, are always on Twitter talking, giving uh, your opinion on some things. But when we discussed it a little bit, uh, just kind of in our chat, you've a, a little pessimistic coming into this season for into this playoff push for 
a Dodger team that broke a lot of records, won 111 games. Just give us some of your overall thoughts on where you feel about the Dodgers heading into the playoffs. They don't have a series this weekend as we record on Thursday. They will be sitting and waiting to play the winner of either the Padres or the Mets. Yeah, hey, G. Uh, great to be back. Hi, James. Uh, long time no, no talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, the season has been absolutely magical from a, from a regular season standpoint, 111 wins. Uh, you shouldn't be pessimistic, uh, when your team almost wins 70% of their games. Um, but I am, and, uh, they haven't played a meaningful game in a, in a handful of weeks. I went to the game on Sunday. Uh, sure. They, they already had the seating locked up. It wasn't really a competitive game, but there weren't a lot of competitive at bats for the guys that are going to be in this playoffs against a really bad Rockies team. Uh, Marquez threw well, Bard's really good, but um, it's been amazing. They win, you know, they're, they're winning all, all over the, all, all different kinds of ways. The 212 home runs. Uh, it, it's unbelievable. The, the offense is crazy. The, the unsung heroes of Tyler Anderson and Tony Gonsolin, just absolutely, uh, you know, spellbounding. Um, but then you start to look at some other stats. They have the highest K percentage of anybody in the playoffs. Um, you know, their on-base percentage is below 350. Um, I'm not the only one that's pessimistic about this. If you look at fan graphs, to win the World Series, they have the third highest percentage. Houston's at 18%. Atlanta's at 17%. Dodgers only at 15%. They have them at under 50% at winning their first series, uh, which is unlike any of the other people that aren't playing this weekend. Um, so it isn't just a me thing. I just don't like the matchups either, um, either playing the Mets, um, the travel associated with that, the, the rotation associated with that, the Padres, our little brother down the five. Uh, I, you know, these matchups are just kind of wary. It's, it's really the short series that has me worried. Uh, more than anything, and and just the fact that they haven't had a big game in close to a month. Um, so those are the things that that really make me um, wary around uh, the the LDS. James, when we were talking a little bit uh, before we started recording, the the thing that feels a little different about this particular group is that they have this three headed monster of such studs when it comes to Trey. Mookie and Freddie that feel a little different than some of the other years. We've always had a really good stacked deep lineup, but having those three like MVP caliber players that anyone's going to have to attack, it's not going to be easy for other lineups. Talk to us a little bit about how you feel of the Dodgers coming into the playoffs. Well, yeah, I mean, those three are like three of the top 10 hitters probably in the game. And they've all been pretty playoff tested um, other than Turner, although he did win the world series. Uh, to take a step back, though, I, I was pretty optimistic, or I am optimistic about this. Um, ben, we just went to that Bruin game down at the Rose Bowl. Gutsy little Bruins. They're gutsy. He was, he was pessimistic. He thought we had no shot in it. I thought we had a shot. They won. So maybe that's just a sign of things. That's the difference between Ben and I. But, um, yeah, you have those three guys. They've been winning games all year uh, pretty easily. And, um, I mean, how can you not feel good about your chances? I, I mean, I hope hope – we get the pods but um whoever it is let's bring it and we'll win games like we have all year now there are a couple questions about this team when we want to sort of dive into how they're building the playoff roster i think it looks pretty uh, pretty easy up top 
some of the injuries have kind of made the decisions easy for them with the starting pitchers. It's going to be Kershaw and Urias games one and two for the Dodgers. Then following that, Ben is where things will start to get a little bit interesting because they have a lot of pitchers who have had, you know, Tony Gonsolin and Anderson both had great years, but Gonsolin is not quite built up. He's missed a lot of time and you have Dustin May who's super talented but he's not someone who's necessarily built up. So you you kind of wonder, what do they do next? Do you go with you know a Tyler Anderson? Do you start Gonsolin at the beginning of a game? Do you see how far he can go? And maybe you piggyback him with you know someone like another one of your you know a starter or someone who can go a little bit longer. What would your approach be following what I'm assuming would be one and two Kershaw Urias? Yeah, I, I think you know it's. Uh... I think it's serious Kershaw and then Anderson um, with Gonsolin kind of coming back. And especially in the first series, if they don't have to use him, uh, you know, obviously you, you don't want to, you don't want to, um, but it's an insane uh, embarrassment of riches when all of your starting pitchers that have had meaningful innings this year it, under a 3.1 ERA, yeah. um, you know, Anderson 2.5, Gonsolin 2.14, just absolutely insane. And they've gotten run support and Urias seven losses, but he, he was the one that wasn't getting a lot of run support early, but he's been unbelievable the last, you know, two months. Um, so to me, it's an, it's an Anderson game three and then game four, it's the Gonsolin Heaney may type situation. And then game five Urias, um, you know, the, the weird thing about the, this upcoming series is that it goes Tuesday, Wednesday, off day, Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, where they would have to fly back or travel back wherever um, Saturday night and play a game Sunday. So the the travel piece of it, so they're playing the Mets, that doesn't that isn't favorable for either team, but especially not the Dodgers. Um, you know the way that the the way that the rotations work out, it's really interesting. And, and tomorrow is going to be the the Mets have uh, their game one. It's going to be Scherzer versus Darvish, but they haven't announced game two. Um, so just kind of looking at the chess that Showalter is going to play, um, and you know it's going to be really interesting. And, and that mm-hmm. game one at, at home on Tuesday is obviously the biggest game of the year. And James, I, you know, coming into this year on paper, if you say, yeah, you have Bueller, you have Kershaw, Arias, you have a, a, a healthy May and Gonsolin. Wow. That's great. Walker gets hurt. He would have been the number one guy. He's been the big game pitcher. Now it's not as if the Dodgers, have a bad rotation that is out there. As Ben mentioned, their numbers, all of these guys have had career years when we're talking Gonsolin, Anderson. This is a good group. They're just sort of after Urias and Kershaw, we don't have a lot of guys proven in the postseason. It's going to be Anderson needing to kind of step up and continue on the good year that he had. It's going to be Gonsolin needing to pitch some big innings. And then they're going to need that bullpen that's been really strong to just kind of piece things together. Yeah, I mean, they're not like the household stud names that are they're like, you know, stud prospects and been with us for a long time, but they've produced all year, right? Like mm-hmm. so yeah, maybe the nerves will get on them, but it's not like the young guys. They've been seasoned around for a long time here. And I mean, if I'm a struggling or like fringe starting pitcher and I'm hitting about 30, I'm going to try to find a way to get to the Dodgers organization because they're going they're going to make them right. They're going to figure out how to get the best out of you. Yeah. And that's what they've done again. And that's why we're so deep and can withstand all these injuries. 
And, um, you know, if one guy doesn't work, those, those last two guys, which I agree with Ben with the rotation, but Anderson and Gosselin, if they're healthy, those guys are going to have short leashes. It's not like Urias and Kershaw. Mm-hmm. They're going to get yanked right away. And um, we have we have a ton of arms to put in there and get some that will deal for us. Because if we can get some confidence in a Gonsolin and in a May, uh, Ben, we've we've seen what what kind of a luxury it is to have someone that's a starting pitcher that can come out of the bullpen for you and throw some big innings. It was a few years ago when it was Julio that was closing the World Series for us, and he proved to be the real key. And we always had talked about how. We had loved when the Dodgers had give Maeda the opportunity to come out of the pen and just go like, go let him go three innings. If he can at the end, two, three innings, you know, like just let him keep rolling. It's nice to have that luxury. And I would, I would love for Gonsolin or may to even maybe have the opportunity to help us that way. But I think we need to see a couple outings from them first before we really put them in like a high leverage spot like that. Yeah, and May's been banged up. I mean, Gonsolin's coming off the off the, you know, he was shut down and might have been a phantom IL trip just to, you know, you know, watch uh, bring the down his, a little bit. Over, yeah, over his overall innings, he's way above his his career high. I think May's actually still they're trying to ramp him up from Tommy John, but yeah, if you bring at a guy that's throwing ninety nine and it's you know going three different ways on you with May it's an unbelievable advantage to, and no one's seen these, these Mets players, these Padres players haven't seen him in meaningful at bats. And that's, you know, that's a, that's an ace up your sleeve to, to have a guy like that um, come out, but, you know, getting away from Evan Phillips has been the, the he, MVP he, of that bullpen absolutely. this year. And he, he's got to be the guy. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's kind of crazy that Roberts hasn't come out and said like, he's my guy. Like, he's gotta this is, be, this is the closer. Um, James, how tight are your cheeks going to be if Craig Kimbrell <laughs> comes into a game to try to close than... this thing out and we're done and we're up by one run or two runs? I mean, and if it's a save situation, I mean, one run, I'm not even, I'm not even going to clinch him because I'm already going to expect a loss. <laughs> <laughs> two, two runs, I got to be, I got to be tight. And three, I think, three, I think he's got it. I think he's got the three run save mask. A little, the, I was going to say, because he's got, you he's know, got enough of a, a, a cushion there where, yeah. You know, and he doesn't he doesn't walk too many guys, so he'll give him a walk, a couple bloopers, and a frozen rope double, and then get out of it. But, uh, but yeah, one or two it needs to be Phillips, hands down. But, but I, yeah, I just I I don't think right now in a really close game you can go to Kimbrel. But there are a lot of other nice bullpen options that the Dodgers have had all throughout the year. I think it'll probably be some combination of these guys with. Um, we just mentioned Kimbrel. We just mentioned Phillips. I'd imagine Yancy Almonte, Bruce Starr. Heaney is nice because he can give you some long. If one of these guys get into trouble early and you need someone to eat some innings or you need a, a spot, like a spot, like a nice matchup, he's in there too. Probably Kimbrel, Martin, um, the, uh, Price, Vessia. Do you think Canely gets in there? I, I hope so because it's the closest my last name is ever going to be in them. There you go. I, I, I there you go. Yet, but absolutely, that out there right now. Um, and then you, you know, have Anderson, Gonsolin, Kershaw, Arias, and that's right. th- that's like thirteen pitchers that I mentioned right there. Yeah, I think Price is going to have a big moment. He's going to have a moment where it's like, all right, man, like, and he's been good. I mean, he's mm-hmm. for a thirty-six-year-old guy that has seen the moment a lot of times. That's like. 
when you want to give that person the ball, you need to know that they're ready for it. Uh, I love Vessia. Like that energy, man, is unbelievable. Um, the one that I'm just like not sold on in, in the big moment, moment is Bruzar just because of his youth and he doesn't have that dominant second pitch. These guys, anyone at this level, especially in the playoffs, can turn around 101, 105 if it's straight. Um, but like the, the, the movement that these other guys offer um, or the craftiness of if it's a, if it's a Ferguson um, that, that can, that can break, yeah. but Almonte has those two pitches that you don't know what's coming. Um, so it, it's really, I, I think the Dodgers do a great job of, of situational awareness and getting guys ready for these moments in specific situations. And um, you know, it, it's a nice mixture of, of lefties and righties as well. So it's not too dependent on one side uh, looking at, you know, depending on the Padres or the Mets, but um, yeah, it, it's kind of a toss up uh, with who is going to be those bridge guys and, and all of that. And James, we can't forget about uh, Hanser Alberto, who could also come in and throw some innings Shut for down, us. Baby. You know, if, uh, if, <laughs> if if one of the team favorites there. So I'd imagine he, he'll be probably one of the last guys on the roster too with the infielders who look like you'll have a pretty straightforward, like Freddie Freeman, Muncie, Gavin Lux, Turner, Justin Turner, and Trey Turner. Not a bad group there along with Austin Barnes and Will Smith. And you know what's nice, James, too, that I don't think gets talked about enough is that just in a series and in playoffs when lots of weird stuff can happen, it's nice to have a guy like Austin Barnes who's a solid backup catcher. I don't mind him having having to have an at-bat, and he's actually got good speed. And if need be, he can play a different position too. He just is like – he has a lot of versatility to him. Yeah, which is what the Dodgers love with their roster, right? I mean, mm-hmm. everybody – feels like everybody on their team could play two positions. Absolutely. I mean, yep. Like you, you wouldn't be surprised if anyone playing outside of Freeman really, but um, on that same, on that same sort of note, actually Bellinger is a guy obviously can play multiple positions. Got mm-hmm. a little hot lately. Yes. I believe isn't he going into arbitration or is he going to be a free agent this year? Mm-hmm. For some money. Yep. This yeah. is always and what happens right before. He's nine for 20 in his last six games, two jacks, eight ribbies. I'm just saying Scott Burroughs is probably on him to catch fire. He's done it before. So that's just a guy um, I think is going to get hot for us this year. And Cody, Ben, like it's interesting with Cody because when Cody is struggling, it's like you you know that they can just attack him. He's like really starts to struggle and he can get in his own head. But he has come up with some big hits and some big moments and some huge plays, even when he is struggling. He he's not like afraid of the moment. He just will struggle. Like I don't think he, I don't think he's nervous when it comes time for a big at bat. It's just if he's struggling, he he doesn't make the adjustments. He's kind of stubborn up there. But man, yeah. he's so athletic and he's so good in the field that if he's one of your weaker parts in your lineup, you still have a pretty damn good lineup out there for a guy like that who can run into one. Right. And, and if he just gets on base, I mean, his legs are one of his greatest weapons yep. uh, pulling up, you know, looking at what he did this year, 150 strikeouts, almost the highest that he, that he had, but 19 home runs um, and 14 stolen bases. So like if he can just get on base, if he just cuts down on the strikeouts, his value is in center field. He pl- probably plays the best center field out of anyone in the playoffs um, and him as an eight hole 
we saw what he did against the Braves last year. Um, we hit the ball over his head into like the loudest Dodger stadiums ever been. I was unfortunate out there, but um, it, it's an unbelievable guy to have as your weakest part of your lineup. Um, and I think he knows, and he, he's done it since he was 11. You know, he, he's been in these massive moments his whole life and he's only 26. So like, I, I think that he can call upon, um, last year in game five against the giants, that was massive. And he went the other way and it was, it, he wasn't trying to do too much. If he just does that and passes the baton and turns the lineup over to Betts and Turner and Freeman, um, that that's where this thing gets humming. And we see Hanser Alberto close the game out when they're up 10. Um, that's the, that's when I'll be you know, very optimistic. Uh, but yeah, it's um, you know the the clear matchup that that I want is is the Padres. If you look at what the Dodgers did against the Padres, top to bottom, their top one through six batted over two seventy this year against the Padres. They, they played them eighteen times. Uh, I think they went fifteen and or they won fifteen of those games, and they outscored them one hundred nine to forty seven. And that's something yeah. you were saying, James, too. Like we don't ever want to be in a situation where you're rooting for an opponent, but just. The way these teams match up in a shorter series with, you know, pitching with the teams that you're more familiar with, like, yeah, you, you'd you want to play the team that you had a lot more success with. I'm not saying like, oh, yeah, bring on the Padres. It would be a guarantee. We've seen as Dodger fans, there's never a guarantee. Baseball, once you get in, then it's a crapshoot. Like getting in, it's different than basketball or football or other sports because baseball, there are so many variables with pitching and with all these different things that can happen, but of, of how they look at, you know, either the Dodgers playing the Padres or the Mets, I think we'd probably all want them to play the Padres. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, they kind of know who their daddy is, right? Like we've yep. taken them to the woodshed for how many years now and 18 times a year. And with the Mets, even with them struggling, you still have those two dominant pitchers that if those two are lights out, um, I mean, you may just be going home. Like, you got no shot. And then you have to deal with, you know, Bassett or Carrasco, who th- those aren't horrible options. The Dodgers or were Walker. three and seven. Yeah, the Dodgers were three and four this year against the Mets. They were basically dead even in runs scored, like 24 to 25 in the seven runs scored. So they were um, they were close there. I think a lot of, you know, the Dodgers lineup for the most part is pretty set into place, but it's it's really the the one outfield spot, right, Ben? That yeah. it kind of comes down to because Chris Taylor has been banged up through a lot of the year. And so if we can slot Mookie and right and Cody in center, it'll come down to left field and it'll come down to either Chris Taylor, Gallo, Trace, or Lux. I guess yeah. like one of I, one of them yeah. in that spot. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, Taylor is my guy. Like he was the one guy I wanted them to sign more than anyone this last offseason. I thought, you know, Kershaw might retire. I knew Seager and Scherzer were going to walk and and I was going to be heartbroken if Taylor if Taylor went anywhere else. He just feels like a Dodger. He's been in these massive moments. The 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 playing game last year with the walk-off, the, you know, NLCS against the Cubs, like he's been there and if he can just turn it around, cut down on some of those strikeouts, he again, is another guy that can just like move it down the lineup. Um, and just some of the bats just haven't been good. Like it is, is one of the lowest uh, on base percentages on the team. He just um, looks like he's just not right. He's pressing. You know what I mean? yeah. Like he's pressing. 
You're right. And I, I just don't know, you know, Gallo is, he's a good, he's good glove, but again, it, like in he's the playoffs, nice you need productive outs to have for, I like the option of Gallo late in the game to go right. to, yeah. if you need him for like a pinch hit, Hey, we're down. And like, let's let Gallo see if he can run into one right now. I don't know right. if I want him getting four bats a game. Right. And then Thompson, he's, he's, unbelievable resurgence like no one saw this coming you, you know even the the biggest dodger fan when they signed him they didn't think he was gonna turn 13 around into the bleachers and you know hit almost 270 um the one last thing about the padres that that really would be great for the dodgers is those away games would actually be home games you're right Dodger Stadium South would be the travel is, would be incredible for the Dodgers just not right, having safe, to go yeah. far. That would be great. You're right. You just drive. You yeah. don't have to don't have to get on a plane. That's right. that's a great point too. As far as just hey, we're not rooting for anyone, but isn't it nice to just drive down the freeway instead of having to worry about getting on that plane and going to New York? Yeah, like, and the and and with the lineup and like the it would be awesome to see a kid like Vargas get his get some run he uh, he's not ready it, it's really interesting like i don't know what you do with lux the the beauty of the dh this year though is that you could you know you can slot him in in a matchup um because we or, saw yeah. i don't know i i like lux quite a bit i do and he's he's improved and he's been good and we've seen you know like really nice production from him i don't know if i want him in the outfield still no. In big moments like we saw last year, he's gotten a little better there. But Trace is just a much better outfielder, as yeah. is a healthy Chris Taylor, right? Chris right. Taylor made, has made some incredible game-saving plays for us in big yeah. games. Um, so that that's another question that you have to ask. What do you think of the the other option there, James? What would you do in the other left, like in the left field spot right now, if you had to fill in there? Um, I'd probably just. I mean, I'd kind of just go with matchups. Uh, look at like who guys have had success against, you yeah. know, tendencies because there's no clear cut choice. I mean, no, there isn't. They, I, they all have their I, weaknesses and strengths. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and I wholeheartedly agree. You can't trot Gallo out, Gallo out, and hope for a one for five with a jack or one for four with a jack and a walk. Um, just too in, many in a matchup with him late in the game, just like you're saying, you bring him in for a matchup. I'm fine with that, and then he's fine in the outfield, so you can leave him in if you have to. You don't have to maneuver things all over the place, but. Yeah, I, I don't like. I just don't want him. I don't think you can put him and Bellinger both out there, giving right. them eight at bats because right, Ben, because they're kind of going to give you the similar sort of well, like. It well, to be honest, all three of those guys strike out at an alarmingly right. high rate. I know. So yeah. like, I mean, what are you getting? Like, who's better defensively? I I, I would want Taylor just because he's been there, uh, yeah. more speed, mm-hmm. solid defensively, and I feel like that's more. Uh, Robert's guy. He's, yeah. he's got. And you can grit. move him down. You can move him into second. You can take him to third. He can play. You know, Gallo can play left and yeah, and right and maybe first. But Taylor can play three he makes positions. Makes it easier for you right. to make adjustments if you have to anywhere and any kind of switches at all. And yeah, he's another guy who just you you're not afraid of him in a big moment, even when he's struggling. You can still kind of feel that he's he can run into one. At, at any moment, just a night like a hard screaming double, you know, one hops the fence, and like I, you trust him a little bit more than someone like Gallo. And yeah, I mean, I'd love to see Trace get at least a couple opportunities in games. You know, he's been swinging so well, like you know, like you're saying, James. If it's a good matchup for him, and he's kind of got those backward splits, which is funny about him too. He, yeah. um, he hits the righties pretty well, 
Um, I think, which is, you know, normally they bring in a guy like trace for the, for some of the lefties, but he's, he is in that same vein of what you were mentioning, James, just what we as fans have kind of gotten a little bit, you know, we've been greedy as Dodger. We were greedy as Dodger fans. Cause they've been so good, but I don't know if we sit back enough and, and just realize how good of front offices we have where they can go out and look and find, Oh, Hey, you know, trace, he can come and play for us right now. As Ben said, I don't think anybody figured he'd be playing this well, but he was someone that came in, slid in, fit right in. He was in a spot where he wasn't getting much run where he was there. They do it with starting pitchers. They do it with bullpen guys where they bring them, they revamp them. And it's not only a team that's willing to go spend. They're just a smart and very well-run organization right now. And as a bonus, we got to see Clay come and delete like 10 beers and share them out. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely. Preseason. He's not going to be at any playoff games preseason. He's, you know, he's back in, uh, back in game shape. It would also be awesome if Thompson got some run in this first series if they played the Padres because he was on the Padres this year. He played six yeah, games for cool. the Padres. So it would be pretty awesome if he got a big moment against a team that could have had him uh, or could have kept him rather uh, on their squad. So the Dodgers will be playing the winner of the Padres and the Mets. Well, uh, this series will start on Tuesday. We'll have to bring James and Ben back after the Dodgers win the divisional series. So that way we can preview the uh, NLCS and then we'll do so the game. The so uh, on so and on so and so forth before the World Series. Knock on wood. I heard the wood being knocked on back there <laughs> and we'll fingers crossed that. But we got to we got to be confident as uh Let's get a little prediction before I let you guys out of here on the Friday games and the Friday series that start. So b- baseball only has a few days of the year where they get these all day series and it's like a baseball day. Friday is one of them where you have games that start at no- uh, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time for us out here with the Rays in Cleveland and all of these matchups, honestly, they could go either way. I really don't think in any of these series, there's just like an overwhelming favorite, which makes them so fun and, and why they're wild cards Dodgers and the Braves get buys on the national league side on the American league side. You have the Yankees and the Astros. They both get buys on uh, to the next round. So Ben opening game, we have Tampa Cleveland game one for Tampa. It's uh McClanahan game one for Cleveland. We've got Bieber over there. Um, Cleveland, a slight favorite because they're at home in that one over under in this game is down to six. We have no, none of these over unders are higher than seven in the four games on the day. Well, Vegas knows everything as we all know. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. I, you know, for our good friend, Don, uh, I circled the guardians. I'm looking at it. I, I feel dumb for doing it, but uh, I, I, you know, I don't know why I'm discounting the Rays because the Rays going Ray and they just, they make it happen every year. But I, I like the guardians because of the home field. Um, it's going to be rocking. What do you, you know, if you're in Cleveland on a Friday at noon, what else are you doing? Are you working? No, you're at this game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably not so showering be, or bathing either. Yeah. You know? I don't think, yeah. yeah. Running water is kind of tough for them out there. Optional. They just go to the lake, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all in on guardians winning, uh, getting to play the Astros, right. That's the, that's who gets to go play them. Yeah. The winner of Tampa or no winner, uh, winner of Tampa Cleveland will play the Yanks. And then the winner of the Seattle blue Jays series will go on and play the Astros who are the one seed. So yeah, this is the three versus the six here. So winner of this one would play the Yanks. 
Got it. So yeah, I think I think Guardians take it. James, who, who I know you have that Tampa Bay hat still probably floating around your house. Uh, what, what what do you think? I mean, honestly, I'm flipping a coin. I'm just glad the Dodgers aren't in this extra short series and we get to sit back and relax for a little bit. Um, and I mean, full disclaimer: with football starting, the Dodgers clinched. I have I've taken my eye off. Absolutely, it's been a little bit, and that's what happens. People, you you the, especially with us, the last three weeks it's been really hard to be all that checked into like what Ben said and that that's that's a little scary for the Dodgers also I in these short series I I like Tampa in the shorter series because they have just so many moving parts in the once you get longer and like deeper in the seven game series I just I'm always worried that they don't have quite enough starting pitching and that the bullpen will kind of wear down but I still think in these shorter series Tampa just has maybe a few more moving pieces you know, Ben kind of going through the just sort of looking on paper. So the second game we have Philly, St. Louis. I mean, none of these are big dogs. Like honestly, all of the underdogs could win this. Maybe even yeah. all dogs go to heaven parlay here, Jimmy mm. James on uh, on uh, Friday, a few bucks yeah, on you, one. You're 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 speaking to the choir here with that. Uh huh. Dogs right here. So anything in the uh, Philly, St. Louis? Um, I I don't know if I can trust Quintana. He has been fantastic this year. He's been incredible, but I still, I I don't know if it's just thinking of some of those really, really bad years that he's had. I don't know if I can trust him like season on the line position like this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, he's not like your dominant ace that you're throwing out there, right? Kind of a smaller crafty lefty and he's been good this year, but he hasn't been as good as any Dodgers starter. I mean, really? So that's your ace. Maybe they're riding the power of pool holes through it all, but. Yeah, you can't feel that great about it. But, Benny Bo- you know, you're going against the Phils. It's it's kind of a coin flip. Benny Boy, anything in the Wheeler-Quintana game on Friday? I think, you know, the the lineups are great. Like, this is a really fun – that's why I'm surprised that this is – what is it, six or six and a half? Not that it really matters. I but, think this one's up to seven now, yeah. Um, you know, you, Schwarber's going to run into one because that's what that guy does. Goldschmidt and Arenado on the other side are going to be great. Like, I, I think this is the – this is the series that isn't going to get enough love. That's actually going to be like knockdown drag out. Um, so I like, I like the Cardinals going on pool story just lives on. It's been such a fun year for them. Um, Wayno, Yachty, all those guys. Uh, and they've had, you know, the young kids come up and, and produce too. So I, I like the Cardinals in game one and, and taking it home field advantage. St. Louis is going to be ready to rock. Seattle's kind of had a cool year uh, for them. You know, they won 90 games this year. They'll play a Toronto team that won a couple more games than them. Then the winner of this series will uh, will move along and play Houston. And uh, a big trade, Benjamin, was uh, Castillo. He was someone that we thought maybe the Dodgers would have been in on. But when he moved from the Reds, he's someone that is really capable of going out there. He has great stuff when he has his A game. He's a slight dog in this one. Um and uh, an, an intriguing matchup for two teams who would, I think, feel pretty good about their season if they could just get get through this series and and you know move one step forward. Hundred percent. I, I work with a couple of people from Seattle, and uh, they when they played Toronto earlier this year in July, uh, he said that it was there were so many Blue Jays fans there, and I was hoping that this was going to be in Seattle just with them not being in the playoffs for twenty years. All these you know people from Vancouver and all over coming up to to Seattle to see it. I'm all in on the Mariners. I want them to move on. Just it's it's more it's my heart, not my head. Uh, but Castillo, Low Gill, um, you know Marco, 
those guys, those guys are good. And, and their lineup is sneaky. Good. Ty France had an amazing first half kind of peter off um, PJ or JP Crawford or yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's a fun team. It, it's a, it's the team that I think, you know, I'll say it America's team. It, it, everyone wants the Mariners to, they, to move I agree. On. There's a good energy this year yeah. for them. And I, I'd love to see them move on. And then uh, James, we've talked about this last series a little bit because this one's the one that's got the most intrigue for us Dodger fans. You Darvish against Max Scherzer. Got a couple former Dodgers starting in game one for their series. And you know what? We couldn't ask for Darvish to be coming into the playoffs any better. His last six games, the Padres are five and one. He's pitched 39 innings. He's given up eight total runs and only 23 hits in those 39 innings. He has a 1.85 ERA, a 166 batting average against, and he struck out 44. I, I, He's feeling good right now. You'd rather have him coming in like that than coming in struggling. You know, even Scherzer had, you look in his, you dive into his last month, month and a half. He has a couple outings where he, he gave up four, even his last game. You know, they lost to Atlanta. That's one of the reasons why the Mets are are here. They probably don't feel all that happy about being in this situation where the Padres sort of knew all along all year they weren't going to win the division. They knew they were going to be a wild card team at best. And there were even some moments where the Padres looked like they weren't going to make it. Yeah. I mean, it's uh it's tough when you're in the same division as the Dodgers. But yeah, Darvish is going well. And when he's not tipping his pitches or getting signs stolen, turns out he's pretty good, huh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Tur- makes him a out, lot, lot more dominant. Turns out, tur- turns out he can uh, he can do the uh, he can do a thing or two on the mound. The Dodgers have lost to the Cubs, who won the World Series, the Astros, the Red Sox, the Nationals. Then the Dodgers won. And then last year they lost to the Braves. Ben, we're gonna win it this year, right? Come on, Ben. Did we get you a little get more confident through, after this conversation? Then, get through round one. Honestly, I'm just the most nervous about the DS, the short series. I want the Mets Padres to go five. So that it's, you know, kind of plotting it out. You would get Taiwan Walker game one, potentially. Like, I think the Mets don't throw. If the Mets win tomorrow, they throw Bassett game two. And they try to get away without even throwing DeGrom. they try to get away without going DeGrom. But I hope they lose game one. They have to throw DeGrom game two. And then they go Bassett game three, Walker for the Dodger series. And then it's Scherzer game two at home. Um, so that like the best case scenario is that this thing goes to, to Sunday, um, for, you know, for the team that we support. Ben, James, two of my best buds. Thank you so much for, uh, taking a half hour or so out and coming and talking Dodgers with me. It's sort of nice that we can kind of kick back on this first weekend and we don't have to stress too much. We can just sort of watch everybody else stress out. And then Tuesday, I mean, we're fans of everything, football, basketball, baseball we love watching playoffs but there's just something different with the baseball playoffs on the pitch to pitch how anxious it is and like for four hours four and a half hours you're just sitting there like every single moment benjamin are you have any uh plans to go to the game any of the games i'll be in the house tuesday uh lord willing and um you know hopefully not a one o'clock start uh but this this conversation and playoff baseball is infinitely better than this Thursday night game that's going on right now. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no uh, touchdowns. Uh, no so touchdowns far. on this. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm super stoked. I'll be there for sure. Game one. 
uh, biggest game of the year. Uh, and then, you know, if, uh, if they make it to the next round, I know Jimmy is going to be uh, game one of the, of the CS2. So we'll be in the yep. house waving our blue towels. Probably seeing Ashton Kutcher waving the big flag on top of the, the dugout or whoever they're choosing. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun and people are going to show up. James, buddy, thank you so much. And uh, I'll be uh, coming over there maybe one of these games in the uh, the first series and watching it over there with you. Uh, we'll kick back and, and throw a few drinks back and root for the Dodgers. Anytime, bro. I'll have the cheese bread, cheese fries ready to rock. Perfect. That's why these guys are my buddies. They know. They know the way to my heart. Cheese fries, cheese light, bread. Light I'm... fries, extra Sim- cheese. Simple man, just a simple man. Uh, Folks, I hope you enjoyed hearing a little more about the Dodgers and talking a little bit about the baseball playoffs. We'll continue to check in on the baseball playoffs over the next few weeks. This is such a good time in sports with football and college football going on. The Lakers are playing preseason games right now. In a few weeks, it'll be NBA and college basketball happening along with hockey the breeders cup and horse racing is just a few weeks away too this end of october is incredible a big thank you to james and to ben for helping us out and don't go anywhere folks we still have a lot more to discuss on this episode of that's what she said racing fans many of us have been using the drf the daily racing form for years studying the races keeping up to date on news with all the articles i remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack wherever i was going now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use drf with drf.com and the newly optimized drf mobile you can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And Any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. 
and you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Join us every Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. This weekend in Stable Duel, Matt DeSantis and Barry Spears join me. We get you all set up for the Stable Duel weekend with contest details, best bets for Friday and for Saturday. It's the no chalk zone, so we're only giving out horses 5 to 1 and above. Friday, we'll be talking lots of Keeneland, lots of Santa Anita. There's actually a free ride at Santa Anita, two different games at Keeneland on Friday, and a Gulfstream Park game. Then on Saturday, you have that same exact schedule, Keeneland and Santa Anita. Gulfstream also with the game. Sunday, Keeneland, Santa Anita, and Golden Gate are your stable dual options. Get those entries in and play, race, win. Let's talk a little bit about Keeneland for Friday. So yeah, we'll talk Keeneland and Santa Anita Friday best bets and stakes races and we'll do the same for Saturday. So at Keeneland on Friday, get your past performances out. Always looking at the daily racing form past performances and we're looking at October the 7th for Friday opening day at Keeneland. My first play on the card is going to be a little later on in the card. We're going to flip to race number six. That kicks off the late pick five. It's a maiden special eight going six furlongs, two-year-olds. I like the three in here, Mobster. This is a two-year-old son of Uncle Mo. This is a first-time starter. The dam of this one was a four-time winner. She was a grade one winner at two, and she won her debut. She has produced six siblings to race, five of them winners. Three won their debut, and one of them was named Magic Star, who's a grade three winner. This barn is 15% with first-time starters over the last five years. And in the last year alone, they have wins at Woodbine, at Kentucky, at Gulfstream, and at Churchill Downs with first-time starters. Cassie and Gaffleone team up. Really steady work tab for Mobster. I like the three. Mobster, 8-1 to one on the morning line. I'll use along with the five ZZ's prints in some other exotics there too. Those are maybe a little... Little middle type price horses that could help you out in uh, in any type of late pick fives. The seventh race feels like uh, a race where I think a lot of people will kind of key in on a few horses. Sibelius will take a good amount of money, as will Special Reserve. I like the three a little bit. Top Gunner. I'm hoping he can sit right behind Special Reserve and Sibelius. Top Gunner had a good start last out. He pressed from second. He was just off. He moved up to challenge, and he looked like he had a lot of run. He maybe needed the race. He came up a bit empty. He has more punch than that. He's not far off what it would take to win this race. I think he sits a great trip. I think Necker Island really gets the uh, the trip. So I'll three and six all over the place. I'm, and I'm really not that high on Special Reserve, and I'm wondering if Special Reserve and Sibelius get you know caught up. This is a horse who had a great year last year. And he won this race, he won the Phoenix, and he went on, he finished a close-up fourth in the Breeders' Cup. But 
we've only seen him in a few starts this year. They've both been on off tracks. He's just hard to get a read on for a horse in a short price who might have other speed to deal with. The eighth race is the Jessamine. Mile and a 16th for two-year-old fillies going long on the turf. I thought this is a real spread-out type race. I'm looking towards the outside with both the uh, 11 and 12 as major players. Knock your socks off. Had a slow start last time out on the yielding turf and made a huge move. About 10 lengths off, tipping to the outside. And moved all the way up to challenge for the lead. Five wide before flattening out. Knock your socks off. The 12 toehead just missed last time out. The one-horse Sabalinka, also a major player, was very impressed by that win last time out. The four promise of hope if you wanted to go deeper. What's wrong with the six and seven? And then the ten, Stephanie's Charm tries the turf. Many ways to go. I'll put 11, 12, 1 as my top few. Four, six, seven, ten. That's how I'll rank them. 11, 12, 1, 4, 6, 7, 10. That's, I kind of sort of rank horses and then when I put together my tickets I can kind of cut out and know who I want or need based on uh, know where they stack up the ninth is the Darley Alcibiades the 12 horse to me is very interesting take charge Brianna completely missed the break in her last start she was 10 off she angled to the outside she flew late a couple starts back she ran behind next out grade 1 winner Chocolate Gelato and take charge Brand, uh, Brianna should get some pace to chase in here. I don't think she'll have any issues with this distance. So I'm I'm giving her a shot. Others in here that figure to fit. I wonder Wheel could get a great trip from the inside, either flashing speed or sitting just behind the leaders. Fun and Feisty is also a major player in here. Just Cindy lost footing a little bit at the start last time out. You know, you may be able to give her a shot to bounce right back. The the four raging sea, I kind of have a some questions about her, but I'll use 12, 1 all over the place, 9, 11, and then 4 behind them. That's race number 9. The 10th race, closing things out, it's a second level allowance. The 8 horse will probably be pretty tough on the front end, Fairchild. There's not all that much speed in here, but the 11 could sit a really nice trip. At 10 to 1, progressing up some upside there. The one Mia Martina is a horse who does have some better races than we've seen from her in her last few. So I went eleven eight one to close out the Keeneland Friday opening day card. Good luck on Friday over at Keeneland. Let's head to Santa Anita for Friday. Santa Anita Friday. Let's talk a little bit about the first race. We'll start right there. Race number one. One a mile. On the turf course, I like the eight Alexander Helios, who's going to try the turf for the first time. Stretched out from five to six and a half, now to a mile, so you get that nice progression. The blinkers come off. He has run into two really nice horses in his first two starts. He lost to Having a Meltdown and Cave Rock. Having a Meltdown came back after his win, and he won the grade. Th- he won a grade three. At Del Mar, then he finished second in a Grade One behind Cave Rock. So these were your top two finishers in the Del Mar Futurity, and Alexander Helios had to deal with both of them. And in, in his debut, he was kind of fourth from the outside, a couple lengths off. He was no match. His second start, he stumbled. He took a few strides to get going, and he kind of got bumped. He was down on the inside. He tries the turf now. He's a half to a horse named Rombauer, who was a winner on the turf. He's also a half. To another horse who stakes placed on the turf And another horse who finished second twice on the turf 
he he really fits pretty well. First time on the grass in here. Give me the eight, Alexander Helios. He's eight to one on the morning line. Uh, we'll make a win wager if we can get anything around five or so. Let's continue through the Friday Santa Anita card. Where are we headed next? Where are we headed next? Race number seven. And we'll be going down the hill. I like the four Issa Court. Now this filly is lightly raced and, and she has not raced since January. But the downhill layout is a really good spot to come back off the bench because a lot of it is downhill. It's a little bit easier. It's not quite as demanding of a course to have to ask a horse to come off a long layoff. Issa Court could be three for three. She drew the rail in her debut. She was close up inside. She had to back up to fourth. She lost a couple lengths of positioning. She was just behind and she could not get through. Then she comes back and wins her next two at a mile. One of them on the turf, one on the dirt. The downhill layout should be perfect for her. And the way the race shapes up could be perfect for her. Because you have Laurel Canyon who's really fast. You have Smiling Molly who's really quick. And... You know, Issa Court might be able to sit right behind them and sit like third or fourth in here and get a really nice trip. I think it's a good spot for Issa Court, the number four, in race number seven. Moving along at Santa Anita to race number nine. We close things out looking at the number five in here. Another long turf race. We're going a mile on the turf in this one. And I'm looking at Spirit Maker. Who's second off the short break Who's versatile He got crossed over on and was in some early traffic And he got pushed four wide into the turn He settled three deep He made an early move up the challenge And was able to win It's not really a trip that you normally see Winning on the turf wide like that And you know you start to dive into his races Race by race They're a little bit better Than if you just glance at the form overall You see Dicemo Chara In a race where he was off a little slow You see Gold Phoenix in a race where he was Dealing with a little bit of trouble Burning turf in Gold Phoenix again And just really sharp horses He's kind of sneaky Spirit maker and he's around 5-1 to one or so um, I think 7-2 to two plus I'd make a win wager on him That's Friday Over at Santa Anita Let's move to Saturday if you need any help in the world of real estate, make sure to head to cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, full-service realtor. Cindy Carava can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing, anything you need in the world of real estate, cindycarava.com. Keeneland, October the 8th. Let's flip to race number six. A lot of stakes races there on the Keeneland Saturday card. It's the grade two Woodford in race number six, and Golden Powell will always take a lot of money in spots like this But if he gets beat It'll be because there's horses like Artemis City Limits in here And possibly one or two others That try to push him I think Catamosto with a 9 Could sit a nice trip Moves off the rail He lost to a horse named Big Invasion Who had won 6 in a row That was the first start in the US for Catamosto the fourth, uh, the sixth place finisher, that's right, came back to win the Grade Three Turf Monster next out at Parks. And when Catamosto drew the rail, he moved to second. He was chasing. He moved to the lead, but was immediately tackled by the very nice Big Invasion. And Catamosto held second. I like the nine in here, ten to one. Anything around six, we'd make a win wager. The seventh race is the TCA, six for a long sprint. Slammed, did. 
have to deal with some trouble last time out. He had a few, she had a few slow strides out of the gate, but she was up to second to press. She battled with Edgeway the length of the stretch. Two starts back, she beat a horse named Midnight Memories, who has come back to win two graded stakes races in a row. And she lost to a horse named Pauline's Pearl, who's a grade one winner and a millionaire. Slammed is the horse to beat, in my opinion, here. But I think Liberty MD is a kind of an intriguing long shot. You dive into some of her races. She had trouble on August the 7th, just put a line right through that one. And then what's wrong with the form? She was behind a horse named Tiz Splendid News, who's won three in a row. Kamari, legitimate, classy filly there, grade one winner. Liberty MD. Intriguing long shot. I'll use the six and seven in some exotics there in race number seven on Saturday. In race number eight, the price on Princess Grace is kind of intriguing in a competitive, wide open race. Now, Regal Glory could get a perfect trip because it looks like there are a few other speeds in here, and Regal Glory's become a little more versatile now. She might be able to sit off nicely and, uh, and pick up the pieces. Let's move to the ninth race. It's the Breeders' Futurity. I like the five instant coffee. It was a few steps slow on the inside. He had to settle behind horses and he had to keep himself out of some traffic. He was sixth, about four off, kept to the inside, got a nice opening, ends up winning that race. Fourth place finisher came back to win next time out. Like the five instant coffee. Obviously, Forte, Fantastic again, Lost Ark. None of them would surprise their horses that'll probably all be in the mix for me. And then in race number 10. It's the Coolmore Turf Mile. But the uh, the 12 set piece had a big shot in here. You know, you have Classic Causeway, who's really quick. Smooth Leg Straight is really quick early. Gray's Fable is not slow. Mason wants to be close up in here. You have Santin, Annapolis, Some Like It Hot Brown is fast. The other two are more pressers. Set piece could get a really nice trip. And the outside draw may not hurt him as much Because he's such a stone cold closer He's going to draw back towards the back of the pack anyways Set Peace Should get tons of pace to chase in here He's 15 to 1 on the morning line And he's got one of the best closers If not the best closer aboard Joel Rosario That's Saturday at Keeneland Let's move to Saturday at Santa Anita Don't forget about those pick'em contests Pick'em.sananita.com They're totally free Stop real quick Go type in that website, pick'em.sananita.com, and then start playing, filling out your entry while you listen to the Santa Anita Saturday. Saturday, October the 8th for Santa Anita. Let's flip to the fifth race, which is the grade one Rodeo Drive. I like the five, Niji Blanche. She comes out of a trouble trip last time out, and this is a classy filly who fits pretty well with this group, and I think she's going to be just a little better priced than a couple of the top-tier contenders. She wanted to go... But she ended up sitting inside, she was in tight She was back to second And then there was an outside early move That pushed her farther back Inside, she was Loaded, she had just had nowhere to go And I, There's not that much early speed in here I would love if they got aggressive with her And tried to put her on the front end She's done well when they put her right on the lead before I like the 5 in here Niche Blanche Sixth race is the Chandelier. How about Naughty Lottie coming in from Louisiana Downs? The horses that intrigue me in here a lot, it's, it's a pretty contentious race. Jestique is really talented. She had to miss time with training, though. But, I mean, she has a lot of ability. Going from 5.5 to a mile in a 16th is not easy. The three home cooking, she made an early wide move and she opened up. She looked like she was going to crush. I think she's 
sitting on a big one here. I probably like her the most. Ice Dancing, I'm not ready to give up on her yet. I'll probably use her in some exotics too. So those would be the, uh, the top for me, 2, 3, and 7. And in race number 8, let's hit the 8th and the ninth race at Santa Anita for Saturday. The 8th race is the Grade 1 American Pharaoh. And I'm looking at the number 7 in here, Skinner. Cave Rock, super impressive. National Treasure, very impressive. You have Hijazi, who's still a maiden, but he's really nice, and he's stretching out from five and a half. I know that they're not all going to go to the lead, but with those three, McNamara, Gandolfini, how is there not a lot of early speed in here? And who is going to benefit? Skinner. He progressed nicely from start one to start two. Now he goes from five furlongs to seven furlongs to the mile in the 16th. The stretch out shouldn't be as much for him. He was last about 10 off, but he kept to the inside. He moved in between horses. He tipped to the outside, and he showed some really nice late interest in that race. I think he's sneaky in here. Skinner, the number seven. We move to the ninth race. I like the one Kentucky Pharaoh in here. The rail draw going down the hill can be a little tricky sometimes, but Kentucky Pharaoh has been going longer, and the six and a half should be perfect for him. Just a little bit flat when he needed to to start rolling last time out. Last time out, and two starts back, he was just behind a horse named Brand, who came right out to win a Grade Two at Kentucky Downs. The one, Kentucky Pharaoh, eight to one on the morning line. Anything over five will make a win wager. So that's some Friday Saturday racing for you there. Let's shift our focus on over to the NFL. Yeah, we're gonna talk some NFL. Week 5, I actually recorded this with Eric on Wednesday night, so we recorded before the Thursday night football game. I talked a little bit about that, and I cut that out because it, we played it on social media. So if it sounds like we start sort of abrupt, that's the reason why. Be first, uh, before we talk to Eric, though, I want you to hear about Sarah Candles, all-natural soy wax candles with the holiday season coming up. Get some of those pumpkin spice ones right now. Then you'll need uh, you know, more of a, the... the Thanksgiving scent. Still roll with the pumpkin there. Then we flip to Christmas afterwards. CERACandles.com. Promo code Gino will get you 10% off. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax. Non-toxic, baby. Scents for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mm -hmm. Next game, uh, this is in London. So we head to London for Giants Packers. Now, what do we know as of right now about Daniel Jones in this game? We know nothing. Nothing as of Wednesday night. We don't know exactly if he's going to play or not. So, I mean, that's bringing in quarterbacks to work out. That's all I know. If it's not him, it's Davis Webb, correct? Davis Webb, or they brought back, uh, what's his name, Jake Fromm? Fromm. And last week, Barkley was taking a lot of snaps. Um, Sometimes they'll just, you know, take direct snaps with him. So the Packers are an eight-point favorite in this game. Over-under in this one is 41 on the Packers' side. They are now 3-1. and 
both of these teams are three and one. So someone's going to be four and one kind of, I honestly would say for both of them, a little uninspiring for the giants, for them, they don't have any expectations. So it's awesome for them to be three and one. Anytime they can win a game, it's great for them. Stack wins. If they can get themselves into the playoffs in a year where 15 teams right now, Eric are two and two half the league is two and two. If you can just stack wins, you're going to be in great shape. And Green Bay hasn't looked all that incredible. This is not the old Green Bay that scores 40 points, you know, and blows you out. They had a really tale of two halves for Rodgers last week. Really bad pick six by Rodgers in the first half. He was just four of 11. Very good second half. 17 for 24, 270 yards, two touchdowns, and a DPI big pass on third and 10. And then at one point, Dobbs dropped what would have been a go-ahead touchdown. It was a good game for Lazard, who you had pointed out early on. There were rumblings that this might be the guy, you know, and after a little while, it's starting to look like he's the go-to guy. Six catches, 116 yards and a touchdown. Five that picked up first downs in three gains of 20-plus yards. Really nice game for Jones on the ground. The one thing that's an interesting matchup about this game, Eric, the positive for the Giants, rushing. Barkley leads the NFL in rushing. The Giants are second in open field yards. They run the ball really well. They face the Packers this week, who have now given up more than 4.5 yards per rush in three of their four games. They gave up 126 yards rushing to Minnesota, 180 yards, 5.6 yards per rush to the Bears, and 33 carries, 167 yards, and 4.7 yards per rush to the Patriots last week. And what's crazy is that in two of those games, they were playing teams that are very predictable, just like this Giants team. Because the Bears, you know the Bears aren't going to throw the ball. They're just going to run. And the Patriots last week, They were playing without Mac Jones. They weren't going to be slinging the ball all over the place either. So they were playing against teams that are kind of the template of this Giants team. And they didn't really blow either of them out uh, all that much. They they kind of struggled with both of them, did the Packers. Now, there's only three teams that are allowing more rushing yards after contact than the Packers. They're bad tackling. The only team that they didn't give up a great rushing game against was Tampa. Tampa was down, and Tampa only ran 14 times in that game. So it wasn't like Tampa ran 25 or 30 times. They just sort of gave gave up running. That's sort of where the, the Giants get attack, right? They just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Um, I look at it like this. You mentioned some good stuff. Um, Packers offensively are five, five DVOA running the ball. Defensively defending the run. Um, the I just had it. I'm so sorry. The uh the Giants are 21st. I think the pack, I think the flip side, I think the Packers are gonna be able to run the ball. Sure. They're only 23rd You're- passing. You mentioned it, you said it yourself. Like Rogers threw the ball 27 yards, 27 times in the second half. I think this game kind of against the Packers, they won. Um I think it is the fact that it showed Rodgers he can throw the ball and have success. And if that if he's able to carry this over, that's going to make that offense a lot more explosive and a lot more dangerous. And at the end of the day, it's just so hard 
to really do anything because we don't know what's going on at the quarterback position. And mention the um Packers. They don't even have any receipt. And what's un- unfortunately, they don't even have any receivers when they did have a quarterback. They had 71 yards passing on Sunday. They have nobody there. Their their staff is doing a really great job. They're making the best out of what they can right now. They don't. They are banged up with receivers. They're leaning on Barkley. They're getting a little creative with him. He's leading the NFL in rushing yards. He has the fourth highest target share among backs, which is great, right? Get him the ball too. You know, out of the backfield, and he has 15 plays of 10 plus yards, 12 rushes, and three receptions, averaging six yards per rush on first down on 53 first downs. 31 carries last week, broke four tackles, gained 94 yards. I think they both run the ball. I and I agree. I don't I'm I'm speaking positively about the Giants just in that they're overachieving a little bit. I'm not going to really play this game especially this far out Sunday morning when we know a little bit more. Maybe I'll dive in to a couple spots here and there. You know, Lazard is someone who he's getting an improving improving target share. He is playing against the Giants team that's actually been pretty good holding opponents to 57% passing completion percentage, which is fourth lowest in the NFL. One thing they don't do all that well, pass rush win rate. They have to get more than more sacks. Um, they can't get pressure without calling blitz. They've called the third most blitzes so far this year. So that's something that's going to be hard to sustain against better teams. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't immediately have the strongest opinion in here. I would just the Packers aren't the old Packers and this this to, these totals feel low but I would still lean under um and the only thing that concerns me is that leaning under you know this is sort of a big number for a lowish total but I just if Jones isn't playing and if we don't have any receivers and a quarterback they do become very predictable even a bad team defending the run can defend the run when you have like no other options and when it when it's that that predictable, even you know, even Chicago and um, the other teams that they faced have had a little wrinkle of a pass. So I, I'll probably stay away. Anything else that you you think about this one? Uh, I'd look at Barkley props. I'd look at Dylan props. You know, I'd kind of be looking at those props. But like I said, it's just so hard to get involved, and you really don't know what's going on in the quarterback room. Rodgers became just the fifth player to throw for 500 touchdowns. Let's move along to Sunday, a little later on in the Sunday. Oh, but real have... quick, do you think, don't you think it's weird Lambo lost a home game? Yeah, you're right. Of all places to take a game from and put in London, Lambo. Weird, but... I know. They have such a great home field advantage. Okay, let's go to Tampa, Atlanta. So this number has moved a little bit, right? Or, about this nine. Is this is this is this is bloomed up a little bit. It opened okay. up. It opened up at seven and a half, eight. It's bloomed up to eight and a half. Some books have it at nine. Um, and it's kind of interesting. Like you look at these teams that um, you know are three and zero. Oh, you know, I mentioned this thing about three and zero oh, ATS. Now four and zero oh for Atlanta, yeah. right? Yeah. But when it goes up to four and zero, oh, they have a positive ROI. Because they might just be good. Right? They might be good. It was, it was a negative. So at three and zero, it was a negative R R R ROI. Four and zero, it's a positive R ROI. Um, 
I don't know. I think people think like this is a bounce back spot. Obviously, you know, Brady seven and two ATS is a favorite with a two game losing streak. Spread seems big to me. Temp Tampa laying over a TD with the offensive issues they have. I agree. Um, and and twenty third. So you were hitting that Brady yeah. number before. Yeah. Uh, not to interrupt. Let me just hit a couple more because sort of on that same point you were hitting. Fourteen and zero straight up coming off a two game losing streak. 12 and 2 ATS coming off of a two game losing streak and 11 of those games they've won by double digits. They've averaged 31.6 points in the third game after a two game losing streak. So he's always bounced back. But I like I, I know you're hitting, you know, there's a lot of things to dive into with Tampa that don't look that fantastic. Keep talking, I'll hit on some of them, but uh, but you you were you know that was a, a number I wanted to mention because he's he's always been a bounce back and I think that's probably what a lot of this number is built into also that a lot of people think okay this is a big bounce back spot get right spot for Brady. Yep, and then um, you know just kind of looking at this DVOA stuff, uh, they are twenty third defending the tight end. You know is this is this the Kyle Pitts game that we've all been waiting for? Um, Gosh, just 10 catches for 150 yards in four weeks. One good game. Is this, is this the game where he finally get, gets it going a little bit? Um, But at the end of the day, I look at it like this, you know, and I don't mean to get all like dramatic. Um, And I'll be the first to admit, I really don't trust the New York post at all. But if the story is true, it's really hard to cap in the mental stuff. Completely agree, man. Of going through a divorce. Well, I will say this. I don't know if that was true, but uh, Jay Wiggy, Jermaine Wiggins, who is on our Better Than Vegas um, shows, he was talking last week about this on the show before, and he said that that this is happening and that they're going to be splitting up and that Mm -hmm. this was something that was like was known and – you know, we, it's a personal thing. It's not as if e- either one of them have come out and made like a statement about it yet. But if there is some additional stress issues going on with him, I just don't know if I want big numbers built into that right now. I'm not saying he can't come out here and win the game, right? If there's anyone who can focus and compartmentalize and come out here and just sort of have like an FU game, it's Tom Brady. We've oh, seen him. the most mentally tough players. In any sport ever, in the so but we've seen that. But at what point through a, a divorce yet? We have no it, idea what this could do to anyone. What yeah. it's going to do to anyone? So I mean, I just I don't know. Like with that being said, it's really hard to trust anything. Um, you know, I just I just I just don't want anything to do with this game, dude. Like I I really I, I, I like, and I know it's. It seems a little too easy to me to like Atlanta, but I I still am going to continue to play them because I think that they still might be a little undervalued. So we have Brady 10 and 0 all time versus Atlanta, highest pass rating versus Atlanta of any team in his career. So all the stats say Brady good, but here's some negative Tampa stuff, right? Okay, last week they fumbled the opening kickoff. They give Kansas City the ball right away and a touchdown 45 seconds into the game. Now, their defense still ranks top five in yards per play allowed in defensive EPOA. And when you get into their defense, it still is pretty good by a lot of the metrics. I think it's fourth in defensive DVOA. 
But week week one, they allowed 3.8 yards per play. Week two, 4.7. Week three, 5.2. Week four, 5.4. They're starting to have some cracks now in that defense. They can't run the ball at all. They rank 32nd in EPA per run and 28th in rushing success rate percentage. On 51 early downs last week, on 51 early down plays, Brady dropped back 46 times, and he handed the ball off five times on first and second down. They just said, screw it, we're not going to run. They did get their big three wide receivers back. They scored more points than they had so far this year, more passing yards. So maybe it was one of those games where they were never going to win, but they were able to sort of get a couple guys back, shake off some of the rust. Maybe they'll take a step forward and look a little bit better. They've given up 27 total points in the first quarter through four weeks, which is actually the fourth most in the league. But overall, they've only given up the fifth lowest total. So you just can't really keep getting behind like that. Um, There are a lot of positive things about this Falcons team. And I got to give you credit every week when they play well, because you really thought they would be a lot better than most people. And they're the only undefeated team against the spread. They lead the NFL in yards per contact uh, in yards before contact per rush play action. They're ranked eighth EPA per play. Their defense is ranked 30th though. in defensive EPA per play. We just talked about Pitt. He was only on the field there last week. There were seven routes out of the 20 that he didn't even run a route out of the pass plays. That was a little concerning. We want him on there for almost all of them. And Mariota didn't have a great game. He was seven for 19, 139 yards with an interception. He only had three yards rushing. He currently ranks 26th out of 33 qualifying quarterbacks based on PFF passing grade, but they're still playing pretty well. Rookie running back, Algier at 10 carries, 84 yards. He broke two tackles, caught a lone target for 20 yards. Him and Huntley combined for nine rushes and 97 yards on outside rushes to the right on Sunday. They were just going right all the time. Two games so far with 200-plus rushing yards. It's tied for the most in the NFL through four weeks. Offensive lineman Lindstrom was really good last week. He had what will be one of the highest offensive line grades of the year by any player. He allowed one pressure on 20 pass-blocking snaps, helped the offensive line to push for over 200 yards rushing. They currently rank number 11 overall in DVOA. Like This has not been a bad team. They're the number nine-ranked offense. They average 5.1 yards per rush. They average 7.4 yards per pass attempt. Those are both sixth in the NFL. And they were running the ball so well last week. At one point, they called 14 straight running plays before a dropped snap on first and goal forced Mariota to throw a ball away. And uh, they even have a, a solid special teams. Kicker is six for eight beyond 40 yards. Coup. The coverage unit is allowing just 4.5 yards per punt return. They have 144 yards of penalty differential. They've had only three penalties in the last three weeks. They do all of the things that a team that may not be as talented as everybody else and as deep needs to do to stay competitive, which is all about coaching, which you've come back to with Arthur Smith quite a bit, Eric. And they, he prepares this team. They haven't made a whole ton of mistakes. Um, one thing where they struggle, they allow opponents to convert 44% of third down chances, which is 24th. They got to be a little bit better on third down overall. But I mean, at over a touchdown, I have a hard time not wanting to, to go in the Falcons direction. If you can get seven plus, that was that was my buy-in number on them. Yeah, I mean, like it just seems too easy. Like you said. I know it does. It's yeah. a, it seems so, trappy. 
it so, seems a little trappy with how well they've been playing. Um, it's just one of those things. Like sometimes you just gotta know when to walk away and not do it. And I think this is the play. I mean, I have some other stuff circled that I really like this week. Um, you know that I'm hoping I can get the, these numbers I want, and I'll I'll attack there. But I like I said, in my eyes, there's just no point to force. I'll just I'll just set this one out. Okay, let's move to Bears and the Vikings. So. We've got the Vikings up to a seven-point favorite here against the Bears over-under in this game, 44. The Vikings, gosh, they're a 3-0 team that I just – they're a 3-1 team that is not very good. They could have lost – DMs about my take about the Vikings being bad this year. They're, my they're not – like, w- They beat the Packers missing two, two tackles and the Packers not – I don't even know what the Packers are doing there. The Lions crumbled. They needed a bounce and a field goal when the Saints had their backup quarterback, Yep. practice squad running backs, and what in the receiving room. It's like this team has done absolutely nothing. This is even such a bluff. It's hilarious. So last week, they got incredible field position, and they didn't even take advantage of it. They got a drive starting on their own 45 after a punt. They threw an interception. They started on their own 44 after a punt. They could only get a field goal. They started on the Saints 20 after a fumble, and they kicked a field goal. They started on the Saints 44 after a fumble, kicked a field goal. They started on their own 45 after a long kickoff return, kicked a field goal. So they couldn't even score a touchdown with all of that incredible field position. That kept... The Saints in the game with no Jameis, with no Kamara, with no Thomas. They they can't pressure the quarterback. Um, and that's something where, where they've been hurting a little bit. And the defense allows 75% of targeted passes to be caught second highest in the NFL. So it, with, sort of on the flip side, when teams don't pressure the Vikings, they'll do okay. But if you can put a little pressure on them and make Cousins have to think, have to go through progressions, they're in trouble. The Saints were dead last entering week four in quarterback pressure rate. So Cousins had a lot of time. Thielen and Jefferson combined for 18 catches, 220 yards. Thielen's kind of quietly gotten back into the fold. A 96% uh, snap share, uh, 55-plus receiving yards per game. That's 26th among receivers right now with a 50% or higher snap share. Good game for Jefferson. He bounced back. He torched Lattimore 10 of 12. He caught 10 of 12 targets, 147 yards, five first downs. Did have a couple drops, but he picked up three catches of 15 plus 50 yards after the catch. The third most 100 plus yards receiving in a player's um, first three seasons behind only Moss and Beckham. They do have an injured safety though, so they're going to have some secondary issues. This team got the ball twice in the last two minutes of the first half, Eric. One because of a a fumble. And in those two times they got the ball in the red zone, they scored six points, leaving possible eight points on the board at halftime. They've only converted seven of 32 third down attempts of six yards or more. I just, I don't believe in this team at all. But I don't, is this the spot to 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 play the Bears though? That's that's my only question. I look at it like this: the one big spot that the Bears are solid running the ball, eleventh DVOA. Their offensive line has actually been good. 
excuse me, running the ball. Um, Vikings do struggle. They're 26, 27th, excuse me, DVOA running the ball. I think the Bears can have some success. Uh, this defense really isn't going to pressure Fields a lot and making some mistakes. Fields has been god awful. We need to really like look back and say, hey, is Fields even going to be the guy next year? This staff has a high pick. Um, it's sitting at seven. If this gets over seven, I kind of feel I need to take the Bears. But kind of where it is right now, I just really just don't want to get involved. I know. I'm waiting because this Minnesota team is a team I, I'm looking forward to playing against a little more throughout the year. But this may not be the spot. There are like three teams this week that I, I really want to play against, but it just doesn't feel like the spot is right. Bears actually outgained the Giants through the air. And uh, the Fields made a couple good throws. They had 170 yards passing, no interceptions. Offensive line allowed 14 pressures, but he, he did get sacked six times, lost a fumble that led to a Giants touchdown, pressured on 50% of the dropbacks. They settled for field goals on all three possessions inside the 20. They just don't even try to go for it. They allow a lot of yards rushing to the NFL's worst team against the run, having allowed 733. You mentioned it, though. It's, it's not like Minnesota may be able to take advantage of that. Not the strongest opinion here for me either in this one. The um, Thielen, someone who I think he's kind of quietly getting back in the mix, so I wouldn't mind tossing him into uh, some DFS here and there as – yeah, I mean, I think he's worth a play. I think Herbert's worth a play. Um, this is a 1 o'clock game, and Cousins does cover in 1 o'clock game. That's the only thing. We go Lions-Patriots. So th this one's kind of funny to me because you normally would think, okay, the Lions are not even a, a – you know, they're a field goal dog in New England. But this isn't your normal New England. This New England team has Zappy that's going to be starting for them too – but Detroit is still dealing with a lot of injuries. What do we know about some of the Detroit injuries right now? They were without Swift, Amon Ra, Shark last week, like all of the receivers and their starting running back. They performed admirably on the offensive side. Defensively, though, they've just been an absolute I mean, sieve. Look at their roster and you, and you just like look at what's going on. Their two best players playing right now are rookies. Um, Rodrigo, who they got in the sixth round. And Hutchinson. And Hutchinson, who they got in the first round. They just have no defensive depth, no defensive players. Not really talent, Adua, honestly. Adua, isn't it? He's really strong. Okuda had a good game against Jefferson, and then he got absolutely torched last week. He gave up 124 yards, five catches. He only broke up one of six targets that was sent his way. And I'm looking at the lot. I, I got a notice notification the Lions brought in um, Sanu for a workout today. I'm on my, I'm reading the practice report. Amon Ron St. Brown ankle didn't practice may also miss versus the Patriots. DJ shark ankle didn't practice may also miss may also may not play again. Josh Reynolds ankle didn't practice, but should be okay. Uh, Cespedes did not practice highly unlikely to play. The lions lead the league in points per game, but they also lead the league in points allowed per game. <laughs> They've, given up 141 they've scored 140 that 281 total points is the most combined points in uh, 34 games in nfl history um the lions have lost two games this year in which they've scored 35 points that's the most in a single season and they've done it in four weeks um no team has ever lost more than two when they've scored 35 the they're just so banged up right now golf 11 touchdowns it's tied for the lead league 
they're dead last though in run defensive DVOA. And that's where the Patriots just should be able to eat them alive. They struggle in yards per rush in red zone efficiency and in third down conversions. They're dead last in all of those. Williams is a really good backup, a really good number two running back. He had 19 carries for 108 yards, couple receptions. Hawk had that monster game, eight receptions, 179 yards, two touchdowns. It was like a top 10 fantasy tight end scoring game all time. And uh, on the Patriots side, we got the Patricia revenge game. Huh? Calling plays up there. I have, I will say he was, I will never say he is good. He did better than he's been doing last week because he had a third string quarterback. It had to all be play action. And they were lucky that they were able to run the ball. So play action worked because on play action, they averaged 10 yards per play on nine play action calls. And they had a couple good spots. The rookie cornerback Jones looked really good, made a couple plays. And the, the backs both ran pretty well. They combined for 152 yards. The, I mean, they're going to look different. They used like six offensive linemen in a lot of their snaps because uh, Smith got hurt. But they're not very good in rushing defensive DVOA either. 31st, these teams will both maybe try to attack each other on the ground. I mean, I look at it like this. The the only thing I'm interested in playing in this game, uh, the under. This is the first game Detroit. I think I agree. Um, You know, you're seeing anywhere from 45 and a half to 46 and a half. Maybe I'll get some steam over the next couple of days to 47, 47 and a half. I'll get involved then. But, you know, Detroit hasn't played on the ground. We don't know how, how this offense is going to look outside. Uh, I think this is the Reynolds game. If you kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Reynolds was on the field more than Williams, but yeah. he didn't outproduce it. Like, I, I like, I don't know. I mean, I think this is a good Reynolds spot because, like you said, the Patriots are 31st DVOA. Uh, last week, the Packers were 32nd DVOA. Uh, Damian Harris and Stevenson rushing props did hit. So maybe look to play those those guys as props if they are kind of where they were, like high 40s, low 50s. But, yeah, you know, just kind of sit back. Look, if, if the under ticks up a little bit, over-under ticks up a little bit more, look to get involved but you know this is another game i i'm i really don't want to rush to bet because you got to look at it like this um hoyer didn't practice um mac jones was limited mac jones plays this is going to balloon up to what four and a half five i know and they're trying and this is like a big this is a belichick thing too where they're like they're we don't even know what he's doing out there but they're trying to just disguise you and sort of screw with the you know they're up their opposition so that way you don't know really who's going to play but yeah it, it will it will definitely change a little bit i mean i will say i don't think he was great he looked he looked not bad for a third string quarterback that's a rookie that's never really probably taken a whole this lot of snaps like you could do a lot worse last year at western carolina i absolutely love the kid you could do a lot worse than he did last yeah, week coming I, thought out there. He, I thought he looked good he, i thought he handled the situation well Yep. A little bit more mobile. I think his arm's a little bit more lively. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I'd say under or just completely just sit back and chill out. Let's move along to Texans Jags. So Jags got up 14 nothing last week. Then they got a little dose of a, a very good football team in Philadelphia. They gave up 29 unanswered points. And Lawrence and the Jags, they were sort of the hot, buzzy team after a couple of good weeks. 
He turned the ball over five times in bad weather. According to ESPN stats and info, he's the first player this century to lose four fumbles in a game. Three came on sacks, one on a bad snap. He got sacked four times, had an interception, completed just 11 of 23 passes. The lowest completion percentage over expected in his career, negative 21.1 lower percentage than expected. Wet and rainy, but he was terrible. Hertz was able to kind of weather the storm early and then make smart plays. Last year, the leader for lost fumbles in a season was six. This he had four in one week. They uh, they still do rank sixth in the league in scoring and fourth in scoring defense. No other team in the AFC South is top twelve in either category. So their metrics still look pretty good based on a couple of their victories. They play a Houston Texans team that's the lone winless team in the league. They do have that tie. And man, our guy Mills, he struggled a little bit this year. Last year, sixty seven point one percent completion rate. So far this year, down to 62. But the clean pocket, last year, he was great with time. 72.4% completion rate with a clean pocket. This year, 58.4%. That's a big dip. He's missing some throws. They they have been able to get Pierce involved. Uh, He had 20, almost 29 fantasy points. Six receptions, 131 yards on 14 carries. But this team is really bad against the run. They are, I think, bottom three in rushing DVOA, or they're bottom four. They're 29th. And they're averaging, uh, they're giving up 5.1 yards per carry. They've allowed 688 total rushing yards. That's the second most in the league. They've allowed 34 first downs rushing. That's the third most in the NFL. And what ends up happening? Because they're so bad against the run, they bite on play action. So they've allowed the fourth most passing yards in play action. So it sort of hurts them because they can't stop the run. Then they think people are going to continue to run on them. And then they start biting on play action. So they're really easy to attack right now. They're looking for their first win in here. What do you think about this game? This number, we're seeing what? Jacksonville minus seven over under around 43 and a half. Um, I locked it in at seven and a half. I failed anything over seven and a half. I had to get it. It's kind of interesting when you're looking at, looking at the bet split, bet splits, the percentage of the bets on the Jacksonville Jaguars is 68%. So that means they, they have more than 50% bets, but there's more money on the Texans. So what does that mean? The bigger betters are backing the Texans here. Um, betting is all about buying low, selling high. Uh, I love this Jaguars team. They look great. I was, I have a future ticket on them to win the division. But Texans I think- did come back. Like I said, some negative things about them. But last week they did come back late. They don't give up. And I, you and I both like Mills a little bit. What I do think is that they have a little upside in that he can play better than he has so far. I think this is kind of like a little, a little trendy thing. Um, you know, you mentioned the Jaguars. They do like to pass the ball. You know, that is the strength of the Texans. Um, and I was looking at it. And I kind of I, I mentioned this when we did our pre um, our preseason stuff. Um, teams after playing the Eagles um, to start this year on the two years previous 12 and 24 ATS. They get a little That's beat up three percent after they played the Eagles. 
I'm not saying the Texans can win here, but I got over seven. I got seven and a half. I'd still invest here at seven. So I like the J. I like the Texans here at anything over that. Um, so yeah, I just I just think, you know, I need to I need to sell on my Jaguars. I wish I had like some analytical breakdown of why, but this is just kind of one of those gambling it things. Feels like another spot where it's like, oh no, all of a sudden like the Jags are two I, and I, three. I too much love in the market. I know. And then it would be like, oh no, all of a sudden they're two and three. Right. And and all and it's not like they're a week or two ago, we were saying, is this one of the best teams in the AFC? And and they're they're taking major strides, but I'm not sure if they're there yet. Um, I do like Robinson for a bounce back game because last week they were that game sort of flipped. They were playing against a Philly team that's just very good overall. And now they're playing against this Texans team that's awful against the run. So Robinson could be a nice bounce back, um, you know, DFS this week. Eric coming off of maybe, you know, some people who may be seeing that bad week last week for him. Yeah, I think this is a great spot. I mean, the Texans are giving up over 200 yards rushing on average. Eckler looked like a second coming of Eckler. Yeah. So that leads us right into our next game, uh, the Chargers and the Browns. So we have the Chargers as a two and a half point favorite on the road here, playing the Cleveland Browns over under in this one, 47 and a half. Eckler scored his first three touchdowns of the year last week through four weeks. The chargers are ranked fourth in quarterback pressure rate on defense and 11th in pressure rate allowed on offense. So not bad in either Herbert looked a lot more healthy last week. Offensive line helped keep him a lot cleaner, gave up only one sack and two hits. They just got to do a better job closing week one. They led the Raiders 24, 10. They led the Raiders get back in the game with a chance late to tie the game or to win the game even though it didn't really feel that close. In week two, they led the Chiefs by 10 midway through the third quarter. They lost by three. Nearly spit out a 20-point lead last week before hanging on in the final minutes. They scored touchdowns on three of their first four drives, then a field goal on each of the next two. Then they punted three straight times, then a fumble on a punt return. All of a sudden, the Texans score 17 unanswered, and they're right back in it. On the Brown side, we sort of knew they weren't going to be able to score a whole lot with this group. They only scored 20 points last week and they got behind 10, nothing. It's sort of tough for them to come behind. They rank first in EPA per rush 15th in EPA per pass. Chubb is averaging more carries than everyone else in the league, but two 20.3 per game. That's exactly what you and I wanted to see. And he leads the league with 6.5 missed tackles per game. But what hurt them was early in the game, there was a long drive. They went for it on fourth down, and they got nothing. Then again, they got three points out of a golden situation that began on Atlanta's one. So two drives where they were deep in Atlanta territory, they ended up getting three points out of them. Now, they were without three of the four parts of their starting defensive line, and it does look like Garrett was practicing, and he should be back. Talk to us a little bit about this one, Chargers-Browns. I got a three. Um, found this weird thing where teams that are on the West Coast. Okay, this is just what you know. Sometimes you find these weird trends, and I have this database I've showed you that I kind of play around with stuff. Teams that played the previous week in the Central Time Zone, and these are West Coast teams, and the following week they're on the road in the East as favorites, forty-four percent against the spread. You know what I mean? Two weeks in a row. On the road, West Coast team, different time zone. Weird trend, kind of found it out. Um, 
I look at this, the Chargers, Chargers have some offensive line issues. Slater's out for the year. We really don't know if Lindsay, their center, is going to be playing. They've struggled protecting Herbert. And like you said, Miles Garrett is coming back. Last week against the Falcons, which everyone seems to be forgetting, they they didn't have not one, not two, <clears throat> excuse me, but three starting defensive linemen. I think that kind of opens stuff up for the Falcons. They were able to do a little bit more stuff. Um, and then you look at it, you mentioned my boy Chubb. Browns are three DVOA rushing the ball. Charges are 18th, even though they made some adjustments to get some guys in there to stuff the middle they're just not able to do it um i think the browns cover the three i think the browns straight up win and my question to you is this are are we at the point right now where 66 to one has value on the browns well because if if they can just sort of stay afloat long enough for watson to come back and give them some upside well i mean yeah it, in, in perspective we're, we're Broncos 33 to one Colts 55 to one Raiders 55 to one. I mean, the Browns, the Browns very easily could be four. No, I mean, very easily at right now it's 66 to one. That's I a big number for a I team think, that has some upside built in, think, in a wide open league. I think there's some insane, some utterly insane value right here that, you know, if they do get a, what's his face back and, um, oh my God. Watson, Watson back. I think there's value on. Oh, that's a huge. That's a huge price. I mean, even twenty eight. Excuse me, twenty eight to one to win the um to the win AFC. The AFC. I, I I I think, and if they win it this week, it's going to go down. I think there's some value that we're kind of need to start addressing for the Browns being at a low point after losing without three defensive linemen. Well, and they, think they get other, playoffs at nine and eight. The other two teams in their division that probably on paper would be better than them. They haven't got off to these crazy good starts either. They're all two and two. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I, I think there's some value right now on the Browns that we're kind of not talking about. And maybe if you guys want to put, put a future on them, I think this would, uh, I think this would be a time I'm looking at right now to make uh, to make the playoffs. I mean, we talked about Minnesota. I think I think you could put a little Minnesota no at plus 300 just because we're we could see them losing some. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's some value on um, on taking a swing with uh, a big Browns price with, at both. Yeah, with a big Browns price. Now, this next one, Eric, I'm not a fan of laying like a short number on the road. But the one thing I look at this game, this game was like five and a half, six on the look ahead. Is the difference between Tua, who's been playing well this year. I will give him that. He's played well. But is the difference between Tua and Teddy B like a two and a half to three points? I don't know. I heard, I heard, I got to give it. It was on the pick six podcast. The, The guy said, you mean the difference between Tua and Teddy B is two and a half points? Two and a half points, which yeah. is, oh, yeah, I thought that unch. I thought that was pretty funny. But uh, Teddy B is a covering machine, Eric. He's 67% against the spread since 2000. That's the number one cover percentage among quarterbacks. He's 42 and 21 ATS. Um, on the road, 24 and six against the spread. 
on the road. This number is down to three. I just, on on principle, I don't love the the laying the number like this. Divisional game on the road. But I think the Jets are getting a little buzz off a couple games that they probably shouldn't have won. They should be maybe 0-4. Cool for them that they've won a couple. But I think the Dolphins might have a little too much for them. Can't Teddy B do what Tua did and just get the ball in Hill and Waddle's hands? And plus, he has a better arm. He can throw it downfield more, which opens up. He looked up. better down the field. He was 14 for 23 um, for 193 yards. I think that, you know, it's a scheme. It's a gimmick. It's a system-type offense. Um, and what Teddy does, I think, fits the system better than better than Tua. Um, and I, I, I've said this a couple times, and it's hard for people to understand. The majority of the people that play football are right-handed. When you have a left-handed quarterback, everything is completely different. The way the ball comes out, yeah. the way you set up well, the plays, like the, the routes tackle, that you run. The left tackle becomes the right tackle. The right, you yeah. know what I mean? Blind Strong side, side is different. Um, so I think we need to remember that. I like the fact he looked on Tyreek Hill a lot more. Um, this Jets team, 29th DVOA defending the pass. How are they going to be able to stop Waddle and Hill? Speed and, you know, what are they, like 30th DVOA in total defense? This Jets team is awful defensively. Um, and it's kind of funny because wasn't Robert, what's his name? Robert Salu Salah. Wasn't he supposed to be this great? They're 25th DVOA in defense, 29th pass, 14 against the run. Wasn't he supposed to be this great defensive guru? He's 36% ATS at home. Dude, 51 conversion rate on a 51% conversion rate on third down defense that ranks 31 out of 32 teams. I think you hit it right in the head. You know, this team is getting overvalued. The lines, kind of, people are kind of, over, oh, two is not playing. You know, and The Jets kind of, have won a couple games. Yeah. They beat the Steelers in a game where uh, they made a quarterback change midway through. He threw three interceptions. One of them was, ba- was bounced off a of receiver's hands that game. And then the Browns game where the Browns spit that game out in the last two minutes that the Jets had no business winning. Like if they're 0-4, I don't think this is th- – yeah. once this got down to three, that was absolutely the point where I bought in on here. At See, three or I, less, I'm in. To me, it's you take you take the Dolphins or you don't bet it. There's no – Yeah, but I don't lay points in the road. No, I know. I know. This but is, but see, that's, that's the thing where the rules that we have are only made to be broken or slightly altered in a case like this where we have a massive – we have a quarterback change to where – the Dolphins actually feel like value based on like how you and I think of maybe Tua versus Teddy or even the numbers that I said, like Teddy's covering numbers. You know, he, I don't think this should have gone down almost three points because of the switch from Tua to Teddy. And that's that in this particular situation, I'm okay with laying the points on the road because it's only the field goal. If it was over three and a half, even if it went down three points, I wouldn't lay it at three and a half. Even if it moved from like six and a half to three and a half, I would wait till it got to three. And then that would be one where it would be a field goal and under, I'm fine with it. Because, yeah, I mean, Wilson was bad in the first three quarters. He got better in the fourth quarter. He went 10 of 12. He had a a long drive. But we're starting to find out that I don't know how good this Pittsburgh Steelers defense is, honestly. I mean. They're nothing without Watt. No, and without Watt, they, they exactly without Watt, they really struggle. They look like a completely different defense without him. I, 
yeah, I like I like Miami in this spot at three and under. Uh, just a couple notes on the Jets side. You do have Hall, who ran for 17 times, caught two passes on six targets. He takes the passing down and uh, roll. He has 26 targets this year, which is second most for any running back. And it was the first week where he had the majority of the early downs. He has the clear majority of goal line work, and he got 100% of the goal line snaps this week. Rushing production was better than Carter. Gray is out better than Carter as a rusher. But, yeah, I mean, Wilson is a little feistier and gives them better upside than Flacco, but I just think this number is a little short here. I'm leaning Dolphins in this one. I do think this is a game, though, that you can kind of attack and DFS. Yes, yes. I, I'm so on both sides of them. Maybe Carter there. You know, Corey Davis has a good connection with uh, with Wilson. Last year, he was someone a yeah. lot, and and, and he I went. Do, I do believe someone mentioned that in all yep. our preview show about him having yep. like a 21 percent target share. Yep. And then uh, what it was nice to see that Conklin, who had had a good couple games with Flacco, he had a good game last week with Wilson. So what that'll show you is that like if a, if a if a particular player does pretty well with two different quarterbacks they're probably going to be involved more so than not so i wouldn't you know mind throwing him into some dfs flyers as well as we uh anything else on this one buddy nope let's move to pittsburgh buffalo thanks so much everyone for hanging out with us as we dive through the lines uh with our friends up at betfred uh sports give them a follow at betfred sports on twitter betfred sportsbook anywhere you can uh, you can sign up some of the best wagering opportunities, incredible promotions. And these are the lines we're looking at. Big spread here. Bills are a 14-point favorite in this one, over under 46 and a half. Remember that at the beginning of last year, week one, the Steelers did beat Buffalo. But you have Pickett, who entered the game last week. He helped build a 10-point fourth quarter lead. A little he, I mean, he made some mistakes, but he was better than Trubisky. No doubt. Well, like I look at it like this. This is this is the way I I I look at it. A well, first of all, Tomlin, like there's this video circuit around uh, you know, how Tomlin handled Ryan Clark. And that video just shows you why these guys love Tomlin and do all this stuff for him. Basically, Clark got a concussion, wanted to play, they met with Tomlin. Five minutes into the meeting, Tomlin looked at Clark and said, if you were my son, we wouldn't be having this conversation at all because he was thinking about Clark. Yeah. Um, and that just kind of shows you what a guy Tomlin is. Uh, the offense was struggling and it not, kind of needed to be like, you know what I mean? It needed Ignited. Little, it needed something, just a little pick me up, um, you know, and that that's what he did. And but it was against the freaking Jets. Dude. I know. You know what I mean? The Jets now, are 32 DVOA. Everyone's getting a hard on, excuse my language, for Kenny Pickett. And I, I thought he looked awful. I'll he, be honest. He was, you know, he made some bad throws. Yeah. He, he he didn't look good, but he was he was that that's how bad Trubisky has been. He was much more lively than Trubisky. I think he led five drives, two touchdowns, three interceptions on the five drives that they led. Um, it was just totally you know, feast or famine, he threw the three interceptions. Two of them were on deflections. One was a Hail Mary. Two were his fault. But they did get more points, more yards per game with him than with Mitch. Uh, Pickens seemed to be the real beneficiary. He got five targets on the on 14 passes, 31% target share. 
He had an average depth of target, 20 yards downfield. He, and overall, he had six receptions for 102 yards. 71 of those came with Pickett. They connected on a couple nice back, back shoulder throws. But man, why, why wouldn't you just start the kid when they had a pretty... Think about their schedule. It was kind of soft. They played the Bengals. They played the Patriots. They played the Jets in a couple of their first weeks. Now he has to have his first career start on the road against the Super Bowl favorite in Buffalo and then has to play Tampa, the Dolphins, and the Eagles, all top 13 teams in DVOA in the next few weeks. He's going to get absolutely lit. And the thing is this, and we talked about it before, you have a bad defense in the Jets, 32 DVOA last week against the pass, going against someone they haven't prepped for. Now you have all these teams prepping for They've got a little film on him now. And he's going to get lit up. I mean, it's it's going to be a brutal thing watching Kenny Pickett. It's I mean, a, I'm not laying 14 here. I, but this is- if this dips, if there's like some crazy group that comes in or these big betters that put out, you know, and it gets down to like a 13, you know, it call, call me absolutely crazy, but I would contemplate taking the bills. Um I kind of feels like in the survivors I'm in yeah, with you, it's bills or nothing. So they've won five straight home games by at least two touchdowns. They turned the ball over twice and went three and out twice with only a field goal early on in the game. They had 11% chance of winning at that point in the game when they were down 20 to three, but real key was late in the game. There were two, you know, at the end of the half and then late. Down 20 to three with 90 seconds to go in the half. They went 76 yards. They put themselves back in the game, down 10. Then late in the game, they go 12 plays, 77 yards, game winning drive that takes four minutes off the clock. They never let Lamar get the ball back. In the first, uh, the final three quarters of the game, Allen was 16 for 27, 182 yards. He rushed for 62 yards and another touchdown in those final three quarters. He had 70 yards rushing overall on 11 carries. Before this game, he was 0-7 in his career when trailing by 17 or more points. But man, he's he's a stud. Third in EPA per dropback behind Mahomes and Tua. Bills rank second in total points allowed and in yards per play allowed. They lead the NFL in first downs per game and in third down percentage. They're third in the league in yards per game. Their defense leads the NFL in interception rate and in sacks per pass attempt. They rank second in yards per game. I mean, just like everything. Like everything. Um, Offensive line didn't play that well, though. Seven pressures at a pressure percentage of 17%. But Poyer, you know, it's just one or two guys in that make the difference in those games, Eric. Against Miami, they had none of their secondary. Poyer plays, and he ends the final two Ravens drives with interceptions. You know, if he's playing against Miami, maybe it's a different game. Yeah. Just one player like that. Third down and defense, that's their, that's a weak point for them. They rank 19th, and it's probably because they're still a little banged up in the secondary. So in, you know, third and sort of third and four, third and five situations, you can still attack them in one-on-ones maybe if you're playing against, when they're playing against like a Hill or maybe a more talented offensive player. They don't have quite as much of their top talent on the defensive side, but yeah, man. Since Watt got hurt the last three weeks, Pitt has given up an average of 23 points per game. And it, so it doesn't sound like a lot, right? But 23 points per game when scoring is down this year 
And the teams they played, New England, Cleveland, and the Jets. We're not talking about these like high-power scoring offenses. They've only had three total sacks since Watt went down. I, I can't lean Steelers here. I would love to. This is normally the game you and I would want to play a huge dog like this. I just I can't get there. Let's get to Saints-Seahawks as we have Seattle on the road. And the Saints are a five-and-a-half-point favorite in here. Jameis, Kamara, Thomas all missed last week. Dalton played. It wasn't horrible. Then the offensive line was okay. They kept him free from pressure. One sack, one hit, two hurries across 30 pass-blocking snaps. Through four games, though, they've been outscored 45-17 to 17 in the first half, has New Orleans. They are dead last in special teams. They're just two of five on field goals between 30 and 50 yards. And they're only averaging 58.2 yards per kickoff, which is 30th in the NFL. They're also dead last in penalty yards, which means they lead the NFL in penalty yards. They have six defensive holding penalties. They continue to give out free first downs. Uh, Olave looks like a stud, though. He caught uh, another touchdown last week. We have on the Seattle side, man, Gino, Gino, through four weeks, number one in completion percentage above expectation. He's behind Mahomes, Tua, Josh Allen, and Lamar in EPA per play. In yardage, touchdown, interception, and sack rate, all above average. He's third in football outsiders, defensive yards uh, above replacement, DYAR. He's second in DVOA for quarterbacks. He's number two in PFF passing grade. Last week, 320 yards, 10.7 yards per attempt, two big-time throws, no turnover-worthy plays. Eric, I can't remember seeing something quite like this. Like we've seen some backups come in and have good little stretches. This guy was a second round pick back in 2013, started all 16 games as a rookie. They went eight and eight next year. He goes three and 10 as a starter. Then he's benched in the next seven years. He made five total starts between the jets, giants, chargers, Seahawks. And now he's ranking towards the top of all of the offensive categories in the league through four weeks and what's funny, Seattle is way above average in passing rate, which they never wanted to do with Russ. Like, they oh, never played oh, this way. They wanted to do with Russ, but Russ But he, he kind of – yeah, he, it just so, – it wasn't a good combo, right? Like, What we're seeing now is they brought in the new OC from the Rams last year. This was the vision for the offense, but Russ refused to do it like that. So – I know because he still refuses sort of to do it like that with Denver, as we were saying, his consistency from down to down, he wants to take the big shots more. Yep. Um, I look at it like this it's really, really hard to know what to do when you don't know who's underneath center. Um, so I don't know. Um, it's important we got to monitor, you know, Penny hurt again, could you know, shoulder injury didn't practice. Shoulder injuries are big for running backs because they do hold it against their shoulder, can get swiped at. Um, homers on the IR. This could be the Kenneth Walker game where he takes control of that backfield. Uh, we need to watch that. Uh, next thing is maybe this is the time where, you know, they get the, the Saints get it going because it's not like the Seahawks are that good defensively. 31st in points in yards allowed. They just gave up 520 yards to a Lions offense that was missing their what, three best playmakers on offense. They're, I mean, their top two wide receivers and Swift. Um, and they're, 
when you look at the defense, it's not like it's one thing for them. They, as many positive things as I will say about their offense, you can equally say is bad about their defense. They are getting beat against the run, struggling in transition because they're changing to the three, four. They're missing tackles. They're not getting a consistent pass rush from anyone besides Nuosu. They're losing one-on-one matchups. They're committing too many penalties on the back end. They're playing three young quarters and a backup safety because of injury issues. Like they're just playing bad on defense. And someone needs to get that audio because I said the only bet to make was Geno Smith over seven and a half yards rushing. I yeah, mean, you called like that one. Four. He had like 40. Um, yeah. Like, I don't like this game. Like, like I said, like, I don't know who's playing quarterback with that being said, I can't bet this game. Um, you and, don't know what's but, going on with and, Kamara. If Kamara comes in here, this opens up a whole aspect to the offense. We haven't even seen yet where you can like line up Kamara and Alove Kamara. And if Michael Thomas plays on the same side, so it's really hard to do anything when you don't know what's going to ha- happen. You know what I mean? So this is just, I don't want anything to do with this game. Yeah. I, I'm definitely not laying this number with the saints. Like I'm, I'm very interested in the Seattle side. I want to get a little bit more information about it before, because they've honestly just looked like a better football team. This number just feels a little high. Like I would be interested at this number at four at above four on the Seattle side. I do. I am curious who is playing for new Orleans. Honestly, the quarterback doesn't really bother, like, like concern me as much as if are we going to have like Kamara and Thomas and and how many of their weapons, right? Are they like depth wise? Do they have some of them back? Because Dalton is fine. Like he'll get the ball out quickly. He just won't take as many deep shots, and he'll get it to some of them. But I mean, the Seattle team they scored a touchdown or attempted a field goal on every one of their possessions until the end of the game last week when they took a knee. That had to be fun for you as a Lions fan watching that. Every every possession, every possession until they took a knee, they scored either a touchdown or attempted a field goal. Um, they uh, you, you mentioned Penny, his injury is key because he ranks third in the NFL in yards per carry with five point nine six. It's seventeen carries, one hundred fifty one yards rushing, and he also had two touchdowns. Also caught a six yard pass. He's been used much more uh, much more on third down this year. He played five snaps on third and three or longer, which was a big deal for him just for as fantasy purposes. So we'll see, you know, with his health, like you said, if he's not around, does the, the tide shift their offensive line was good. They gave up just three pressures overall, only one quarterback hit. They were given the offensive line of the week award by pro football focus after helping rush for 235 yards, 7.1 yards per carry. They kept the lions without a sack. They had a touchdown on runs of third and five and third and 16. So they've been really good offensively. They jumped all the way up in one week from number 12 to number two in offensive DVOA monster game. They rank fourth in yards per attempt 7.8 and they've uh, allowed just six sacks, which is tied for the fifth lowest in the league. That's a positive for them. Metcalf in that funny moment had to get carted off to go to the bathroom. He didn't want to, he said, and I didn't want to run. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it over there. So it was a long run. So he had to take a, a nice ride on the, uh, on the card over there. You know what? The nature never, calls. I've never related to someone more in my life in that moment right there. Right. We've all been there. We have all um, been there. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's just one of those things. Like I don't, I don't know everything. So I can't do everything with this game. So I'm really limited on what I can do. Right we'll now. know more on Sunday. Come and hang out with us on uh, Sunday morning for 
fourth and inches at BTV bets, 11 o'clock AM Eastern time. Let's talk Titans and commanders. A couple more games to finish up NFL week five. So the Titans are a two and a half point favorite here on the road, playing the commanders over under in this one, 42 and a half. You have a Titans team that won back-to-back games and a Titans team that very easily could have three victories here. Offensive line is still struggling. Derrick Henry ranks 28th among 29 backs with 40-plus carries in yards before first contact per attempt. Now, he did get 100 yards for the first time this year on 20 carries, but 79 of those yards came after contact, four explosive run plays, five rushing first downs, and a rushing touchdown. Tannehill has been under pressure on 39% of dropbacks, which is the third highest rate in the league. So this O-line, you know, they that's a weakness for them, no doubt. Uh, Burks will be out. Maybe you get a little bit more Robert Woods, who's kind of quietly become more a part of the offense the last couple weeks. He might be a, a DFS throw for me in a couple spots. The defense, the defensive front, they did a pretty good job against Jonathan Taylor. They only allowed 42 yards on 20 carries. They did for the second week in a row, though, Eric. The Titans got out big, and then they started to coast late. They got complacent. They got lucky because they barely hung on in a game where they got a strip sack, which led to a six-yard loss and a punt when the Colts were in field goal range. Then a Jonathan Taylor fumble on fourth and short. Then they, the Colts also missed a 51-yard field goal attempt, which went wide right. The defense made a couple big plays, a couple sacks that caused the fumble, and one of them that set up a touchdown score. And then late in the game, that other sack on third down that I mentioned that stopped the potentially game-trying drive and forced the long field goal shot. But they have given up five plays of 40 yards or more through the air. That's on the Titan side. Washington has just looked brutal the last few weeks, but they continue to feel like one of these games they'll play well because they're at a low value point right now. I probably though Those uniforms were tight. The Washington ones? That all black, that there were phenomenal, phenomenal uniforms against the uh, watch against the Cowboys. The all black ones. I, I think I would to, would need three to three and a half to get on the Washington side here. I definitely wouldn't lay it with Tennessee. I played Tennessee the last couple of weeks. They've done me well. Uh, Wentz, he's taken more sacks than any quarterback. 17. He's tied for second in the league with interceptions. He ranks 27th in EPA per dropback, tied for 27th in PFF passing grade. They've given up 110 yards on sacks. That's the second highest in the league, more than a football field. Their yards per completion is fourth from the bottom. Offense has no rhythm. They have to try to go for like these short, inefficient passes, and they just don't work. He was all over the place. He threw for 170 yards, two interceptions, and they're pressured on 40.9% of their dropbacks last week. That was compared to 31.7 weeks one through three. They've also given up 12 plays of 30 yards or more. 10 of those have been pass plays just because of blown coverage. I I need three or three and a half to get enticed on Washington. At this number, I'm, I'm probably just staying away. All right, so I have a couple angles here, okay? Week one, Christian Kirk, 17.7 fantasy points. Week two, Amon Rod St. Brown, 39.4 fantasy points. Week three, Devontae Smith, 30.9 fantasy points. Week four, CeeDee Lamb, 21.7 fantasy points. What do all four of these players have in common? They're all guarded by Benjamin St. Juice. 
he is giving up 27.4 fantasy points per game against opposing wide receivers. Um, Berg obviously isn't playing with the turf toe. Um, I'm going to have to do a little bit of a deep dive to see exactly who the Titans are going to be playing in the slot. It usually is Robert Woods, but does Woods move outside? You know what I mean? Does Woods move outside? So I'm going to have to do a little bit more, um, a little bit more work on that. Maybe this will be a Westbrook Nike game. Maybe it'll open up for him. Mm -hmm. I I think there's value on the Titans um, wide receivers. I like the commanders here. Um, You know, it's at two, two and a half. I have no problem playing it there. Obviously I'm waiting and I'm praying for the three. Um, I say it every week. There's certain coaches I like playing as a dog, certain coaches like fading as a favorite. Uh, Vrabel, 15-21-1 ATS as a um, as a favorite, 42% as a no, – that's 42% as a road favorite. He's 40, 40%. Uh, you mentioned, mentioned the Titans struggled defensively against the pass. They're 26 DVOA. Wentz is 230, averaging 230 yards. I think this is a game where Wentz can get it going throughout the air. Um, for his dismal as the commander's defense has been, they're actually pretty good against the run per football outsiders, which Gino and I use for DVOA. They're six. So I think they're going to be able to contain Derek yep. Henry. Um, you know, Vrabel off a two-game winning streak, 20, 36% ATS. All the trends and the little stuff, and there is some stomatic advantages that the uh, commanders have. So, yeah, I like the commanders here. Like I said, this isn't a game I'm rushing to go bet. You know, I'm kind of. But if it was at this number, you would be okay with betting it come Sunday. I'd be totally fine betting it. But, you know, I'm just, I'm just sitting back, you know, smoking a Cuban, waiting for that three. And then if it gets here, great. If it doesn't, I'll just play, play the two and a half I'm seeing at most shops. Let's move to the 49ers versus the Panthers. Now, one thing I will do is, and that's what we have to do as gamblers, right? Like there are people that we particularly like or don't like, but we have to say what the facts are. I like and do like overall. I'm a fan of Baker Mayfield, what I've seen from his play. I'm probably a little higher on him than most people are um, overall. I thought he has had a couple years where he was very good. One year where he did a great job, another year where he was really banged up, and then at the end of his rookie year, he was solid. This year, he has been so, so, so bad. I mean, there's just nothing at all positive to say about Baker. You can say bad things about Matt Rule and other parts of the Panthers, and that maybe he's not, you know, they're not prepared. They don't run great offensive scheme, all that stuff. I won't disagree with you there. There's just some bad stuff here about Baker. So they they finished last among offenses on Sunday in EPA per play. They were more than 30% worse than the second lowest. On deep balls, he was 0 for 5 with an interception. On short stuff, he was 5 for 10 for 18 yards um, on passes that were at or behind the line of scrimmage. His two carries were stuffed, one of them on third. One, he fumbled a snap for a loss of three. And he did this against a bad defense. Arizona is not a good defense. He was pressured on only 18.4% of his dropbacks. So 
He completed 15 of 27 passes for a touchdown and two interceptions when facing four or fewer pass rushers. He's second to last in EPA per dropback among quarterbacks with 80 or more dropbacks. The only one who's behind him, Trubisky. He's benched. He's not even playing quarterback anymore. Last week, he had nine batted passes. Nine passes that got batted down. I mean, he got lucky because in the second quarter, he threw a bad interception on a wide open route to to DJ Moore. Moore was wide open. He threw behind him. And it bounced into Arizona's hands, but Arizona couldn't take advantage of it. So the, the Panthers were actually able to come back and kick a field goal after. What, what, ha- what hurt them, Eric, the chin injury, it just crushed their defense. And they're another one of those defenses that remind me a lot of the Broncos that this is a good defense. They had to spend 22 minutes on the field in the second half because the offense can't do anything. At some point, you just get tired. So last week, McCaffrey had 17 touches. He had nine receptions, which was awesome to see. But through the first three weeks, he had 50 carries and 29 of them were between the tackles. Why are you using McCaffrey like that? He was second in the league with rushes that were marked inside or right inside only behind Jonathan Taylor. And he's actually averaged a good number, 5.4 yards per rush between the tackles but he has one big 49-yard run gain that sort of balloons that average. And even if you take that away and he's averaging like 3.9, do you want him to go between the tackles 10 or 11 times a game just to get four yards? Is that worth it? Like, why not find a better way to use this guy? And they finally threw the ball to him a little bit more. But for example, Chubb and Henry, They have 23 and 21. Like you think of them kind of like McCaffrey as sort of number one running backs in fantasy. You know, they have 23 and 21 runs to the outside. McCaffrey has five, five. Why wouldn't you be trying to get this guy outside? I mean, we talked about it though. Yeah. Rule is just awful. And McAdoo. It's McAdoo. You know, it's all McAdoo. Because Mac, because Rule used to at least be better with how they got McCaffrey the ball until this year. Yeah. Um, I look at this game like this. It, I, you have to play the Panthers. I mean, you, you just you just have to do it. Um, yeah. You got to hold your nose and do so, it. We've got beat by them a few times this year. But damn, again, like last week, I'm saying it wasn't like Arizona was beating them up early. One of... Well, I, the, I had Arizona last week. No, I, and I know you did. You were on the you were on the right side of two good games that were spots, and the two teams that you caught the right side of. I wanted to play against them this week because the teams they like both the Raiders and the Cardinals because the teams they played. I think it was more about them. I think it was more about Denver and Carolina's ineptitude. The only problem is it doesn't look like it's necessarily the greatest spot to play against those teams this week because they're, you know, maybe with Denver, like we said, I don't, but I don't know about with Arizona because they're sort of in a different spot, but it's, it's hard not to go back to Carolina in here. Um, the only, how about this one? Matt rule. I'm sure you saw this one in games where the opposing team scores 17 or more points. He is one and 26. And he has lost 24 in a row. Yeah, it's brutal. I mean, my thing is this. Line was four and a half, excuse me, during the start of Monday Night Football. 
as of right now, it's sitting at seven and a half. One book has it at plus seven at minus 120. At seven, I'm in on the Panthers. Which I don't want to do. I'm fine playing the six. I'm playing the playing the six and a half. Um, I'm just waiting right now. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't cover as a favorite. 14, 18, and one ATS. That's 44%. Kyle Shanahan as a favorite. 16, 26, and one ATS. That's 38%. Now, this is the thing that I found interesting. Teams coming off a Monday night football game in the Pacific time zone the following week. So this means this is like no matter what time zone or what time they play on a short week, 44% ATS. Definitely, definitely kind of, kind of, definitely kind of like changes the thing. And one of the things that honestly, like Schefter tweeted it out, I think at like 6 a.m. this morning or, or yesterday morning, excuse me. Um, Trent Williams' backup is out for a while. He like sprained his MCL. So now they're down to a third they're string. Down to a third string left tackle on a non-mobile quarterback's blind with side. an offensive line that already had some struggles and some so concerns I coming think in. That's kind of something they're too overvalued because discussed enough. I like I'm I'm gonna full full transparency. I like even like if it's the same thing. If it's six, you're fine money. with it. Yeah, but you're gonna wait. Sunday morning, I'm still saying I'm taking the Panthers at six. But you'll wait. I, I got time on my side. I have my alert set up. If this gets to seven, I'll be betting the seven. But right now, there's no, there's no hurry. I'm just gonna yeah. sit back. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just gonna wait, wait for my spot. Try to get the seven. So the positives on the Panther side that I had mentioned were McCaffrey had the the most receptions any Panther player this year with nine, and Moore was targeted eleven times, and he had a season high in air yards. Those two guys, you got to get the ball to, like just and get. DJ Moore is already demanding a trade. Too. I know you just you got to get the ball to those two, and the defense gives up more than ten points a game in the final quarter to rank towards the bottom of the league. It's because they're getting tired. They were on the field for more than thirty-eight minutes against Arizona. The 49ers, they come off a game where they've got a weird thing against the Rams too. Like they always play well against the Rams. They lost to the Rams last year in the playoffs, but before that, they always play well against the Rams. Always. And we'll talk about the Rams in a minute. They've got a lot of problems. So I think you feel like, oh, you beat you beat the Rams, and they're the Super Bowl champs. It's just, right now, I don't know how much a win over the Rams really says about you. Because the Rams have a lot of issues themselves. But positives for the 49ers. Defense is very good. They rank first in yards per play allowed and defensive EPA per play. Bosa, three sacks, 14 total pressures, near 30% pass rush win rate last week. Also had a run stop. And Debo's awesome. Six catches from seven targets, 115 yards and a touchdown. Three missed tackles, three explosive plays for 106 total yards after the catch. Now, the defense is good, but one of those games was against a bad Bears team. Another... One of those games, like I said, they're playing a Rams team. Their offense isn't the same as you would think for the Rams. We're both going to be playing Baker again this week. We're both going to be on Baker's side one more time. Let's move to Cowboys Rams. Just talking a little bit about them, Eric. And, you know, they've got a lot of problems. Um, I'm a Rams fan, but right now they need a lot of things to fix because they rank 34 in, or they rank 34. There's only 31. They rank uh, 32. They rank 31 out of 32 teams in quarterback pressure rate. And, and that's with Donald. They, the offense, 28th in EPA per play, 21st in EPA per dropback. It's really predictable 
because they they it's all about cup, right? It like for them, you look at their issues and okay, they don't really have a number two out there right now because Robinson has been very disappointing and Jefferson hasn't been giving them much and they don't have Odell out there who was a nice like a nice role in the number two role. So it's all about cup. They can't run the ball consistently. And the offensive line is having issues because they're missing their veteran Whitworth. They allowed 30 total pressures and a 53.6% pressure rate. Note boom allowed 10 pressures and three sacks. And then they're also dealing with injuries in the secondary. They're without multiple cornerbacks. They rank 25th in DVOA against the pass. One of the concerns with this Rams team and the way they've built this team, they have top of the line talent, but not a lot of depth. So when they deal with injuries, if they have a lot of them, they're going to be in some trouble because they're not being they they can't fill in with the same type of talent that other teams can fill in. They're sort of hard capped and maxed by the the amount of money that they've spent. So it's not surprising to me when you look at this Rams team that you know they're struggling a little bit and they're they're towards the bottom of a lot of advanced metrics. Their offensive line sucks. I mean, like I like I like doing victory laps when I'm right. And I said you guys would miss Whitworth. I said no. Oh yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody thought they would. They wouldn't oh, miss no. him. Somebody, somebody replied to my tweet saying, "Tell me you don't know football without telling me you don't know football." And I said, when I tweeted out, the Rams are going to struggle this year because of their offensive line. Like I was attacked. And and, I know new. Now, now let me say this: just nothing. You, you can take your bow right now, but I won't. I won't. They, they're struggling right now. I don't think Note Boom is as bad as he played in that game. And and for the same for the same side, they did just play one of the best defenses in the league. So the offensive line has been an issue now when we're 40. Oh yeah. And yeah. and it's going to be it's the the only problem is it was it was going to take a while for their offensive line to gel. So early, I'm not surprised at all that early they're gonna have these struggles. The key is can they improve or are they just going to be bad? I'm not shocked that they've been bad right now. I think they still have a chance to improve moving forward. I don't know if they're just bad, but or they, I don't I mean, know if they'll like, just I end think, up being bad. No, no boom's natural position is guard. You know, he's playing out of position. We got to remember that. And he's never been a starter. You guys, Allen did practice limited today, so he could be coming back, which would help the interior the, the interior. Um, you guys haven't been able to run the ball. Dallas's weakness is stopping the run. Maybe this is the game where we see you guys are able to get the running game going. It's still a little uh, high Stafford, number though, right? You know, you know, Stafford's holding the ball too long. He's looking that he's, he's feeling pressure. He's looking down cup. And they did it. I saw this thing on Twitter where Robinson is just not getting separation. And that's not at all. That's no, he looks, he just looks old. Just, he's just struggling. And you know, you guys got the championship. It's great. I wish my lions would get one, but this is going to be, I feel, a long year. The, see, the one, the one thing I will say about you is that you definitely are very ready at a lot of times to just write them completely off. Now, I, I don't think they're they're going to be able to win a Super Bowl again this year, which is really all that matters for a team that won the Super Bowl last year. But mm-hmm. like in this league, that's so wide open and everybody's two and two and there's so much parity. Oh yeah. There's like, so much stuff that happens. Like, I, mean, I think they'll be a, I think they'll still be able to be a, like they're a playoff team. And yeah. I mean, look in their division. Like, I don't know that San Francisco is going to necessarily go and win double digit games. And I don't know if, oh, if Seattle, 
Seattle or Arizona is either, you know? The Rams did. The goal isn't just making the playoffs. You know what I no, mean? No, not at all. Not like, at all. To make it to make the Super Bowl, make the the NFC Championship game. For, um, you know, although although sort of for them though, I think they're kind of in like a Tampa situation now too, where you know, for them, all they do care about is getting into the playoffs. Like, and I mean, they, like let's be honest, healthy. What they need, what they need the most. Is they need Odell Beckham Jr. to walk through that room? Hundred percent. They need to have. They need to get another playmaker in. Mm. They need to have a good string of games in the middle of the season where they can sort of figure out the offensive line if it's moving a piece around or two, but just getting some consistency there. And I still think they're a nine or ten win team, maybe and a little, maybe one or two extra wins. But right now, this group right here, no, they can't win a Super Bowl. Yeah, can they get Odell back? Can they, at, at full strength, have some of the talent to match up against some of the better teams? I still think they could, but they're a, they're a long way from that right now. They're it's, a long way from that right now. Insanely long way. Um, you know, rush four and eight ATS due for some regression. Numbers sitting at five, and it's kind of weird because, like, if Dak hypothetically, let's say Dak plays, what does this number do? Hypothetically, let's say. Rush is announced as the starter. Does this change at all? Like we've seen this number has moved the most out of any number. It was four and a half. It ballooned up to five and a half, back to four and a half. When we're recording now, five and a half. It is absolutely all over the place uh, with how good Parsons and the defensive front is getting to the quarterback. That is a little worrisome. But again, it's one of these games like I don't know what's going on at the quarterback know, position. So, so there's you really – Really can't do anything. Maybe you look at Henderson props, maybe Acres props, because the weakness of the um, excuse me, of the uh the Cowboys defense is is the um is is the run. I mean, I'm looking at it right now, DVOA against the run. They are 25th. Maybe the maybe you can get the running game going. Yeah. But um, I think part of the issue is Stafford's feeling the line. Well, the line, right? Yeah, he's feeling pressure before, and teams are covering Cooper Cup, and he's st- and he's the only guy he's looking at. They're stacking the ball. They're yeah. like you right there. You cover Cup, and put a little pressure on Stafford, and uh, they become predictable right now. Cowboys, as you mentioned, rush four and zero as a starter, thrown for at least two hundred yards in each of his starts, has yet to throw an interception. And they've scored between twenty and twenty five points in each of those games. Lamb is now up to 12th in fantasy scoring this year. He's averaging 86 yards per game over the last three weeks with Rush. And their offensive line is, you know, that looked like it was going to be a weakness. Smith has continued to play pretty well at left tackle for Dallas. And Peters was actually rotating in at guard. Eric, he wasn't bad. He was allowing less pressure than McGovern, the old man. Um, The defense ranks second in the NFL in sack yards with 93. They rank fourth in pressure rate. And Gallup looked pretty good. He had a touchdown and two pass interference penalties for 65 yards. They do allow five yards per carry, though. As you were pointing out, they've given up 20 runs of 10 yards or more in four games, including two runs of at least 33 yards in the past two games. Maybe maybe McVay can get a little creative with getting cup of ball out of the backfield, you know, getting, you know, Robinson on a reverse or something. Use cup as like a decoy. In, in the run game a little bit too. So come on, McVay, this is you right here. Get a little bit creative. And uh, this is a game where you got to step up here and get a victory. I just, 
I wouldn't want to lay the number with the Rams at, at no. right now with what we've seen at five and a half. No way, no way, no way, no how. A couple more games to discuss. Let's get to Eagles and Cardinals. So we have Philly as a five-point favorite on the road playing Arizona over under in this game, 49. Philly, lone, undefeated team. They were down 14 to nothing, and they scored 29 straight. Sanders rushed for a career-high 134 yards and two touchdowns. Reddick on the defensive side was awesome. Two sacks, two forced fumbles, recovered two fumbles. They lead the NFL in takeaway differential at plus eight. They lead the NFL with 8.79 passing yards per play. So think about that. Best takeaway differential, best passing yards per play, and they allow the fewest passing yards per play, 4.75. They lead the league in sacks. That's about as well-rounded as you'll find. They do have some injury issues in the secondary right now, but they're well-balanced. First in sacks, first in takeaways, third in yards allowed, 10th in points allowed on defense. They've played with the lead more than any team in the NFL. They're top five in rushing and passing. Funny stat for them, they have a plus 71-point differential in the second quarter. They've scored like all their points in the second quarter, and then they're minus 27 in the other three quarters. Just bizarre the way that their games have sort of played out. They do play this Cardinals team who scored 23 points in the second half. And they're dead last in point differential through the first three quarters of games. They're 30th overall in total points scored. Cardinals have four sacks. That's the fewest in the league. And the sacks per pass attempt rate is a league low. Cardinals have lost seven straight home games. And they've given up 30 points or more four times in those seven games. Look, you play the spot in gambling, right? Who did the who did the Eagles have on deck on Sunday night football? The Dallas Cowboys. Going out west to play the lonely Arizona Cardinals. Jalen Hurts, two and five ATS is a road favorite. My boy Cliff. He covers, dude. 29 and 2 ATS is a dog, 69%. Murray as the starting quarterback, 89 and 2. I'm not saying they're going to win. This number's at five, five and a half. I'm fine playing the five or the five and a half. You know, obviously I'm hoping that this does get up to six, maybe even seven, but I think there's value here on the Cardinals. Um, You know, the Eagles do like to run Arizona. Shockingly, they're 11th DVOA defending the run. I think I'm not saying they could stop, but they'll be able to limit them. I think this is just kind of one of those spots where you have to like, hold your nose and play Arizona. See, know? I think my, my only worry is you, I think you caught them on their spot last week. Cause I was the other way. I just, like, I, I don't know if they're consistent enough to put another good game again. Like they may be down by 30 points early in this game, with the way they've been coming out in games to start, I'm not sure if Philly right now, they kind of remind me of a team that doesn't really know what they are yet. Right. Like, I don't know if Philly thinks they're that good. Because what have they really done, right? Like, this isn't like a proven playoff team or anything. They're, they're, they're still led by a young coach and a young quarterback and a bunch of new pieces. I think they're still kind of in prove-it mode right now. That's sort of why, like, I like their spot last week. I wasn't going to play them against the Jags, but everybody was kind of going against the Jags. I agree with you. In the look-ahead for Philly with the Cowboys next week, that's the, that's the game that they care a little more about, but... I don't know if I can get on Arizona here because I just watched that game, every play of that game last week for Arizona. And that was so much more to me about Carolina being so bad 
than anything I could really take positively for Arizona. But man, yeah, I, I would need seven, I think, to get entertained. But uh, Cliffy Kingsbury and Eric, they're going to be on the same side this weekend. I, hate it. I absolutely hate it, but you know that's that's my dirty okay. spot. Final two. Let's go Sunday night football. Cincinnati Bengals, Baltimore Ravens. Ravens a three point favorite at home. Bengals three fa- three point dog on the road over under in this game forty eight and a half. Couple things on the Ravens side. I mean they could ease or on the uh, excuse me. Let's start with the Bengals. They could easily be four zero. They lost on game winning kicks in week one and week two after tons of mistakes and slow starts. Defense actually playing pretty well. Sixth in EPA per play. First in touchdowns allowed per drive and second in points allowed per drive. But they are 26th in sacks per dropback, according to ESPN stats and info, tied for 22nd in total sacks. Burrow, over the last few weeks, though, uh, an EPA per dropback, second, fifth on pressure dropbacks in the last two weeks. Five touchdowns, zero interceptions. He's only been sacked three total times in weeks three and four after being sacked 13 times in weeks one and two. He threw for 11 first downs on Thursday, seven of them on throws to the left. So how about this? He We know that he can go left. So he is an ambi-turner. That's a, that's a major positive for all the Zoolander fans out there. Um, they were eight for 15 on third down compared to Miami going two for 10. And Higgins looked good. Seven catches, nine targets, 125 yards and a touchdown, four first downs, three explosive receptions, forced two missed tackles. 12 total pressures in pass protection. So they were giving up pressure, but they've schemed a little bit better. So it's just not draw back and let Burrow be a sitting duck in the pocket. They've done a better job of getting him out of there. Quick throws, quick releases, like just different patterns that they're running. And each week he's had less pressure dropbacks because they're running the ball more or he's scrambling a little bit or they're dumping it off to mix in. Overall, they still rank just 18th in EPA on the offensive side, and it's mainly because they can't run the ball. They're 31st in EPA per rush and dead last in rushing percentage success rate, but they do keep trying. They play a Baltimore Ravens team that is 14-1 straight up in their last 15 home primetime games. Talk to us a little bit about this Sunday night football game, Eric. So I look at it like this. I gave this one out on Tuesday night when I did my stream. I took the Ravens minus the three. Um, the The Bengals give up a lot of production to the tight end. Um, so I really believe Mark Andrews is in line for a good game. He's the center of the Ravens passing attack. Plus, I hate to use the term must win. Um, Ravens are two and two because they could easily be four, four and oh. There's actually people in Baltimore calling for Harbaugh to be fired. How crazy is that? He's 42% ATS in these Sunday night primetime games. I'm looking for the Ravens to bounce back. Um, I know the Bengals, they've won two in a row, but they have, like, have you really been like that impressed? You know what no, I mean? But, I mean, both of these teams could be 4 0 and probably should be 4 0. Both, both of them, too. Like, I haven't been all that impressed offensively with the Bengals. I've been a little bit more impressed defensively with them. They had a soft schedule, though. They, they should have been able to get out to a good start to their season. Um, the Ravens, they've just got a couple weird things going on. But I mean, I, I think they're the better team here so far. They didn't score a point in the second half. They scored on their first four possessions. This is the second game in a four-week span when they blew a three-score lead at home. Mm-hmm. They're 
the first team to blow 17 point leads plus in back-to-back home games since 2011, since the Vikings. They've actually lost five straight games at home, which is bizarre, dating back to last year. There was, now, they spit this game out too, right? But there was one call late in the game where there was a roughing the passer call on Josh Allen that was not roughing the passer call. It was a terrible call. They gave Buffalo a free 15. Tied 20-20. to The Ravens go on a 14-play, 93-yard drive. It takes 9 minutes and 20 uh, seconds. They get to the Buffalo 2-yard line. It's 4th and goal. They go for it. Now, I love to go for it. In that situation, what's a little bit different is that it's 2020 with four minutes to go. The three there gives you the lead versus going for it. You may not get the ball back, and they didn't. Buffalo never gave them the ball back. How about this? My uh, issue with that is they ran four straight passing plays in that sequence. There was no RPOs. You know what I mean? There was yep. no Lamar. Creativity. They. I, I I agree with you, like with what you're saying. My big issue with that was the four plays. Is that, that hey, okay, so that's a separate thing, right? Should he or shouldn't he have kicked it? One thing. If you're not going to kick it, what kind of plays are you going to run? Those yeah. weren't the type of plays. If you make the decision, we're going for it, get a little more creative. This was the first team since play by play data was tracked in 1991 to be tied or leading, have the ball inside the opponent's five yard line turn the ball over and lose the game without retaining possession again. Yeah. That is nuts. I mean, the bills, they covered, they they did. um, The bills did it perfectly though. They played it perfectly when they got the ball and they just ran it completely out. Now watching them. Do you wonder if maybe Lamar's getting a little bit tired in some of these games? Um, Because he's had some big rushing games and they have, he's flipped a little bit in the second half. So in the second half, he had just 36 yards passing and two interceptions. So far this year, he's completed 71.7% of his passes for 8.3 yards per attempt and just one interception in the first half. And then in the second half, 58% of his passes have been completed, 6.9 yards per attempt, three interceptions. I, I wonder if maybe get a little tired too when you're running like that late in the game for him. And maybe it'll help with Dobbins being around now. Which he easily could. Um, Right. You know, I just want to touch on this. You mentioned Mixon in the offensive line. A, Burrow's holding the ball on way too long. Um, I think that's part of the issue that's going on. They changed their run scheme blocking to – and Mixon's really having a hard time finding the holes and understanding where he's supposed to be. So I think, like, that's another thing. Mixon is having – a down year, he averages the most opportunities per game, 29 and change, almost 30. But he's just not reading where the hole the holes are. He's really having a hard time adjusting this new blocking scheme. And for the Ravens, they were embarrassed last year, both times by the Bengals. I think this is the revenge spot. Like I said, I took three. I would I'm such a numbers guy, I wouldn't play it over the three. If I had to play it, I would even play it over the three. The defense for the Ravens has been really good to start. In the first quarter, they've allowed zero touchdown passes, and they have three interceptions. How about in the fourth quarter, 68% completion rate, five touchdowns allowed, and two interceptions. 42 of 62 passing for 471 yards allowed. Opposing quarterbacks have posted an NFL best 88.6 QBR against the Ravens in the fourth quarter. Last year, they lost six straight games 
five losses by three or four, uh, fewer points. Two of them, Harbaugh attempted to go to for go ahead two point conversions instead of game tying extra points, and both times they lost those games. Only two other teams in NFL history have blown three leads of 17 plus points at home in an entire season. The Baltimore Ravens have done it twice in the first four weeks. There have only been 10 teams ever that have blown multiple 17 point leads at home in one year. And Baltimore's done it in two, in four weeks, in two games at home, uh, a couple games at home. But I don't, I don't love the, the Bengals in this spot. I don't know if I would get in at the Ravens, but at three, I I would lean Baltimore in here because like, both of these teams should be four and zero, but the Ravens should be a better four and zero. They've just some weird stuff has happened in those games. Let's finish it up, Eric. Um, Raiders, go ahead. Go ahead. Real quick, I'm sorry. Um, if you look at the last um, 37 games, which is so this season plus the last three. If you know you mentioned them blowing leads, Harbaugh is 69% ATS. So basically the last two two years plus the four games for this year. If you take out that that and just look at Harbaugh overall, 59% ATS. So if you worry about them blowing the lead, play the Ravens first first half because he does he does cover. Okay, let's get to Monday Night Football, Raiders, Chiefs. This was the other game where you were on the right spot on the Raiders and the Cardinals last week. Both of them in watching their games, just like we were talking about with like the Colts, I would have loved to play against them this week because I thought they had great spots last week. They took advantage of those spots now looking back, and I would have like loved to play against them. But I don't know if it's a good spot here because, yeah, I mean, I think the Chiefs are the better team. But, like, I don't know if I want to lay more than a touchdown with Kansas City. They're seven. Like, at seven or under, I'd still lean Kansas City. I'm watching the Raiders last week, and, like, I'm not all that impressed with them. I was more, you know, like disgusted with Denver. Uh, the offensive line did play a lot better for the Raiders, but better than what they were playing because they were bad. Every member that saw significant snaps still gave up at least a pressure. Run blocking didn't grade out well, but they they pushed for Jacobs. He had 28 carries on 144 yards, two touchdowns. And there's something weird about Jacobs just against the Broncos. It's the third time in his career he's run for 100-plus yards against them and the only team he has multiple 100-yard rushing games against. Adams had nine catches on 13 targets for 101 yards. A lot of short stuff for him. Carr, actually, I think what was key to this game, he picked up the ball and ran a few times. Three first downs, he had five carries for 42 yards rushing. And they need to get a pass rush from someone other than Crosby. He has four of their five sacks this year. Haven't been getting a whole lot from Jones on the Chiefs side. I mean, they look pretty nice last week. They looked like they had a chip on their shoulder. That was sort of their big game. So this feels like a maybe a flatter spot if it wasn't a divisional game. And I just, I'm not, I think that the Raiders kind of had their spot last week too. That That's my concern about them maybe being a little flat here. Um Chiefs got sacked three times last week through an interception. They were pressured on 22.5% of dropbacks, nine pressures on on 40 dropbacks. But they scored 41 points. They held the ball for over 38 minutes. They only punted once. They only allowed three yards rushing. But they did give up 6.4 yards per play in a game where they only had 5.4 yards per play. So like in DVOA and stuff, that game doesn't grade out all that well. Uh, They allowed Tampa to go three for three in the red zone with touchdowns. The Chiefs did go 12 for 17 on third down conversions. 
Kelsey had eight first downs, which was tied for the third highest mark in, uh, in the history of him and Mahomes together. Seven of them came when he was in the slot or out wide. Pacheco got a little more involved. He had 3.9 yards after contact and uh, a couple broken tackles. That that little flip that Mahomes hit, that was awesome, man. That little basketball play that looked like he was doing like a little turnaround jumper, the little floater flip. Um, they scored touchdowns on their first three possessions. They scored more points in the first half than any team had scored against Tampa all year. But as I talked about earlier, like you kind of dig into Tampa's defense, there were some cracks there. Now, they had four different players score a touchdown. They had five different players run the ball. And they had eight different receivers catch a pass. They were kind of showing off and, and seemed like they really wanted to uh, to get their revenge against Tampa. Mahomes was 18 for 28 for 221 yards and two touchdowns and an interception versus four or fewer pass rushers. Against Tampa in the Super Bowl, he had a 64.7 passer rating against four or fewer. In this game, he had a 97.5. He became the fastest quarterback ever to throw for 20,000 yards in his career and a negative for them. They've only created four turnovers this year. Only four teams have forced fewer turnovers this year, and all of them have losing records. Now they're okay in that all four turnovers they've created, they've scored touchdowns on those. So at least they're doing the best with what they're making. Talk to us about Monday Night Football, Eric. Um, Again, no props out, so it's kind of tough to know what to do. Um, I said this last week. Chiefs are bad defending the running back, especially in the um, especially in receptions and receiving yards. Uh, the prop for Fournette was four and a half. That was a little too much for me, so I didn't want to get involved in that. But his receiving yard prop was only 24 and a half. Hit the first play of the game that the Bucks had the ball. He had a 25-yard reception. So Josh Jacobs uh, receiving yards, I'd be interested in that. Again, it's kind of tough because there's no real props out. If it's in that 20, 25, 25 range i'm definitely going to be involved um in terms of sides this is a divisional game no um you know i i, I hate taking Big you know I hate laying points like this but if you just look at the last four games like the over under right now it's a high 51 but if you just look at the last four 57 points 55 points 66 points 72 points a lot of points scored in these games if i were to take anything sidewise I would take the over. Um, I'm looking at they're the and they both of these teams are coming off of games where they played opponents that's their offenses aren't playing well right now. Yeah. Like Tampa is 15th in offensive DVOA. You know, you think about Tampa as being a better offensive team, and then you have Denver and they're 24th in offensive DVOA. And both of those teams are not offensive juggernauts. Both of these teams are just a little bit better overall as far as being more prolific offensively i mean kansas city obviously they're a top five offense in in dvoa so i agree with you i'd lean over if uh if i had to play in this game and i'm josh jacobs rushing props that's rushing props excuse me receiving props that's that's my only thing here um i need i haven't even looked at the weather at kansas city yet i was hoping this was gonna kind of dip down a little bit that some money would come in on the um on the um on the under drifted down but i'm fine where it is right now i play the over and some josh jacob props so eric thanks man you uh you helped out quite a bit this week making an adjustment we're recording late on wednesday night so it's late into the night for you Uh, a couple 
DFS plays that I mentioned throughout Robinson, Lazard, Thielen, Eagles wide receivers against a bad Arizona secondary. So Smith Brown, if you want to get a few uh, of them. Um, and then, uh, I mean, because Baker was just missing guys last week and then Robert Woods. Um, I think he may be a little bit interesting to use in some spots. Sounds or like you and Westbrook Hines. Westbrook. One yeah. Guys. One of those two guys. Sounds like some games that you and I both were leaning on the same side. Uh, so what Cole, did we, what do we do in the contest last week? Three and two, three and two, three and two, three and two. That's in the money, dude. <laughs> every week. <laughs> every week. Every week. Uh, three and so, two. Yeah. So here we are again. Colts plus three and a half. Dolphins That's... minus three sounded like games we'd both be okay with. I mean, I hate doing that. I but Colts, that. Colts plus three and a half for sure. Let's go yeah. for sure. And we'll come back to that game if we if we need something else. Um, Texans, you want to go plus seven? Let's go Texans plus seven. Okay, so Texans plus seven, Colts plus three and a half. Those are two for sure. Let's go. Commanders? Or no, no, you're not feeling it. We can come back to Commanders. I'm not. I'm, Panthers. We're both on Panthers. Panthers, yeah. We, we mentioned that one. So Panthers plus, we'll put it at six and a half right now because that's what the line is up here. What about the Ravens? Yeah, I'm okay with the Ravens minus three. All right. So let's Ravens see minus and then, three. And then we can take the Dolphins. Those will be our five. Okay, cool. Ravens minus three, Panthers plus six and a half, Texans plus seven, Colts plus three and a half, Dolphins minus the three. So far, we are uh, three and two every week, four weeks through the year. But you know what? At the end of the day, what is Positive. That? Positive. It's making, turning a, you know turning a profit. Especially, and especially with the way that we play because we're, we're playing all dogs. And so when we have three and two weeks, there's usually a money line dog in there. You yeah. know, we usually have a couple money line dogs and one or two of them. And then all of a sudden you can turn a little bit of a profit. So Eric, man, thanks. We, uh, we have a little more sample size now, so we can go a little bit longer in some of these recaps. We're already up at two hours and I know it's late for you. So really appreciate the, uh, the dive into each and every game. Talk to us about what you have coming up over the next few days. Um, I'm going to be with you on Friday on the BTV show. My podcast will come out on, um, Monday after right before the BTV, um, you know, Brandon's handed out three NASCAR winners, Jim's killing, um, CFL, my boy, David and I, we're going to be talking some MLB playoffs. going to be talking some MF NFL stuff. He's one of the sharpest dudes I know. Um, and then Jim and I are going to be live streaming the Kansas game. I think you're going to be, you're going to stop by if your schedule allows you to on Saturday at noon Eastern time. And then I'll be with you on Sunday morning. And then I have my stream on Friday. Sorry. So much stuff happening. Give him a follow though. Uh, at etoff 21 sports that's the best way to check everything out for eric and if you want to give him a follow on twitter uh at etoff 21 is where you can get all of that great information so buddy thank you so much you have a, a good few days i'll be talking to you a lot over the next couple sounds good man look forward to it folks don't go anywhere we still have a lot more to come on this episode we move from NFL right on over to this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. We preview Extreme Rules, we dive into WWE NXT, and then we talk some AEW with Koopaloo, Chad Coop. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero. 
your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. Oh, it's that time of the week again. It's time to talk about everything going on in the world of wrestling. We have extreme rules coming up in the WWE. We have extreme rules going on in AEW, basically. <laughs> all, all over the place. Um, so it's, you know, kind of just extreme everywhere right now. Chad Cooper joins us as he does each and every week. Make sure to give him a follow at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and on Instagram. Koopaloof, my man. It is a, a fun week with a, a pay-per-view coming up, Extreme Rules, that when they've done this show in years past, sometimes they have these scheduled pay-per-view events that are themed, and so they have to force people into Extreme Rules matches or Hell in a Cell matches, and it, it doesn't really feel like it's the right time. It feels like it is the right time for all of these matches that are on the card. Yeah. It, uh, you know, and, and it hasn't really been extreme rules. <laughs> no, if you, look, if you look back, it's been kind of, kind of a, a, a weird pay-per-view. It is, uh, always is. Yeah. But you know what? I like these. I like these pay-per-views. The ones that you, you think that, uh, I know I said this a lot, the ones that you don't think are going to be very good end up usually, uh, usually being really, really good. Over-delivering. And, yeah. And, and you know what? The Triple H era, it is, uh, you definitely have the feel that this is not going to be your normal Extreme Rules WWE pay-per-view. So uh, The builds are just more like how he built to NXT shows. They are. They you are. just feel it. They have less matches that are planned on the show. But, for example, there are six matches that are listed right now for Saturday's Extreme Rules. We're recording you and me on Thursday morning. Uh, Saturday is when the pay-per-view is. And there are other Big feuds and important and interesting things happening on TV that aren't on the pay-per-view, but those are storylines that are still being built and kind of played out on Raw or on SmackDown, which I don't mind. I mean, we have stuff with Sammy and the Usos and the Bloodline, which is playing out all over, which is really good stuff. That That's not really going to be on here, but that's fine because you don't necessarily want to Rush everything just to throw it on a pay-per-view They have a deep enough roster To where, man There's no main event or There's no singles men's World title being defended On this show, in fact There's no single men's title At all That's listed to be defended on this show But it doesn't feel All that weird It It still feels like a good show Because these are all Matches that are being built to I would prefer this Six matches where Four to five of them Feel like they have a really strong build Instead of A 10 to 12 match card where you throw A bunch of matches on at the end That could be just matches you see on TV Anyways You bring up a good point Um, It's definitely substance Uh, That's the AEW formula right (laughs) Right Because they'll throw the 12, 13 And and we will say they have fewer pay-per-views, so I can understand them that, being a little bit different. True. So that, they don't have one every month. But I just – I don't mind this. I mean we don't have Gargano in theory, but they have a match on Monday on Raw coming up that's being built too, which I don't mind that maybe they, they, want, they figure, hey, that can get 20 minutes and be a major part of Monday Night Raw versus on this show – you know, you give every other match a little bit more time to breathe. 
I don't mind that philosophy in seeing that Triple H is actually like sticking to it, right? Like he's gonna give them time. He's going to give them the opportunity. So I sort of like this formula, Coop. I, I really don't mind the the shorter pay-per-view cards with more time for each of these matches, which is what the clash card was like. Yeah, it, it, it's still odd that they're on Saturday. You know, a lot of these pay-per-views on Saturday now. I know. Uh, and I wonder why. They, do you think they they had to? They're not stupid. There had to be some testing oh, and the numbers sure. and some reason why they decided to do that. And keep in mind, right now where we are, it might think, oh well, yeah, it's football season, but it's not always football season. So when it's not NFL season, Sundays are a great day to have pay-per-views or other shows. There, there's, there's got to be something. Maybe it had to do with the travel or what we've seen from them. They are doing a lot more of the bigger kind of stadium shows and maybe just putting it in the middle of the weekend. I, I don't know for what that what reason that is, but let's talk a little bit about WWE and what's been going on as we head to this, uh, this show this weekend. So we have extreme rules. We'll talk about the matches on the card, and then we'll kind of dive into maybe anything else that we missed on, uh, on Raw and on SmackDown. So Liv Morgan, Ronda Rousey, extreme rules match for the women's, uh, women's championship on the SmackDown side. They've tried... To salvage live recently I think they've done a decent job Recently trying to make it Feel like she has a little bit Extreme or that she's trying to embrace this Or that she's not scared of Ronda I think all the thing, those things are fine but I I would not be Surprised if Ronda just wins this thing right back It just does not feel like it's been a very good Title run for Liv and I I think it's partial Liv but may, more the way they Presented her after and the feuds They put her in in the booking of that first match where they had her the weird pin tap out thing where she was tapping out in it in, and then she kind of acted like she beat Ronda clean a couple times and she's been acting <laughs> like I just there's been something off about this all along Coop I I, I feel okay better about what they've been trying the last few weeks they've tried to to make it better but it just I I think Ronda wins this thing you you said what we talked about last week. I do think they've done a lot better job over the last two weeks, but I think it's a little too late. Um, I, I think they're going Ronda Rousey here, and it doesn't surprise me because uh, I've got the opening odds um, for the pay per view, and Ronda's minus two eighty favorite in this match. Um, that doesn't bode well. I'm not. I'm not saying that you know things don't happen because they do. Um, you know, we, we put it out there that this is a this type of match, which is um, what type of match are they involved it's in? It's just a straight extreme rules, rules match. So, so it so is open for shenanigans. Okay, so anything. Whether so it be Shayna or Charlotte returning or Liv bringing, you know, Liv having a heel turn and maybe she brings someone up to help her. You know, so there, there is an out for Liv to win and go mm-hmm. over Ronda Rousey uh, with use of this. So there is that out. If you like play, paying, playing underdogs, um, this is probably a pretty good spot for you um, because of that. Mm-hmm. But if you look at everything else going into this match, uh, Ronda uh, is on the is the face of the main poster by herself. I always like try to look at those type of details. 
And I just don't think um, it, it's been a good connection here with, with Liv winning this title, um, uh, the SmackDown Women's Championship. I, I'm with you. It, it's partly her fault. It's partly her booking. Um, she was hard. over before so, she won the title. And, that, and then that immediately the when she won sure. the title, like the first week. It didn't and then feel as soon as she had that right. match with Ronda. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't feel right. And I know she's done a lot of interviews this week. And they've built her back up. And they've done a very good job. Um, if Charlotte returns, are, are you looking at a Charlotte Live program? Um, are you looking at an immediately Char- Charlotte gets thrown to the top? Charlotte Ronda, if Ronda's the champion. I just think that um, we, we don't have very many title matches. I think the only title matches are the two women's matches, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or Yeah, the two women's. So we have, yeah, we have the the ladder match for the women's champion. So the, that's the only two titles, and uh, I, I just think this is all Ronda here. I think she wins this title. Now fans are going to bitch and complain. Get ready for that. But you know what? And a couple of weeks I will ago. say, I, I thought I would. I don't know because I just really? think, uh, well, the maybe some on the internet, but if you the vocal fans in the arenas have been pretty behind Ronda recently sure. because you know what. They've quietly done a lot better job with Ronda while at the same time they were doing a crappy job with Liv. You know, it was like – and and so I think everybody was more focused on the, the bad job they were doing with Liv than, oh, look, they're not putting Ronda out to cut these bad promos anymore. You know, they're having Ronda kind of look like a badass, which is sure. what we want from Ronda. That's all. And it feels it feels more real than when Ronda was coming out trying to be this – Real, real baby face. People can cheer for her, like Jim Ross said to Stone Cold. You know, you're going to be a huge baby face. And he started laughing, you know, before. And he said, you watch. People are going to want to cheer for you just because you're a badass. And we're not even going to really have to change the way you act. And that that's where they need to be more with Ronda. And they have been. So I just, yeah, I just feel a lot better about her right now. Unless they yeah. do something schmozzy and they do a full heel turn with Liv. But... If not, I'm. I think it's Ronda. Let's go. The Brawlin' Brutes versus the uh, versus Imperium. This should be a blast. Six man tag. Uh, good old fashioned Donnie Brook match. A <laughs> <laughs> good old. And these guys are just gonna beat the hell out of each other. We've recently seen Butch and Ridge go down to NXT, and it feels like they may be in the mix for the NXT tag team titles down there. And Sheamus will be. Facing Gunther, is it is it before this or is it next week? Is it on Friday? Oh man, let me uh, look right now because we're recording this on Thursday. Yeah. So yeah, so the Brutes uh, went down to NXT and lost right on Tuesday night. I believe they lost. Um, and do you so do you, yeah? Was that maybe a one off or is that? Yeah, that's kind of weird. It was yeah. kind of weird. Um. Not that it was weird seeing main roster guys and girls go down to NXT because we've seen that. That's the MO, and I like it. But um, for them to go down for a week and then lose and then uh, be brought up with Sheamus for this pay-per-view, um, I, I like Imperium in the spot. Uh, I do, they're, too. They're, they're slim favorites, like minus 200, minus 180, something like that. Um, I, I think the champ goes over here. 
Um, and I think we build to, I, I don't know, it would be weird to have Gunther and Sheamus this Friday. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. So Sheamus is. just tweeted, all Sheamus fights are extreme rules. My extreme rules fights, well, they're extremer. Friday night, IC title banger. Saturday night, Donnybrook wow. banger. WWE wow. is the okay. place to be. So we will know by, you know, by the, at this point, if Sheamus has won the title. because well, that they're, changes they're, yeah, they're calling this the uh, they're calling this the season premiere, yeah. right? Of yeah. of SmackDown, I, I, I think Sheamus wins this title. Okay, well that that'll change the that changes everything for this match. On I, I think so too, because I think over, you know, or could we see kind of where you were getting, you know, if the the brutes aren't maybe going, you know, if they're they're not going to be pushed all that strong. Is it Sheamus wins the IC title and then we could get, you know, them picking up a win, the 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 heels picking up Imperium picking up a win here to kind of get the win back. And then we have one final match between Sheamus and Gunther, maybe like a, a third. I could see something like that. These three feel like they could also be something at Survivor Series, you wonder. Yeah, and this kind of overshadowed, this whole thing is kind of overshadowed. That title a little bit to me um, Not not that Gunther Hasn't done a good job um, But I think all parties involved Here I do like that all of Imperium Are back up because it just didn't seem right With just you know two thirds Of them up so yeah the that, that okay that was where I was confused so that's <clears throat> why I, I, I Thought so Imperium interfered In the NXT tag team titles Match that's right that's like, right with um, yeah. And we'll get to NXT in, in well, just a little sense. bit So now it kind of kept their Their feud um, consistent, but yeah, uh, okay, Coop. I'm predicting Sheamus wins the IC title on Friday. Then oh, I'm wow. predicting Imperium gets the win back with Gunther pinning like Ridge Holland, you know, and so that kind of sets them up for another match, um, a Sheamus Gunther match down the line, and maybe it keeps these guys feuding for another month as we get to Survivor Series because I could see. These six in a in some sort of Survivor Series elimination style match for that pay per view. You either it's either got to be Sheamus wins the title, or we have another interference that if it's going to be an Extreme Rules type match on Friday night, I I don't know where the interference would be a DQ or not. But either Sheamus wins the title, or we have a DQ. I, I don't see Gunther going over and pinning Sheamus. That would Clean probably again. Ruin. That would ruin Sheamus, and you you talked about it last week. Sheamus is as hot as he can be right it's now. Natural. It's yeah, natural. It's natural. Title on him. Sure. Don't don't do throw happen. salt on this kind of stuff. You know, this is what they used to do to me at TBG. Sometimes, man, I was getting <laughs> I, I was getting over on my own. I was yeah, getting you, over, and they're just pulling the rug out from under me. You know, it's just like, come on, let me cut a promo or two here. You know, give me a little time to go out there I with the right. mic right now. <laughs> oh wait, did I say that out loud? I was thinking it. My bad. Uh, my, my bad. Um, we uh, we continue on with extreme rules. So we got Edge versus Finn Balor in an I Quit match. This should be awesome with these two, and there will be a ton of shenanigans because you'll have Priest, Mysterio, Rhea, probably uh, Ray Mysterio, and AJ maybe all in the mix. We saw AJ and Finn. Have a match on Monday, and they're sort of teasing: Is AJ going to 
maybe join the Judgment Day. This is, you know, you're you're just kind of seeing like the the writing on the wall for all these possible Survivor yeah. Series matches, right? Like and here, I like, I like it. Didn't AJ like get pissed off at Ray and push him pushed down? Him down, yeah, because Ray sort of Ray keeps Ray's in the in this weird spot, and I will say Ray's playing it pretty well. He's yeah, he's in a weird spot. His son is being a dick. You know, like his younger son, who all these people know, is now turned his back on him, and he he doesn't want anyone to really hurt his son. So that's he he still loves him. He's his kid, but he's trying to talk some sense into him. In the meantime, Dominic is over there while everyone is just just taking people out, attacking them from behind, cheap shotting them. So it's just it's a cool story. They're they're doing a really good job with. With all of this here, and we gave them a bunch of crap for waiting to tell the story, but in now looking at the time and how they did it and with this group, I think if they would have done this before Dominic had a group, I don't know if it would have worked like it is working right now. If oh, it would just been Dominic by himself, we would have had maybe a feud between Dominic Ray, and then that would have been it. He doesn't feel like he's going to get lost and flounder as much. Where he has sort of Rhea and Finn and Priest to just stand next to. The Rhea has been the Rhea and and Dominic uh, duo has just them two alone has been fantastic. Mommy, yeah, I, 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 I he needed someone. He needed guidance. I, I think we this, and I think we said it last week. The Ray Dominic saga would have been over by now, and probably wouldn't have got much out of it. And you waste something that's really, really big. You know, that could have been really, really big, a father-son, and especially someone that's as over and, uh, you know, Hall of, Hall of Famer like Rey Mysterio. I think a lot of people get involved in this match. What's interesting here is reading into the odds, the opening odds, Edge was a pretty heavy favorite uh, going into this match. But uh, at last checking, they're at even. It's even odds now, and that that's where I want to see it. I don't want to know that that Edge is coming back. Edge gets a win over here. Yeah, it's an I quit match, but I think that that's what makes it weird. Is I kind of buried Finn Balor a little bit. I know. I I mean, who 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 comes? Who will get hurt less with this loss? Right now, Finn because he's a heel. I think Finn. I think if if Finn loses, I think it kind of buries all this momentum because they have it going. And you talk about Survivor Series. No, but you're right though. You're right. Like. Finn's a heel, but it they have this good momentum. Do you want Finn to be saying I quit? Now here's here's what here's what we can see, right? I can see them doing something like remember what happened with John Cena and Edge and Seth Rollins? You remember that angle when when Edge was not cleared to wrestle yet and Rollins had Edge by the neck and was going to stomp him? Unless Cena agreed to what give Seth the title. Remember, Cena had to agree to something. Remember? Yeah. Do you remember this story, this angle? Dude. Like I, I and 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 Edge even referenced it when they came back this year in some of or last year in some of his matches with Seth. He said, You remember? I and I when I could when I wasn't cleared and now I'm cleared. I could see Edge being forced to say I quit because the judgment day was doing something to to Ray to Dominant, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, hey, if yeah. you don't say I quit right now, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna nail him with the sledgehammer in the head. 
You know, like them threatening Edge into saying I quit. That's what I think happens. And then it it really puts the judgment day over as this evil heel group. Maybe it's AJ that's the one that helps them. But if 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 Finn says I quit, I think it hurts them really bad. Yeah. I really do. I do too. I think it, it 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 kills all the momentum, regardless of what happens Monday night on Raw. I think he has to go over here. Whatever whatever happens, I think it would hurt him a lot more than it would hurt Edge. I don't think very many losses right now in Edge's booking hurts him as much. But storyline wise, I, I think Edge, uh, I, I think Edge needs the one that takes the pin here. And, and I like your scenario. I'd like to see AJ turn. Um, I don't know how much further. You know, if they don't turn him, I'm okay with that too. But I would like to see him turn to give him, a, you know, a different look here because we talked about it. That that AJ has just really you talk about floundering. Yep, he, that's the after. word. That was the I was just gonna say. He feels <laughs> like he's just sort of swimming in, you know what I mean, in like the middle of the pool. I'd he's like just to, like looking yeah, both like, ways, like, oh hey, they're doing stuff down there. They're doing stuff down there. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> just, um, but intrigue in how they're gonna play this out. Let's get to Drew versus Karrion Cross with Scarlett. So Karrion Cross, first real big match here in a strap match with Drew on the pay-per-view. We'll see if he can deliver because the presentation has been excellent this time compared to it doesn't even feel like it's the same. Like I, I forgot that he right. even came up. And I'm glad we're lucky that it wasn't long or even enough for People to to like have that stuck in their head. From it feels like the crowd and most people have just sort of forgot that that little stretch happened when Carrie and Cross came up and was all in these different costumes with different helmets on and looking weird. This is the guy that we saw in NXT who has a great presentation with Scarlett in the ring in the big matches that he was in. I think for the most part he over delivered. He's not someone who's the greatest worker. But he reminded me a little bit of Cena in that people would kind of give him crap, but for the most part, you'd think maybe not Cena. Cena's a little bit better than him. Maybe more like Ultimate Warrior, right? Sure. Here's one where he gets crap because there are a lot of bad Ultimate Warrior matches that you can look at. But when you think about all of the big matches that he had, and he was kind of put in big places, the stuff with Savage was really good. The Hogan match was really good. The Rude matches were really good. And you start to dive in, like a lot of his bigger matches were pretty good. That that they, he was asked to to carry. I think Cross has kind of pleasantly surprised me in that way. So this feels like an important spot for him. I think Drew is a good partner, and because it's a strap match, it feels like it gives sort of an out. Also for Drew, like I could see something shady happening here for Cross to get the win. I'm with you. Cross needs the win here, even uh, right away. Got to. Yeah, even before I tell you. Uh, the opening odds here. Even before I even looked, I thought this was the the one match that I feel pretty convinced on that I, I think Cross is going to win here. I, I think they're going to beat the hell out of each other. Um, these straps are uh, not to be <laughs> not to be taken lightly. There, there's going to be some some bruises, whelps, some blood. It, it's it's going to be violent, and I, I think it fits both of these guys' personality and the odds here. Um, are pretty heavy favored in carrying cross. He's minus 450 going into this match. And that's a, that's a pretty decent favorite. But if you're going to bring cross back and redeem himself, 
um, for that injustice that we saw. Remember, he was the NXT champion during this debauchery that was going on on Monday Night Raw when he was losing to Jeff Hardy and squash matches. He had the NXT championship, you know? So um, I, I, you free packaged, you brought him back. And again, I, this same type of situation with Edge. As, as big as the name that Drew McIntyre is, this loss does not hurt Drew McIntyre, uh, Drew McIntyre at all. It just doesn't. So I think this is cross right here. I think you get a good showcase. Uh, uh, Scarlett gets involved, and with uh, with the strap, uh, I think you 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 give an out, and it, it's an it's a victory for Carrying Cross, and you don't have to look down upon Drew McIntyre taking the L because um, it, when you bring guys back and they get momentum like Cross has, remember he got involved uh, when Roman Reigns was in the ring. Let's not forget that. You know, there 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 could be something there. Uh, down the line too but if you're really going to bring this guy back and we're really going to take him seriously he has to go over Drew McIntyre on Saturday so it's craw i mean it's, it's it's drew you just took drew out of his big match you're not going to throw drew right back into a title picture again yeah. it, I, this is the this is a spot where you you know Drew does the job here and cross goes over i think that's and and you can you can get Drew out of this. You can find a way to make him still look strong here. But the match that I'm the most pumped for is Riddle, Seth Re- freaking Rollins, the fight pit match. And here's what I like. I'm I'm critical a lot of the time when in wrestling they bring in UFC fighters because most of them aren't that well known. Really, honestly, like honestly, that's really what it comes down to. Like sure. when they bring people in, it I don't know how many of the WWE wrestling fans know who those people are. Now, I know Cormier. I think, but most people may know the name, even if they've never seen him or heard him talk. They probably know the name, and I really like what they did with this. They have him come on Monday Night Raw in what was a pre-recorded segment, so you could tell he was able to talk comfortably. Get his points out. He wasn't stumble bumbling and sounding nervous. And he, I like who what he said too. It was a simple, hey, some of you may not know who I am. Boom. That's like, that's all we ask for in wrestling. It's <laughs> literally all we ask for is just, who are you? I'm Cormier and I'm, I'm a fighter. I'm a badass. I know the fight pit. Since I saw this happening, I want to make sure I'm in there. Like, it wasn't. A 20 minute promo but he had a he had a good amount Of things he needed to say and I Thought he did a fantastic job Hitting on all of them the guy's a great talker And I feel Like it adds a little something to this and Honestly what's cool too if you Look it up he is a big fan Of Seth Rollins he likes Rollins he has mentioned this repeatedly So he is he likes the way Rollins Wrestles he's a wrestling fan but he Knows Riddle so You feel like you know, he probably will lean more towards the fighter than the wrestler, but feels like a guy who's just there to it feels very Ken Shamrocky with when Shamrock came in for the Bret Hart Austin thing. I'm not saying this is Bret Hart Austin, which is one of the greatest matches ever, but it just like his insertion here feels like, oh, it makes sense. And I thought in just a few minutes, they you know, it, they had him add something to what was already a really hot feud. Yeah, Cormier um, has a former UFC light heavyweight champion. Uh, he was undefeated for a while, then he lost. Um, 
a lot of people know him for. He's, you know, one of the one of three voices commentators for most of the UFC pay-per-views along with uh, uh, Joe Rogan and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. But anyway, uh, Daniel Cormier, huge, huge wrestling pro wrestling fan. Uh, he, he has said this for a while now. There's been rumors uh, the day back, even pre-COVID, that when when Cormier was the 205 champion, that he wanted to be involved somehow, some way with the WWE. And this and this is a good situation to put him in. Um, you know, is, is he going to be like Mike Tyson? He rips the shirt off and there's the DX shirt. You know, it, does he favor one of the other here? He's got to hit Rollins at some point, right? Either whether yeah. it be after the match, maybe. Like I could see it, Rollins being mad about something after the match, you know, or and then him and Rollins getting into it. That's that's sort of what happened with Bret Hart and Shamrock, I think. Or sure. maybe it's towards the end of the match, Rollins is trying to be cheap or do something, and Cormier has to push him, you know, push him off. That's usually what we see. That they've who knows this may lead to a Cormier. Cormier, it's it's Cormier in Texas, even though he's from Lafayette, Louisiana. It's Cormier over there. It could lead to him. DC is what we what they call him. DC. It could lead to DC and and Rollins. Yeah, match down the road. That could be like I, I a think, mania. That could be like the seeds for a possible absolutely. mania match. It's pretty big, you know. Right? If, you could cross promote UFC with the pay per views and WWE. We know that he's WWE one of the few that I think the name works because the name his name is a big name. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, one of the best ever. Um, he was a, and what was hard to beat him is he, he was a wrestler. He would he, he was a Brock Lesnar type. He would lean on you on the cage, take you down. Once he got you down, you know, at, you know, you weigh in at 205, but at fight time, you're 220, 230, and uh, they just wear you out. Uh, I, I think this is, this, this is a riddle match here. I think from the beginning, this was a spot that Riddle goes over. The, the bookmakers definitely say it. Riddle is minus 400 going into this. I did think that the promo on Monday night with Seth Rollins was a little, he talks about, I, I don't know if you, you know, if a lot of people know, you know, the personal stuff of, of Matt Riddle, but Rollins definitely said, hey, you know, I get to see my, my kids, <laughs> you know, you don't. And I thought that was a low blow. I really thought that was a low blow. I know, and and then Rawl like Riddle kind of came back. Riddle didn't really hit him as quite as hard. He said something like, "You didn't get the main event WrestleMania." It's like, yeah, I mean, you're talking about my kid. He said, "Becky did." You know what? In I I think we mentioned this last week. We we were scratching our heads and a little not disgusted, but damn, I can't believe they're taking Rollins and Riddle off the pay per view. I can't remember. SummerSlam. Slam. Summer Slam. Yeah. These two guys are not going to be on SummerSlam. Well, you know, we talk about things not working out a lot. This is, you know, the we talked about Dominic and Ray, the same thing. It worked out now. And I think this has definitely worked out uh, again because I, I, you know, you put that match at SummerSlam, we're not talking Riddle and Rollins right now. I, I don't think we're still involved in that program. So I think they've done a good job here. And, and I think it's, it's going to be. And maybe. Here. Maybe you, in like this, maybe this was like a plan where they had this fight pit match that could lead to a Cormier something. And they had to wait for the timing, maybe, sure. right? He sure. had to be available, you know, for the pay-per-view. And then that could maybe lead to him versus Rollins down the line. We're, yeah, we're, I think, we're speculating I, here, but that could be I, like. I, I, think, I think it does. I think if it, I, I think it hinges on the match itself and the way Cormier 
you know, it, it goes off. I, I don't think we're going to see the last of DC on Saturday night. We may not see him back on Raw on Monday. I'm not DC. saying that. Little DC reminds me of uh, Dane Cook when he calls himself DC. <laughs> loved, loved me some of those Dane Cook stand-ups throughout the uh, throughout the uh, years, man. I used to have them all on CDs. The the driving around listening to them. One more coop on the uh, on the pay-per-view: Bianca versus Bailey. Now, I this is a ladder match, so again, one that they could have an out for Bianca. I really. Really enjoyed their segment on Raw with Bailey because we've never really heard Bailey talk to us about why she became a heel. I-, I can't recall if we have. She was just sort of a heel, and she talked about how I was you before Bianca, and you know, and and then the, the fans turn on you. And Bianca said, "No, we just found out who the real you is. Like this was always the real you. The reason why." They like me now because this is me. I'm Bianca. I'm real. I'm authentic. I, I just like the interaction with the two of them. And then what was kind of cool is the others from Damage Control went backstage to attack Alexa and Asuka. That is what distracted Bianca. So it was just a little bit different than your normal. They're in the ring for the contract signing, and it's a distraction. So it was just slightly different, like the booking of it. I mean, the the looking of the blocking of it. You know, like where where it was location wise. I don't know. I still don't know if this is Bailey right now at this moment. I'm not positive because Bianca still feels pretty good, but. I like what they're doing with damage control, and I'm worried that if Bailey doesn't win this, it might take a little bit of her steam away. I'm very torn in this, and I'm curious what the odds are in this one. Talk to us about the ladder match, Coop, for the women's championship on the Raw side. Yeah, usually when we have contract signings, especially in WWE, you just kind of roll your eyes because it's the it's you know same thing, different different day. Um, usually get them out in the ring. You know, sometimes we bring in Jerry Lawler, you know, to to kind of mediate it and a table gets turned over and somebody gets super kicked or you know what happens but i'm with you i i I liked how they they did it on raw monday night um and yeah you know for the last couple of weeks we've been talking about you know how much of a fan we are at bailey but it just doesn't seem like the timing is right for her right now there is some concern that if she does lose the match what does that do to damage control who are the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions who over the last couple of weeks, not this past Monday, but the last couple of weeks have taken losses in singles matches. Um, I, I, I'm without looking before looking at the odds. I, I, I didn't know. I, it, it definitely feels like Bianca goes over here. There is concern that, you know, Friday we have this quote unquote season debut of SmackDown as we do on Monday will be the, the season debut of Raw. And uh, before we talk about AEW, we'll talk about the new uh, commentary t- changes. Um, so do they, if you're, if you're dead set on Ronda Rousey winning the title, the SmackDown Women's Championship, do they do, do they have two title changes, women's title changes, and start Raw with Bayley as the new Raw Women's Champion? Um, Bianca Belair, slim favorite here, minus 140, Bayley plus 120. Um, I mean, I can really see it going either way. Like, I yeah, and that's and, and I think the bookmakers do too. I, mm-hmm. I I I don't always like to look, especially in wrestling. I always like to look at it. We talked about it here. 
with Edge and Drew McIntyre. Not so much is who do you need to put the title on or who does it help? I, I you know, who does it, who is hurt more? More by the loss. Yeah. And, and man, if, if you look at it, if Bianca loses this title, she could chase Bailey. But if Bailey loses, you know, there's, there's she just out of the picture, right? right. Like, is that, right. and I agree with you. That's the only thing. Like, Bianca feels like she's just there and established. I don't know if, if she beats Bailey, does that kind of push Bailey down? Uh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe we're talking ourselves into Bailey more and more here as we. Uh, if you put a if you put a gun to my head, I would go. I, I'd take the chalk. I'd go Bianca. It just feels safe. But um, if if they're ready to go in new directions here, and they're giving it to Ronda, and we're giving it to Bailey. Look, Bailey is she's come come back from a lot. You know, she she had the knee issue. She was out for a long time. She missed WrestleMania. Um, There's a lot of spots that she's missed. Um, and do they reward her? I don't know. It, uh, this is a very, very intriguing match on Saturday night. This is the one that I have no idea who's going to win. Okay, Coop. Uh, we'll talk about a couple other things on the WWE side before we move to NXT. We have some uh, new commentary teams that you, uh, you just uh, broke the news to me. Let everybody know what are the new commentary teams going to look like on Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. Pat McAfee during football season is a part of um, ESPN College Game Day, which is getting incredible ratings and numbers. Sure. McAfee, they, the people love McAfee, man. The guy just—he's a draw. So tell uh, tell us what the new commentary teams are going to look like. Well, I think they you deserve some kind of uh, consultant fee. I'm and, afraid I've got some good <laughs> news. Uh, you nailed it, man. SmackDown will debut. Uh, Michael Cole, of course, stays, and Wade Barrett gets the call up from NXT. So that's definitely, definitely exciting. On Raw, Kevin Patrick is in. Um, Jimmy Smith is out, and Corey Graves. So we go to a two-man team on Monday Night Raw. Jimmy Smith is out, and hey, look, I like Jimmy Smith. I thought he was actually one of the guys that they brought in that actually worked. He he did yeah I was gonna say I had no problem with Jimmy he did fine None. he was he was fine he, and he gave them a little bit more of a a sports kind of feel pa- Kevin Patrick is like I like him and for them he's like the WWE guy molded sure, like sure. he's yeah he's got their look he's got their sound he talks in like WWE sound bites you know so they just I think he'll do a really good job he he kind of reminds me of a of a Tom Phillips kind of. Sure. Uh, announcer in that like he's just he's smooth yeah. and he's he's funny and he's good and like I think he'll do a really good job the, the what, on those pre-shows he's he's got some uh, some good personality like he's done a lot of the pre-shows and stuff right that's the same guy we're talking about here yes sure yeah and he he's yeah. really yeah he's got a good like charm good. to him too and he's kind of he's he's funny so I think he'll I think he'll do a good job there um and NXT um which this past Tuesday was live but Vic Joseph wasn't there, but don't despair. He, he's been overseas on a honeymoon. He married a fellow NXT uh, uh, interviewer, backstage personality, Mackenzie Mitchell. Um, lucky, lucky fella there. Vic Joseph and five time, five time, five time, five time, five time WCW. Booker E is returning to the commentary book. Look at Tuesday the nights with Big Joseph. So, 
yeah, there, there's a lot of changes in the air, man. It is uh, it's coming fast and furious here on the WWE side of things. So we get into a couple other things, uh, the bloodline stuff with the honorary ooze, and man, it's can't get enough. This is some good stuff. We saw them on SmackDown, then they came over to Raw. Um, Sammy and Solo had a tag team victory, and then Solo had a win. There was this one part where they're all standing together, and Sammy is like telling this story, and he's cracking up Jimmy Uso, and Solo's like standing next to him, and he's Solo's trying not to laugh, and Sammy's just going nuts telling this story. Like he's just he's <laughs> as animated as can be. I don't. Do you, you remember Wedding Crashers? I do. So there's the the one scene when Bradley Cooper. This was right before Bradley Cooper started to get really big. He actually was the bad guy. He played Sack, <laughs> you know, in uh, in Wedding Crashers. So yeah. he's, but but he's like a total phony. A lot of people think he's a great dude. And so there's the one part where he's telling the story to everyone, and he's talking about how he like saved the seals. He's like, I got the seal, you know, and he's like, and I got the seal, and he's like, ur, ur, ur. And he's like ur, ur. you know, and he's doing this all with this. This is exactly what Sammy was reminding me of here. Like, Sammy's just going to town, and he's just animated. He's all over. He's like, ur, ur, ur. And, just, and he says to me, I'm the dog, I'm the dog. And they all start. And man, if you just focused on Solo, it was like a Saturday Night Live sketch. The poor dude, he couldn't. He was trying to keep it like a straight face And then he just, you know, he busts up laughing And all three of them are laughing And then, of course, like, Jey Uso comes in all pissed off What's going on? And when, like, I don't know what Where or how they're doing it But this reminds me just a lot of how they told it With the the Usos and with Roman at the beginning And so it was sort of slow And every week there's, like, little things happening But the moment, I don't know what is going to happen. If we get a solo, Sammy gets the Usos. If KO gets in the mix here, if Sammy gets the, like, sky is the limit right now for Sammy Zayn, like, getting into the Royal Rumble and having this big run. And then, you know, him winning. Yeah. And now, then the bloodline is like, who are you going to, or what are you going to do here? And there's not, right now, you know, there's not two champions to pick from. Right. It's just Roman Reigns, you know that. Man, there's just so many things they could do with Sammy right now. He feels like he is one of the biggest stars on the roster, and it again, it's it's sort of natural. Like they're telling this story. They've been giving him little by little. I don't think they had this planned out two years ago that Sammy Zayn was going to jump in the bloodline and everything here. But as they've been giving him a little. It's it always is so good that then the next week they give him a little more. It reminds me of Mick Foley. He talked about this. Um, he said, you know, they would give me 30 seconds, and I wanted to make sure just I was jumping off the screen for those 30 <laughs> seconds. You know, I was, you know, you knew who I was, and that that's how Sammy he did the stuff with Logan, he did the stuff with the Jackass crew. You know, he was dealt some not bad hands, but he was he was making the best out of everything they gave him. And now he's in a really good spot. Yeah, because I didn't think the cons- conspiracy gimmick was was very good. No. I, I, I mean, he did everything he could to try to keep it relevant, but you know, he he would bring the little v- VHSC beta camcorder out, and he'd have the signs made. I, I just didn't think it go went over very well. You you want to talk about a a massive turn and a massive pop? You let Sammy 
You let Sami Zayn win the Royal Rumble in January in San Antonio, right? I think it's in San Antonio. You 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 let him win the Royal Rumble, and that place is going to explode because right now he is in the situation I th- I think that Cody Rhodes was in uh, when he came back to Raw. I mean, Cody was just on fire. Um, he had those matches with Rollins. There was no champion really on Raw. Um, and Sammy's now has been put in the spot and it, it's going over so good. You know, Roman doesn't even really need to be in these segments right now. I, he just doesn't need to be. And if, if you, if you want to, the wrestling fan of me, the storyline fan of me would love to have Sami Zayn win the Royal Rumble and then face Roman Reigns and night two of the main event. Now, I don't know if, if, if that's big enough for the WWE standards, but I tell you this much, man, he's, he's one of the hottest, hottest superstars on Monday and or Friday night. And if, if things keep going the way they they're going and there's Kevin Owens involved one week, maybe not. And then he wins that Royal rumble in January. Oh man. You talk about a storyline that, that you didn't see coming. This was, that'd be spectacular. So we've had a uh, theory and Gable and Otis kind of all involved with Johnny, Kevin Owens, Braun. So a couple things, positives, negatives in here. First, I liked that they they had footage from Gable and Braun wrestling in NXT at a house show yeah. years ago. And it it's just a little story that made now it made you understand why Gable might be able to hang with a guy like Braun a little bit more. Like he was he kind of coached him and he was his first match. Like he knows him. And so they actually gave Gable when they, when they wrestled on Monday, they gave Gable a lot in the match. It wasn't like nearly like the type of squashes you normally see from Ron. And um, they're, you know, this has been a TV story that they've been telling for a while. I think it's been sort of interesting on TV to, to uh, been a fun way to kind of bring Braun back. They you can't always just immediately bring someone back and throw them right into the main event picture for the world title right away. You got to give them a little bit of build. And Gable and Otis have done a good job with this. In a sort of related sense, you have Theory with Gargano, and while Gargano got a loss this week, which you know he just came in and he's losing, I will say. I don't mind it as much for a Gargano because his character is kind of the underdog character anyways, Coop. Like, he's not a guy that's probably going to be winning every single match all the time. He's not a dominant person. Gargano is the type that you'll tell the story at the right time, and then he's the type of guy who can go win the Rumble or go win a big, you know, money in the bank or something that you want and have this really fun underdog story. But in the meantime, I don't mind him losing here and there. I, I it was, it sort of felt kind of quick to have him get pinned, but it wasn't necessarily clean. It wasn't like we're having him just get squashed. It's all part of this story that's going on. If he's losing every single week, I'll have a problem with it. But if this is all, you know, to just set up what's going to happen with him and Theory on Monday, I don't mind as much. No, I'm with you. Um, you know, first, Gable has is a he may not be in the main event picture, and he may not ever be in the main event picture. This guy's doing main event work, <laughs> both in and out of the ring. He is he's a star. 
uh, what he's been able to do um, with his catchphrases, just with everything. And he's not the prototype WWE superstar. He's small. We know that. But that that guy is is a million bucks, man. He's uh, he's fun to watch any segment or any match he's in. He's fun to watch. Um, yeah, I'm OK with Gargano losing. Um, you know, it, it's it it really the interesting part here is <clears throat> we probably know that that theory was a Vince guy. Hence, uh, in, in the silly, silly program he was in with the egg going back uh, earlier this year. Um, and then winning money in the bank. And heck, you know, he was an NXT guy. He may be a Triple H guy. I don't know. But it's going to be interesting to see here how they do this briefcase here. I'm still, I still think that this briefcase is going to be put up in a match. And Again, I, maybe a KO yeah, or a Gargano. Or a Gargano. And I, I just, I would be surprised cool. if Theory is the one cashing it in before somebody else is. Let me put how it about, together. Let me fan. Let me fantasy book a little here for you. I know where you're going. K- KO gets it and puts it up against Sammy. Went in the title. Sammy. I knew you were going to say that. I said, said, great like, booking. Sammy great wins booking. it at some point, And then KO says, I've got this. I've, I've been waiting for you, Sammy. And you know what? Because like, KO could say, you know, I'm going to put this up against the winner of Sammy and Roman. Or whatever it would be. Because KO has a, plenty of, you know, issues with Roman. But just the whole... Him even getting it and having the chance for a Sammy and him in WWE for the title like that would be awesome for those two guys who have wrestled in front of 20 people years right. ago and, and are best friends. And and that was a story that they told in NXT. And that was awesome when they told that story well in NXT. But that's me fantasy booking a little no, bit. No, I, I no, I, I'm with you. I, I just I would be surprised if Theory is the one cashing it in. Now he may be the one, and he may be the champion, but I would be surprised if Theory is the one cashing this briefcase in. I, I think it changes hands. I don't know when, but I think it does. While they were listening, on uh, one other thing too, <laughs> as yeah, we got <laughs> Max Dupree. He was just he's getting fed up with these Maxima male models. They're not even. Trying in the ring he thought they were going to Use the you know they were Going to try to win matches And then use that To you know get some fame and Notoriety instead they just want to pose And he gave us A little I'm done with this Yeah as he walked (laughs) off So it looks like we're getting the Return of one of your and my Personal favorite L.A. Knight I I mean Take the words right out of L.A. Knight's mouth. Yeah. What I, else can we say? Yeah. You know, it, it's yeah. It, it didn't work. Uh, I, you know, again, this is probably not a Triple H deal. That was you know, a Vince gimmick. Definitely a Vince gimmick. And you know, I, it was it was kind of interesting at the beginning, but without him being in the ring, it takes it takes away from from him uh, as a worker. And I think he needs to be in the ring to get this gimmick over. And if he's not L.A. Knight, it's going to be a hard sell. If if he stays Dupree, I, you know, I'll give it some time. But if we don't go back to L.A. Knight, I would be shocked. I really yeah. would be. We're no, this, it. We're this, guy, it. this guy is a star. And if they do turn him and he goes back to L.A. Knight, look out. Because this is uh, Friday nights will get a lot more interesting. Because this guy can go. He can talk to talk and walk to walk. It'll be fun. Especially now with Triple H. The only worry for him would have been. Does Vince like the guy? Sure. Because 
we can all see it, he, that he can talk, but it, for for Vince, sometimes it's just does he like him or not. Triple H saw it in him in NXT, no doubt, and in giving him the opportunity to kind of shrug off this bad gimmick, I think he sees it also. Yeah, yeah. As uh, <laughs> Hit Row just continues to pick up uh, victories, so they're building them up kind of slow and nicely. And Shotzi got the tank back. Um, she uh, she drew uh, drove out the tank, but Bailey picked up a victory against her. Um, over on the Raw side, the one thing I think is a little bit weird. So we have the big Riddle Rollins match. Why did they set up a, a match for the next night for Rollins or on Monday night? Rollins faces Lashley for the U.S. title. That feels a little bit weird. Having yeah, I that, like that, or I don't like it. I don't that like it. That tells you that Rollins is winning. Right? I don't it want does to see it? Rollins with a loss. Me neither. In I don't. That's weird to me. I know. I don't like it. I don't understand why they did that. I'm not. So I'm not sure. Cormier, no. DC would have to turn and, and just be, go straight hill for Rollins to win. If and Rollins DC, clean, maybe they set up a DC Riddle match. Yeah, or or DC, you know, Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley's MMA. He fought a Bellator for a time. Something like that, or to get those four involved. Yeah, um, that's a that's not a bad. Yeah, you're right. If Riddle, lo- if Riddle loses, where does Riddle go from here? And you know, know, does Orton come? When is Orton coming back? You know, yeah, I don't apparently know. he was yeah, his injuries were not great. Like we had just haven't heard all that much from him. Uh anything else to mention? We talked about AJ and we're gonna have Gargano versus Theory on Monday night. We uh do we know how long Montez is hurt? I I'm such a bummer. I, I felt bad seeing yeah. him in that in the boot there. That was a yeah, bummer. I, I haven't heard. Hopefully not long. The Oh, Candice, both of the Garganos lost back to back. That was a that was a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the one thing that bothered me, and I'll be consistent wherever this bothers me, there were like four in a row distraction finishes. Yeah. Like all in a row from Johnny. It happened with Candice and Dakota. Dakota picked up the win on Monday Night Raw. Then you know Otis was right after that. Otis got the win over Johnny because of a distraction, and then. Uh, we had it again happen earlier in the car. Uh, we had it again happen uh, solo using the distraction yeah. in the match against Dawkins. So there were three. And then no, it I... happened with EO again in the EO versus Alexa Bliss match. It's too safe. And I, the, like the same, it, it bothers me because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to critique AEW in a minute when we talk about them for like the same type of thing they were doing. This sure. was, this, I thought the first hour and a half of Raw was pretty good. I thought the last hour was sort of they they do play it safe sometimes. Like I like Alexa and EO, but that was the main event. Yeah, and it was um, a match that they didn't even have. And like they made the they put the main event match as a match that wasn't announced earlier, like as one of their big draws or hey tune into Raw for this. It's like oh we made this match and that's going to be the main event. That's always kind of weird when. When that happens, it's not one of the matches that you had previously been promoting. Do you and, uh, and of course you've seen everything with the QR code placement. Is this Bray Wyatt? You know, oh yeah. It- and this this thing is nuts. The QR code placement. Yeah, if folks. If you're not following along with this, the WWE has recently hired a new writer that's supposed to be 
the head of long-term booking. I'm glad you're bringing this up because I totally forgot about it. And this is a writer that apparently has some is maybe responsible for all this white rabbit stuff. And you dive into this. They have been dropping QR codes and weird clues in the background of Monday Night Raw on things. And there is a rabbit hole that you can go down right now. When the white rabbit code, there's a QR code. So second hour of Raw, Candice LeRae was backstage, went up to Bianca. I'm reading directly from TJR Wrestling. I sent you this this uh, link from the John report. Second hour of Raw, Candice LeRae is backstage. She goes up to Bianca, Alexa, and Asuka. During their conversation, the screen uh, got snowy, followed by a QR code that appeared for less than a second. When the white rabbit code is scanned, it takes the individual to a pair of paintings, one of them being a magic eye painting. You remember those magic eye paintings? Oh, yeah. Where you have to see the hidden sailboat in there. You'd stand at the mall. This is a great Seinfeld episode. Oh, yeah. Mr. Pip. <laughs> it's, isn't it like Jay and Silent Bob in one of yeah. them? It's like Dogma or one of them yeah. where they're like standing there trying to look at it and they can't figure it out. And, oh, Mr. Pip, you're right. He can't yeah. find the sailboat. Great, great pull there. And so then it, it, it takes you to a magic eye painting. The link in this that the scanner is taken to a WWE.com URL and then there's a binary code in there. And it's just nuts what you go through. It takes you to a painting. It takes you to you can you continue here to another like all these different things that you're going through. And there, then there's a photo of Samson, which is with Delilah cutting his hair, um, eliminating his strength. Then you look this up. It's the location of the Wells Fargo Center where Extreme Rules is this week. People were going <laughs> deep doing all <laughs> this work, which is really cool. That. Some people took the time to do this and that WWE is taking the time to do this and they're not they're doing it in a way that feels different like you don't have to know this right because someone's going to show up and when they show up then that's all that matters this is just kind of fun along the way this could all be a total red herring <laughs> just to throw people off there have been be. things there have been things that were in reference to Malachi Black in like a Dante's Inferno, which I think is his finishing move, like the name of one. There was a reference to um, Gacy in one of them. Oh yeah, which people thought might have been Joe Gacy, but then they said maybe it's the John Wayne Gacy or uh, the the uh, the, the Mur. So, I mean, they're just screwing with people a little bit here, which is really really fun. There's another <laughs> code on the original web page that's hidden, and um, it appears it's like red squiggly lines. And it's from Predator, and it when when translated, it says, "Before me, things created were none, save things eternal and eternal. I endure." A quote from Dante's Inferno. It ends with, "Abandon all hope, ye who enter here." Just crazy stuff. <laughs> um, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here are the same words listed on Bray Wyatt's Firefly Funhouse door. Ooh. Signaling a potential return of the fiend. This is good stuff. It is. It's it just is. different, you know. And yeah, it's not something they're putting out there and like doing vignettes. They're just placing these things like Easter eggs and the old DVDs, you know, that we gotta try to find out and see. People what's are going. doing this on their own. Yes, they've they've 
they've found all of this on their own and I'm looking forward to it. Looks like Saturday we're going to get I mean it's got to be Bray. It's got to be Bray Wyatt, right? What match did they get involved in? That's a great point. I mean it, Riddle that would make sense but it's in the fight pit, right? True. Does he get in there in the pit edge, edge. with the judgment okay. day something? Could be. Um yeah, there Okay, maybe he's just an appearance. He doesn't really get even involved in a match. Or how about this? This is what I said. How about we get like a video, something spooky, and then we get someone bouncing down the ring in the rabbit suit. (laughs) Adam Rose. (laughs) And and people think it's Adam Rose, and then like the music starts to play for a second, and then it's Bray Wyatt comes out and crushes the, the rabbit. You know, and then Bray Wyatt just sort of has like a... I'm back, you know, like his moment and the crowd can go. It, it, it could be that. It could be something that is non-related to any of the matches. I, I, someone talked about Alexa could turn heel and yeah, cause no, lose. That's a great point. So That's a great point. It, it just, it's, I like the fact that they haven't put it out there as vignettes and say someone's coming or give the dates or something like this. It's something that you've had to figure out. And again, it may be all for nothing just to get you more involved in, you know, in WWE storytelling, but it's definitely uh, very, very intriguing. Paintings, magic eye paintings, binary codes, ties to Gacy, ties to Samson, biblical figures, Japanese milk. I mean, there is just <laughs> this is unbelievable that they went through uh, all of these lengths, and it was kind of fun. Um, yeah, so we get to uh, NXT and. This week, I'll give them a little bit of leeway because everybody was dealing with really bad hurricane stuff over the last with Hurricane Ian and sort of the impact of Hurricane Ian over the last week. A lot of WWE uh, talent lives in Florida, and in NXT, they are based out of Florida where there were major issues. So this felt like a show that they had a lot of promos and sort of backstage segments that things that might have had to been had had to be taped. And you know produced And I will say I didn't think this was I didn't think the end of Raw was very good I didn't think this was a very good show For the most part There are a few things that I liked I think there were some things that I just, I just didn't like And then AEW I just thought it was not a great week overall For wrestling um, They had What is it? Suda Shaw was filling in As um, I think Vic Vic was on uh, Honeymoon So shout out to Vic yeah. And Wade Barrett took a shot at him right off the bat, which was great. Man, this opening segment, this was like one of those segments that they put on Raw that just is on paper. You think it might be good or sound funny, and this thing was awful. Those guys, pretty deadly, goes out there dressed up in their wigs, and you know they came to the NXT to make it a better place. And they start talking about Briggs and Jensen and ugly denim and. Sweater vest and oily chessman and Ofe and blade and it just it went on too long and it wasn't getting the response. I think these guys can be funny at times, but you know the new day went out there with the old day segment that was awful. This sort of felt like one of those cringy segments where like I would be embarrassed watching this with my friends that are like you know that your friends that sort of already give you crap about watching wrestling. This would be one of the segments where you'd be like, oh, gosh, 
this isn't, <laughs> this isn't good. Like, I wish they weren't sitting here right now because they're going to give me crap about this. The whole episode felt AEW to me, as in trying to do too much for what they had. Completely and agree. And they it was like forcing things in directions that didn't need to be forced. Yeah, just the so the brawling brutes come out at the beginning and the, the the end of the first segment, and it sets up a match for the end of the show where Pretty Deadly ends up winning the NXT Tag Team Championship over the brawling brutes because Imperium interferes. So it continued to build to their match this weekend and all the stuff with Imperium and the brawling brutes. I um I like what we've been seeing from Oro Oro Mensa. Mm-hmm. He's He's very good in the ring. Carmelo gets a win over him, but Carmelo just sort of feels like I don't understand why they what they did with the title. Why did they do the whole thing with Solo, having Solo win that title, then having it get stripped and have and put back up in the ladder match here? I just it felt weird to take it off Carmelo that and not not for a bigger reason, not have it be a bigger deal. Somebody beating him where it was just sort of like Solo beat him. In this non-promoted match And then I think the latter match will be fine But I don't understand why they did it now Eh Again The last couple of weeks have been taped Then this week You know uh, You have the the new logo And um, I don't know It just seemed I I couldn't put my finger on exactly what needed to be done But definitely with Carmelo He feels like he's real Cold cool. now. He's cooled down a hell of a lot. And man, um, we, we had him on the main roster <laughs> I know. a couple of months ago. We, we booked uh, Raw. So, again, Von freaking Wagner, like Chase, you felt like they were building awesome. a lot of momentum right now. And Chase feels like he should be able to pick up some wins. I don't think he should be your main champion, but he should be in matches that are. More important now It would be fun to have all of Chase U Out there in the ladder match I could see them doing a spot where he was like Getting thrown and they all like Save him you know and they like hold him up All like And they they you know they carry him back over to safety I just man I'm, I'm Von Wagner never does it for me No he never does it for me Day one I don't like the way he looks Sorry hate to be that way I, I look Robert Stonebrand has not helped him at all. Um, I thought maybe it would. It didn't. And this was very disappointing to me. Very, very disappointing to me. Because if he goes on and wins this ladder match, I'm really going to be pissed off. Wesley actually jumps Carmelo. Wes is winning this thing, right? Has to. He's, he's been getting a long build. He has an, a feud with Carmelo. He feels like the one that would be would get the biggest pop, I think, for winning this match also. Veer, Veer Mahan, he's here. <laughs> Veer and Sangha uh, had a little look. Um, but I, this is what you mean, though. They're just throwing so much on this episode. There's a lot. All of these things have like, and then after that match, Wesley goes after Carmelo. Then backstage, Sangha's talking with Nathan Frazier. Then Veer Mahan, Veer Mahan walks up and looks at Sangha. Then Last Legend walks back and talks back. It's like. What the hell do all these things have to do with each other? You know, <laughs> um, and then we have Lash versus Wendy Chu. Wendy Chu wins with a Vader bomb. So, I mean, this is just a basic match for Wendy. I, 
Don't really know what they're doing with Lash. Uh, Channing Stacks Lorenzo was back there because Tony D got hurt. Sure. So he's the last man standing right now. Is uh, his old <laughs> Stacks. Um, man, like then we get a video package from Gallus. Toxic Attraction comes out. They cut a promo. Then we get a video package from Carter and Katana Chance. I mean, there is a lot that they were trying, Cooper. You're right, man. Just going through, it's like, and that's what ends up happening when you try to do all these things. It doesn't feel like anything flows or sticks or is well done. It's all just like. What do you remember from Tuesday night? Nothing like. Much. I don't. I don't really remember. And I'm a, a, you know me. You're an NXT mark. We love it. We love it. This was a, this was a tough Tough ish, uh, addition, uh, a tough show to follow on Tuesday night. It was just way too much. A lot of it didn't make sense. Um, I mean, some yeah. matches were okay, but I, what do you remember? Not a lot. Not a lot. Cora or Nikki and Zo- Nikita and Zoe are now your number one contenders. They beat Gigi and uh, they beat uh, Toxic Attraction. And we got then a video package from Dragon Off and. In the ring, it was Cora and Roxanne. Now, none of this made sense because it's the Waller effect. Waller's in there. He's not, he's supposed to be getting the feud over between Cora and Roxanne, but he's doing the Miz gimmick where he's not letting them really talk or he doesn't want them to talk. So he's just trying to get himself over. And then in this, Roxanne talks about how she's going into this with no emotion. But then she starts talking about all of her emotion. <laughs> I'm like, like, just scratching my head at all of this. Both of these like, girls will be yeah. good, but just for some reason, the the way they did their story and not having them have like a month run as the tag team champions, it screwed everything up. It screwed the timing of it up. We didn't even believe. We didn't know these girls were best friends. You got to let us know on your show. You can tell us that they've been best friends before they came here. We need to see it for a few weeks, for a month, for them helping each other out, and then see them turn. If we don't see them connect, the turn doesn't matter. I don't really know that Cora Jade and, and Roxanne were friends, and so it doesn't really feel like this is some blood feud here. I, I this was this was a bad segment too. It just it, and then it ends with. Weird Eye Apollo Cruz. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on with his eye. You know, it's he, he's bleeding. His, his eyes are bleeding. I don't know what's going on. Number one, I thought this is like a bad, bad, like Piper's Pit can't be shown this week. So here's the Waller effect for you. I know. <laughs> you know, You're right. And then, you know, back to Cora and Roxanne. How long has this storyline been going on? And none of it seems good anymore. No. At all. I thought it should. I'm with you. I thought they should have had the tag belts. I'm fine with Cora turning. But it just didn't. It seemed odd when they turned when they were champions. I I, I don't know. I I just, you know, you have Halloween Havoc coming up. It's on a Saturday, right? October 22nd. It's coming up in two, three. So we're going to build up to that. That'll be fine. But again, this was this is a bad episode, and and it was. That's, that's why we do what we do here because we're not going to pull any punches when things aren't good. We're not going to sugarcoat it. We uh, the schism backstage, good lord, handing out buttons, 
Um, Julius Creed picked up a win over Hudson, but then Damon Kemp is out there healing it up and taunting them, and it sounded like he lost, like he he forgot his words. I think yeah. I think he forgot his line. I actually like him. I think he's pretty good. He's uh, yeah. Gable Stevenson's brother, and maybe that's where we're going with him. Maybe it's a way to bring in Gable. It, and don't, like, and don't we and don't we have a loser leave NXT match coming up? I well, he says <laughs> if he beats Julius, his brother has to leave. That's it. His, <laughs> Not his, you. It's a, my brother leaves to lose. So <laughs> what if Julius doesn't like him? He just lays down. Hey, I'll just lay down. Sorry, Brutus, you're out. I never really liked you, anyways. Get out of here. Um. So it's going to be an ambulance match. That's it. Um. That's what that's what we're going to have. Uh, then we got a JD McDonough video package. Then we have Hank Walker backstage. I mean, think about how many Hank. We just went from them, Zion Quinn and Quincy Elliott. All boom. It's just too much. There was too much going on. Zion Quinn gets a win over Hank Walker. Then we got Cameron Grimes backstage, and he gets beat down and. Attacked, smashed with the trash can. And so there's a small smiley man, right? What the hell is this? It looks like, I mean, is it like a child? It's, <laughs> it's this tiny figure that's like hooded with like a smile. Is this like the movie that just came out, that smile? Yeah, could be. It's like a, it's like a take on this. I don't know what the hell this is. Like so much of this in one week just did not. Feel very good That Katana and Kate, or that Chance and Carter Video package That was bad That was bad It was They're awkward your champion, right? You're your tag team women's champions It was awkward They were it, it just was really Really awkward Cutting of Like the, the footage They didn't seem like they were friends Or they knew a whole lot about each other It was bizarre um, Then we had An interview with Breaker Which was fine I mean, I was it was fine, and Javier Bernal interrupts, so he's going to be getting a match next week. We finished with the tag team championship match, pretty deadly wins as uh, Imperium got involved. So most weeks, I'm really high on NXT. I thought I thought most of the show was just bad this week, Chad, and I, I can say it. I'm not going to hold it against them all that much moving forward because things might have just been out of whack this week with the way the hurricane and the weather was. But yeah, it was it just wasn't great. No, it wasn't. Be a live show too. It was not very good. I understand the take, but yeah, didn't like it. So let's get to AEW. And <laughs> man, it's a it's a bummer for AEW because where they are right now, you can have good shows, good pay-per-views, good matches, but that's not what people are talking about. People are not talking about the product that you have. And if I were a John Moxley, a Brian Danielson, a Chris Jericho. I'd be getting kind of pissed off now. And all the reports are that a few weeks ago in AEW, there was a locker room meeting and a couple of those guys sort of stood up and talked. And now we're seeing Sammy Guevara and Andrade like really going at each other on social media disrespectfully, not not in a working fashion, not to build a match, not as part of the show. That's the thing here. This is beyond the, oh, yeah, they're just doing this to get buzz. No, they're not because they're not getting any good buzz whatsoever. These are things that 
sponsors don't like to hear. This is bad stuff where we've already had fights in locker rooms. We've had two guys who weren't supposed to go to try to be anywhere near each other on Wednesday night. Sammy Guevara and Andrade both show up. And then what's weird, Andrade gets sent home. Sammy Guevara gets to stay because he's in the main event. I don't know. But this is already recently now just the second time that something's happened with Sammy. Him and Eddie Kingston got into it because Sammy said some stuff that he didn't that Kingston didn't like. Apparently Andrade hit Sammy too hard in the ring. Keep in mind Sammy was a guy who proposed to his childhood sweetheart or his high school girlfriend on TV. We all saw this and then a couple months later he broke up with her and now he's married to Ty Conti. I'm I'm not saying like he's I don't know anything about Sammy Guevara. I'm saying it's not look great for him, but it and it didn't look great that he was wrestling in the main event. I thought that came off kind of poor when Tony Khan made a really good kind of strong decision with all the stuff with CM Punk and the Bucks. He sent them all home. He didn't play favorites with any of them. Even though some of those guys may not have done necessarily a whole lot wrong. He said, hey, everybody's got to go right now while this gets investigated. This kind of felt like the opposite. This felt like, man, why what did why are you going at Andrade and not at Sammy here? <clears throat> um, Dave Meltzer said there's he knows of three, three individuals on that roster who are looking to get fired. They they they, they want out of the contract. They and don't since want to Tony Khan won't let them. Right. And we know one is Andrade. He didn't mention he. Did not say who the other two were, um, but one's Andrade. I'll say this about Andrade. Um, at least he showed up and said he backed up what he said he was going to do on Twitter to Sammy. I think they said he threw a punch. They don't oh, say he, said, he said, I'll be there. I'm and not he scared does. of anything. He went after him, and he went after him. Because he doesn't I, care. I will say that about Andrade. He has that air of confidence to him, and it's like, I don't care. I know I'm good. I can go somewhere else. I think for Andrade, he sort of just always knows that he can go back to Mexico and be like a star if if he wanted in AAA or somewhere like that. So he has a nice. Like, you think he? You think he can go back to the WWE? Oh, now with Triple H, absolutely, hundred percent. Triple H. Uh, he was the NXT champion. Like, <laughs> he was presented like a star in NXT. I think he can absolutely go back to WWE. And be presented like a star in Charlotte's there. And now the whole vibe has changed. And I'm, and that and maybe that is why he's sent home and they don't want to let him wrestle because I just, Andrade could maybe go out there and go into business for himself. He's that type of guy who maybe doesn't care, but I just don't like each week there's something awful. Just not it's just there could be all kind of problems in WWE. I, you don't hear about them. This uh, TMZ is tweeting reports. I mean, I don't know if they're doing some of this, leaking it to try to get get you over that, uh, get them over that one million television rating hump. But it just seems like there's something new every week with some kind of talent that is it's it's not positive. So you're on the road to something very destructive going to happen, and God forbid that somebody loses their life in the ring in AEW. But something is, you know, something is has to change here. They're, they're, you're missing, and somebody brought this point up. You're missing a real leader in that locker room somewhere, an it's undertaker. Weird. You know, because you feel like with, you feel like with Jericho, 
Yeah. He's he seems like he's that kind of a guy. You feel like a Moxley can also be that kind of a guy. Brian Danielson may not be the vocal leader, but he's kind of the other guy that you can maybe go talk to, maybe and ask for advice. And then, you know, you have guys like Regal in there, but I don't understand why this is happening. And it's it's embarrassing. It's a newer company. And it's embarrassing because it's taking away from any good they have on TV. I thought a lot of the in-ring stuff, when you go like individually in a vacuum, a lot of stuff on the show was good. But the problem was, this was their three-year anniversary show, right? <laughs> Did it feel like that? Did it feel? Yep. I know that WWE goes over the top with sometimes with the hundred hundredth episode, thousandth episode, all those kind of things. But this was there was more Ring of Honor on this show than there was AEW on your. AEW three year anniversary. I didn't I didn't understand that. And that's what I I don't understand what the what they're doing with the Ring of Honor stuff here. Because how many times did we see after a match somebody try to shake the other person's hand? That's a Ring of Honor gimmick. Like that's a Ring of Honor thing. And we saw it multiple times. It it happened literally in back to back matches. Just like I said with WWE, how they had all the distraction finishes. There were multiple times on this show when after a match Guys went to go shake their hand and they either did it, they kind of acted healy. It was the exact same thing that happened right after one another. Is is that because the agents aren't talking to each other? Is there like a line of communication that's not happening? All of this leads to what we've been seeing going on because people go out there on TV and they say things that may not have gotten cleared backstage. There isn't like a level of checks and balances that may need to be there. Sometimes corporate life and corp like dealing with corporate stuff, it stinks. But when it has a lot of checks and balances, you're not going to get as many people pissed off like we've seen in each other in the last couple months with AEW. All these guys are mad at each other, and it seems like it's because of the leadership. I, I mean, it it was hard to be getting into the show on Wednesday, knowing that like. They kept changing matches right before. They changed this. They changed this. Things were different. But uh, alas. And your three, look, and your three-year anniversary show, your main event is what? The Ring of Honor title. And even what? Ian Riccoboni, I think that's his last name, who was at the end of ROH. He was their TV analyst, uh, play-by-play guy. He even mm-hmm. said it on air. This is not the ROH I knew. He said at the very end, he said, if this is Ring of Honor, this is not the Ring of Honor that I knew. And he's right. They're, they're, I'm sorry. I, yeah, it's good to see Samoa Joe back, but let's Samoa Joe be AEW. Rick Abani had one line, I will say, that really popped me, and we'll talk about it for a second. They said, uh, it's, it's, uh, when he sat down, it's a natural scissoring day. You know, <laughs> how, uh, he said, yeah. I'm waiting till tomorrow to celebrate with my wife. It's our anniversary. You know, I, and I popped. That made me laugh. And they went, whoa. But yeah, good. Um, let's get into AEW now. MJF versus Yuta. Man, M- MJF is so good. And I think people forget because he's so fantastic on the mic that he's really good in the ring, too. He just he tells stories. He's like he's cut up like he's a big dude. He's athletic. He can go and. This was a good match, and this was where Wheeler Yuta gets to shine more in the ring than on the mic. I don't think it was the greatest idea in the world to have Wheeler Yuta out there a couple weeks ago on the mic against MJF. But I will say, coming out of this, this did okay for Wheeler Yuta, and this is sort of like a 
You needed you needed a, a little TV something for MJF to kind of get his legs back under him. The guy hasn't been wrestling in a long time. He needs to kind of shake some rust off. This was a good, it was like a three-week TV feud. And I didn't have a problem with this. I thought it was all pretty, like last week, I didn't, I, the, the promo stuff, I didn't like as much. But seeing the full, like the puzzle after it's been put together, this was fine. A fine use of a couple weeks and, and Yuta feels like a little bit more important And MJF won as he Should have and now you Can move MJF along I have a lot of things that I think are Critical to say about AEW or negative I didn't have a problem with this to start the show No I didn't at least it wasn't You know some 15 minute Boring segment of eight Nine people in the ring and them Getting jumped did Regal pull out brass knuckles? Yes, and they teased an MJF babyface turn here Which, they okay, did. this is what is weird This is not the time for that No At, at all Like, you you don't do that right now no. At all After the match, Wheeler Yudo went to go shake MJF's hand And MJF looked like he was about to shake his hand And then uh, Wheeler got attacked by part of Stokely's group that uh, That is like the, the hired group for MJF and MJF even said, hey, I didn't tell you to do that. But Stokely came out, gave MJF the diamond ring. He was about to hit Wheeler Yuta with it. And that was when uh, Regal came out with the brass knucks and everybody scattered. I don't, that is not a story you need to, MJF as a baby face, when they teased it that first night back, that was great. Sure. When he was, that was great. But right, this isn't something you want to tease back and forth with him. You don't tease this babyface thing for a while. Like this guy's got to be your heel. I mean, and here's the thing: we don't even, have we even seen him with this faction at all. And now there's like dissension among him and his faction <laughs> already. Like, I don't. Why are we supposed to? That it just seemed that that seemed weird. I like the match, but the post match after seemed a little bit weird, a little wonky. Uh. We then got the promo for the Danielson Garcia Jericho Guevara tag match, and we got to Jericho Society and Daddy Magic, just cutting a small little promo talking about uh, Daniel Garcia. That took us to Jay Lethal versus Darby Allen. Good match, fine match. Darby gets the win over Jay Lethal. Hey, Darby's on TV getting a win. We haven't seen that very much recently. <laughs> I think that's a coffin match. <laughs> I think it was, yeah, you're right. Just like a, an, an impromptu coffin match. Like that they haven't even built or booked. It's just, hey, let's pull the coffin out and do a coffin match. But Darby gets the win, but I, I had to rub my eyes. It's like he goes to offer Jay Lethal a handshake. <laughs> and then Jay shakes it and he like walks up the ramp kind of mad. And Sanjay Dot and they're kind of mad. Singer. And they're not sure why Lethal did it I'm not either Like either. is this Ring of Honor This wasn't for a Ring of Honor title Or anything What the? What was the point of these two guys just shaking their hand afterwards And we just saw MJF And, and then do it in the match before I just It didn't make any sense to me I, I, This was like if you would have said that this was like the, the anniversary of the first ever Ring of Honor show And then at the end of every match Every guy was shaking their hand Then I would understand this was a three-year AEW anniversary show. Made zero sense. No sense at all. <laughs> we did get a little video package setting up Brian Cage, who faced Wardlow next. We have not seen him for a long time, but the guy can go. And I thought this match was pretty fun for these two guys. Sure. I mean, these these are 
like big athletic dudes who can just beat the crap out of each other and they can fly around for big men. Wardlow gets the win. Like, man, if they would just be building Wardlow like this, giving him matches every other week or at once a week where they were like impressive matches, he would just get over because of that. And he just feels so cold, so much colder than he was. This was, but this was a good direction for him. I mean, this, was. This, this was good for him moving forward. But like looking at MJF and just thinking about where he was a little while ago, um, I, I still, I still thought this was a good week for Wardlow, though. Maybe we can, we can get some good trajectory for him moving forward. Yeah, I don't want to see him with FTR and too many tag team matches. I don't mi- mind every now and then he'll be involved in some sort of a tag match, six man or trios, whatever they call it in AEW, but. This was much better for him. Very good spot. So, so we had a uh, yeah Samoa Joe is Samoa Joe comes out afterwards and he and FTR and Wardlow all stood tall. Britt Baker cut a promo and she said that Soraya is not medically cleared. <laughs> so, what the hell are they doing here? I don't I don't understand. But you know if, what? You know she got physical. If physical. So, Here's the thing. If she can't if she can't wrestle, this was a bad way and a really like anticlimactic way of saying it. If she can wrestle, either way, they didn't build it up at all. They could have played with it and said, Can she get in the ring? We're gonna find out later tonight. She will find out. She'll let us know. We're gonna find out. They didn't tell us at all. She didn't really hit any moves. She did a kick and she kind of shoved a couple of the other girls around. Later in the night, I, I'm just confused about how they've handled this because wouldn't you just want to say that she can't if she can wrestle? Don't you want to say that? I don't know how many people are now like dying to find out because it feels like oh, okay, I guess they just told us she can't wrestle. They didn't make it seem like it was a big deal. They we they didn't really tell us that Britt was lying. Then Excalibur said, "I don't know where she got her information for from." That meant. Who knows where Brit's doctors are? So does that mean that she can wrestle? I, I really don't know. I and that's so is she lying? I this <sighs> brutal. You have you have a big star just come back and have her say, I'm back and I'm ready to wrestle. And I've been out of the ring for a while. Have her do almost exactly what CM Punk did. Hey, look, I've been out of the mm-hmm. ring for a little while. I need to I need to see what I still have. I know I still can go. I'm going to test myself first, and then I'm going after that title. Like, simple. You have her have a match a match or two against whomever, a Brit and Paige or Soraya match would be huge, and, and then you're off. But now, we're, we're, you and me watch these things. We don't even know. We're asking, is she wrestling? Is she not? I, I don't think they've handled it very well. I will say... The match was fine. They had a trios match: Athena, Willow, and Tony versus Jamie, Serena, and Penelope. Penelope hit this like cutter that was kind of nuts. That looked pretty pretty cool. And I thought Tony was aggressive in here. And Willow seems like someone that they're getting behind a little more. So I thought the women, the match was fine. And then Soraya gets involved after with Britt Baker, but I uh. Yeah, I'm I'm really confused at everything they're doing here with Soraya Coop. I'm not a fan. I think she tweeted earlier on Thursday that she's so happy that AEW had all these women's segments on Dynamite. Um, and that she was they kept saying, Oh, you know, Soraya got physical. 
I, you know, if you're trying to hide the fact that she can't and Brit is being a bully um, or it's a shoot or a work, I don't know. And your commentator is, did somebody tell him in his ear to say that? Because that's what threw me off is, well, I don't know where she got her info. What? Then why would she say it in the first place? I, I, if you're trying to hide the fact that she can't be in the ring, you don't want or she can't get physical and work a match. You're going to have a lot of people saying, well, why did you sign her? You know, wh- why did you, you know, c- she she didn't come cheap. So why would you bring her over? I, 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 I'm I don't know. I, this is this this is very very weird for me. I talked about it last week with, and we've talked about it for a while now because it it hasn't worked very well. There hasn't been many WWE former WWE superstars who made the transition and has done very well for themselves in AEW, except for the few that we mention all the time. I don't know where they're going with this. It looks like it's going to be a Soraya, uh, uh, a Britt Baker type storyline, but. They're going at it on Twitter. I don't know what that does for for AEW. I don't know what it does for this feud. Um, I think I don't. Well, then, I don't then what I ends don't up happening is think. then what ends up happening is you've got the two biggest women in your company, and neither one of them have the title. And, and either and of the titles. The other point. That's the other point. Where's Jade? Uh, Tony Storm is your interim, and Jade's again, always on Rampage, right? They it, had they said Willow is going to be facing Jade for the third time. Good lord, Ugh. they just don't have anyone else to. No, to, this I, is going to be thirty eight. Want to sign her, and and you want her because WWE doesn't want her. Then say it. I, I think they're hiding the fact that she can't wrestle. I, I think if she could wrestle, she would have already wrestled. Don't you think AEW would have put her in her gear and she would have had a match by now? Gosh, that's what I think. I think she can't. I don't think she's able to work right now. She may not be able to work ever again. We, uh, okay. Major positives about this next part. (laughs) National scissoring day celebration. Okay. And this was awesome. And this was not at all. AEW. This was a total WWE type segment. This was a million percent, something that WWE would have done. And it was, it was incredible. Like I felt, I felt happy for these guys. I don't even know them, but I felt so happy for Max Caster and for Bowens having this moment. And man, Bowens went out there, and and they're having the National Scissoring Day celebration. And I was hard on AEW for not giving these guys time to celebrate after they won. But I, after seeing this, I'm I'm kind of okay with it. And man, this is like. The most overact right now in wrestling with the the scissoring thing. They, they're the crowds chanting "scissor me, daddy ass," and they get up on the the podium. And Bowens welcomes us to the first ever National Scissoring Day, brought to you by the most popular team in wrestling, the winningest team, the best homegrown team. <laughs> the their shirt is the number one seller for merch, and they said uh, AEW now stands for Acclaimed Every Wednesday. He says. It's time to celebrate, and I know a thing or two about scissoring. And he, <laughs> he says, I'm the sultan of scissor. And he, uh, um, he talked about how everybody loves the acclaimed. And then Billy Gunn says, this is Daddy Ass's house. He does the millions and millions. And he went to City Hall, and they gave him a key 
but instead of a key, it's giant scissors. And uh, they then Max Caster, this was amazing. He he does like what you would do at church. He says, "Hey, uh, offer a scissor to your neighbor. You know, like peace be with you. You know, like <laughs> give the sign of peace to your neighbor when you're in mass." And then everyone <laughs> in the place is doing the scissor to the people next to them, which was just an awesome visual. Seeing all these people like doing doing the motion. And then he goes on to get a little more serious. He said he wants to talk about greatness. 30 years ago, his dad won a Super Bowl on Washington's football team. They're in Washington. And, you know, he said his dad's ring and his pride and joy. He said these this belt is the pride and joy. And he, he said this is the world that's divided right now. But the one thing that pr- brings everyone together is the bipartisan scissor. The first ever bipartisan <laughs> Scissoring, which man, this was awesome. And this was one of those things that you can throw it out there and this could be awful, but the crowd's into it. And if the crowd's into it, that's really what it's all about. And these guys, I don't think any of these guys have ever had a chance, have ever gotten time like this, or Bowens and Caster have not. Billy Gunn's been in incredible segments. AEW does not do things like this. Where they throw guys out in the ring for like 15 or 20 minutes and then just let them go. Everything is so quick, 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 on to the next, quick, on to the next. I want to give them a lot of credit for just letting these guys go out there and have this time. Because this was the thing that I will remember. And I will remember this segment a lot more than I'll remember some of the four and a half star matches that they have every week with with no buildup with just two really great wrestlers and people I don't know a whole lot about because this was something that we we saw happen and they just got over the crowd just likes them and because of that Tony Khan was like I'm kind of forced I have to do something with these guys like I gotta I gotta put the belts on them I can't let the crowd just crap on the rest of my show and so he power to him because he did gave them another chance to win the titles and they did and then he just said hey you guys go out there and have your segment 20 minutes, however long it is, just go do your thing. Don't even worry about the time. And it felt like they were comfortable, and it it felt like nobody was rushing. It just felt like what we want, like the segments that I connect with in wrestling. I, I thought this was great, man. For as much as I I didn't like on this show, I thought this was really good. Yeah, it was. I think they were supposed to do it last week, and I think it worked out because I don't think there was enough time for, for this to work. Speaking of Billy Gunn, I think Monday on Raw is supposed to be a tribute to DX, right? They're gonna, they're gonna, they have to say something about it, right? They have to. You know that there's gonna be a, there's gonna be a daddy ass chant or a scissor me daddy ass chant, because, and the thing about DX is that they are the type of group that can mention it. Yes. Like if if anyone on the roster and. And I mean, obviously, Triple H is there, right? Like, if anyone's allowed to say AEW, or I don't know if they would say the actual letters, but they'd say, like, hey, where's Billy? You know, and then they'd say, you know, it's coming. Like, you know, and he'd say something like, I feel like he's, like, he's, he's working at like a paper shop with scissors. You know, so I can see him like doing something along, along those lines, you know, and then, and then I could even hear a chant going and I could see the DX guys kind of smile for a minute. Like, they may, it, it's one of those things where it, it's probably better to just address it right away than to act like it's not happening. Right. Oh, for sure. 
Or did you, do they have someone playing Billy Gunn? Oh, there you go. There you go. You know, because they used to do that a lot. They that's a to, great one. That's a great one. I mean, not to, you know. How about what? what's going on with Bart Gunn? <laughs> wow. Last I heard about Bart Gunn, he got knocked out by Butterbean. By, by Butterbean in the Brawl for All. Can we get a Bart? <laughs> is there a Bart Gunn sighting out there somewhere? Just a really. <sighs> oh, man. So. This could be fun. Yeah, it was a good day. segment. Now let's and, let's see where they go from here. Exactly. That, that's Gotta have the a key. match next week. Gotta be a good match next week. That's the key. Us uh, and and Swerve got great heat, and I loved his little line. He came out with his rock, and he said, "Rock beats paper." Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. So, uh, very well done here. And and Swerve said, "Oh look, these such great role models." Said, "Congrats on the merch." He said, "And." Billy Guns, this is going to be the second time that you have kids getting suspended from school for say for being a bad role model, <laughs> which I thought was really well done. Um, then we had so the, another thing that just made me laugh real quick. Uh, John Silver when he was doing the impression of Neville. Of, oh yeah, of yeah. Hawk. He was a run and then a run, and we are going to fight you for the title. And he was. He sounded exactly like him. He kind of just made me laugh real quick. Um, Hangman Page picked up a win against Roosh, and it does set up the match for um, Hangman Page and Moxley. 13 days from now, it'll be Hangman Page versus Moxley for the world title. And this is kind of interesting that these two guys actually haven't faced each other. I was surprised to hear it. And you think about AEW, these have been – I mean, you make a list about of AEW guys that have been around for their entire company. Hangman Page was the guy in their first pay-per-view that they wanted to make. If I think about homegrown stars, he has to be number one because before AEW, Hangman Page wasn't a main eventer anywhere else. He was no. a solid hand in Ring of Honor. He did some stuff in New Japan. He was in some different places here and there. But this was where he became a main eventer and moved to the next level. So... He's been sort of the AEW guy, the homegrown guy, and now with the with no Bucks, with no Omega around, he's been the one who's been here from the beginning. And then you have Moxley, who Moxley was the first real big star that came over to AEW that sh- that sort of said, "Hey, look, this place is kind of legit." He gave them some legitimacy coming over here, and then that opened the door for the Brian Danielsons and the Coles and the other guys like that to say, "Oh, you know what that." They're doing pretty well over there. Maybe we jump. Maybe we can go over there. So this could be. I mean, Moxley's doing great. I, I can't imagine he loses this this title right now. But his promos are really good, and they're they sound really intense. And you know, Page he got a little stale when he won the title, but he's he's always been really good in ring. Even when his character, when they weren't really doing a great job with him, his matches for the most part have always delivered. Yeah, and you you know. You expect Mox to go over. Yeah. I think Mox MJF is probably has to be sooner rather than later. Uh, you got to think that the Bucks are probably coming back. I, I don't know what Adam Cole is doing other than playing video games on Twitch. I guess he's hurt still. I don't know. Um, it'll be an interesting dynamic once the Bucks, Adam Page, or uh, Adam Cole comes back and see how Hangman Page fits in to that. Because I think they were trying to go in that direction. Page versus Cole, or not necessarily, but it was 
the elite, some kind of storyline there. So it ought to be interesting to see when they come back. But Paige has always been good in the ring. I've liked him since his Ring of Honor days. Had no problems with that. I, I just think him as a champion was way too late. It yep. was way too late in, in, in to where we're at now. The Luchasaurus squashed Fuego Del Sol. And <laughs> then after uh, Jungle Boy attacked both men. Now, he was like fired up. And I thought he was trying here. But he he said a line that the the crowd kind of laughed at him where he said, like, you were my best friend and you broke my heart. And it's one of those things where it's like, I mean, it doesn't really – it doesn't sound – when you say it, it's like it, it makes sense. But, like, the way he said it and the crowd kind of made it – like, they kind of laughed at him a little bit. Right. And then he, he fired back up. But this this feud got brutally hurt by just yes the Christian injury, man, because – a month ago, I was really ready for this match, but I think going into All Out, we had already said, man, it feels like it maybe was a couple weeks too late. You know, like it, the peak of this feud was like six weeks ago, and then they had to do all these different things because of Christian's injury, and now I'm just I'm, – I'm, I don't really care all that much about Jungle Boy Luchasaurus. No, I, I'm glad you – Said the the exact same thing I was going to say. It just seems like this is taking forever, and you can't put the blame on Christian. You, you get her, that that's the part of professional wrestling. It happens a lot, but we go from Christian just dogging his deceased father and some of these just ill advised cut downs, and now we we still here we are. What what'd you say? Six, seven, eight weeks later, I know. we still haven't gotten there. It just. There's nothing you can do now to get me fired up again about what should have happened, you know, two months ago. I, 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 you know, Luchasaurus, it's hard to take him as a heel when he was so over in Jurassic Express. It, it's just, it's hard for me to buy into right now. The small little video package about the AEW All-Atlantic Championship at Battle of the Belts. Those Battle of the Belts shows are just like. They're not good. They're like a. The the most low level Saturday night main event type <laughs> show where it's just like oh my gosh, and um, and then we had the main event Danielson and Daniel Garcia versus the Ocho Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara, and man Sammy wrestled his ass off here like he's good in the ring but the dude was getting sort of like that go away heat the crowd yeah, just hates him right now he, and I. He, it's coming off like he's a douche, man. I know. And it's it kind is. of a little tone deaf for Tony Khan to maybe throw him in spots like this because that was the – wasn't that the what AEW doesn't, doesn't want to do? Like it kind of screw over their fans and kind of play games with them. I thought they wanted to be sort of real and honest and legitimate, and it's almost like you're trolling him when you put him out there. But he – I will say he was great. I mean he's fantastic in the ring, and he's you know incredibly athletic. But man, I um, I don't know. Like, it, it, you wonder if, if he's like a great locker room guy with just just in the last few weeks with what what's what happened with him being someone who was proposing on national TV and then that happened and then he started dating a different girl that's in your locker room and then him and Eddie Kingston have had an issue and then him and Andrade haven't had an issue. Now those are just two or three things. So each one of those, I can tell you right now, I can be dead wrong and maybe Sammy was on the right in all of them. I don't know. But when you start to see trends, you know, you wonder, like, Tony Khan just suspended CM Punk, the Young Bucks, and Kenny Omega. Is Sammy Guevara not worth 
<laughs> you know, taking off your TV if he's causing problems. Yeah, he was in multiple segments Wednesday night, by the way. I think three or four of them, plus the main event. Coop, we'll talk more next week about Extreme Rules. We'll see what happened. And uh, as we head to AEW's next big show. But, Coop, you've been dealing those college football plays. Do you have a play or anything that you like this weekend? Yeah, I went one and one last week on the on the podcast. Thought Iowa did a couple of bonehead moves there. It's 20 to 7. I know. We were both on that one. Man, and you, you've got it first and goal inside the five, then you're, you know, third and goal from the one and you go for it twice in a row and you can't get that one yard. I, I knew we probably weren't going to cover. And then they give up a, a cheap touchdown. Yeah. I have two plays here. Um, unfortunately I'm going back to the big 10 uh, for this one. Um, I like Purdue here. Uh, Purdue plays a, a hot Maryland team. Um, I, I just think Purdue coming off a big win over Minnesota. I don't know. Maryland's been clicking. I like Purdue here getting some points. I, I, I think I locked it in earlier this week. I got Purdue plus three. And then you're not going to like this one, Gino. I'm sorry. You're not going to like this one. Washington State. I'm going out west to the Pac-12. I am. Your USC Trojans are on fire. I mean, absolutely on fire. And they deserve all, all the hype. I got to watch the second half last Saturday night of their big game. Uh but Washington State. This is a good team. Uh, man, this this is, you've got a big one in the Pac-12 this week, other than this one. You've got UCLA and Utah, and I'm teetering on betting UCLA, just morning line there. But you've got USC, who has that big game with Utah next week. Um, Wazoo look, getting, look ahead, yeah. Look, Wazoo getting, I, I got it at 13 and a half, Gino. Um, look. 5-0 and at 5-0. and I just think Washington State is able to keep this close. Not it's too much for a UCLA or USC's defense isn't incredible. They've been getting some good turnover luck throughout. Like this, this is a lot for a, for a USC team that still has some things to prove on the defensive side. And Washington, Washington State, is not, State is not bad, dude. They're, the Pac-12 overall this year is a lot stronger than people thought coming into the year because – Washington and Washington State are competent. USC took the big leap. Utah is very good. UCLA is not bad. Oregon is not bad. Oregon State is much better than people thought. So all of a sudden, this conference that looked like it was going to be really bad, it's way, way tougher than we may have thought six months ago. Yeah, look, some trends that I like. Washington State, 7-0 and against the spread as a double-digit uh, road dog. Um Nice. In this series, I think they're what uh, seven and two against the spread as the visitor. So I'm not saying they're going to win because I don't think they're going to win. I just think they keep it close within two touchdowns. And so we're going to go uh, Washington State 13 and a half and the Boilermakers plus three. Koopaloop, my man. We will be here each and every week talking everything in the world of wrestling and dishing out a couple college football plays. Thank you so much, buddy. You have a great weekend and I look forward to talking with you again next week. You got it, Gino. Do not go anywhere, folks. A lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said. A big thank you to James and Ben for helping us out with the baseball talk. Uh, for Eric, helping us out with NFL. And Koopaloop, talking some wrestling with us. We'll be back with Andor, episodes 4 and 5, She-Hulk, episodes 7 and 8, and some Sunday racing 
on just in just a couple days. So look forward to another episode of That's What G Said coming soon. We can get caught up on the Marvel and Star Wars shows. Have a great weekend.